everyone. Welcome to Between the Sheet, Patreon Special Edition Show number 23. I'm your host, Chris Zellner. Joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan and Bix. It's time to talk about Kit Fry era WCW. And, mm-hmm. uh, what, a, what a fun time this was. Yes. Now, I should give the caveat in putting these notes together. And my power is blinking on and off, so oh, that dear. Could, that's not, I hope that's not a good omen. <laughs> is the Undertaker around? <laughs> well, we'll see how it goes, folks. <laughs> well, okay, so for two reasons. One, that there's really not that much other than the paper, the Super Bowl pay-per-view in these notes that was like on screen and covered in depth, but... We're we're covering all of the moves in terms of the changes and all that, so we'll get to it here in a minute. We'll we will start with Jim Hurd's resignation. Resignation being in air quotes. Um, I really like the Kip Fryer of WCW, and obviously we'll talk about that more later. And we picked it because when I was putting together, it was actually I think the last set of global notes. I realize there's a lot of stuff here that's not really talked about, as we'll see later, in terms of interviews and WCW office talking on the record from this period that's not really remembered, and a lot of interesting stuff, and because it is a period that is remembered very fondly, and it's about four, four and a half to five months long, a lot happens, we're going to cover January through March on here, um... What do you have to add as far as just generally your enjoyment of Kip Fry WCW before we dive in? Well, I mean, it, it was just a refreshing change from what had happened the year earlier. Now, I will say this. I mean, it had gotten better in the fall of 91. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as the Dangerous Alliance got formed, as things started to get better that way. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like the Kip Fry era was starting, you know, and they had to just start from scratch. They had a, a built-in angle here that was doing really well. And it had already been established. So Dusty ha- kind of had it going in the right direction at the end of Herd's run. So mm-hmm. it was easy for Fry just to basically piggyback off of what, you know, was Gardy's going on. Yes. Now, and, if, if, if Kip Fry era would have started – Say in August after Flair leaves or September, he's starting from scratch. He's starting from scratch, and then who knows? Who knows what, how it works then? So it, the Kiffright era also benefits from what was st- already started. So yes, but that's, that, that's what I want to say about it. Yeah, listen, I'm going to add before we dive in. You will notice, and we're definitely going to talk about there are a lot of things here that end up having repercussions in a number of ways for Watts. In ways that pretty much no one remembers, I think, too. So let's dive in. Alright. Well, let's begin with the uh, January 20th Observer. Now, here's the deal. Um, Dave had some Observer uh, issues in January. He had three in a two-week time span. So he had one day of the 6th, the 10th, and the 20th. So... This has a different date than the Matt Watch and Torch we'll talk about after it because of uh, just the way everything was dated. But anyway, Dave was just right behind Steve in what he says. 
All right, World Championship Wrestling Executive Vice President Jim Hurd resigned on January the 8th from the TBS organization after losing what appears to have been a him or me goes struggle with Booker Dusty Rhodes. While it's been reported as a resignation, and technically it was, WCW overseer Jack Petrick, like I call him overseer, apparently asked Hurd to take a non-wrestling position in TBS syndication on Wednesday. Which is that day, January 8th. Heard turned down the switch, offered his resignation, and by the week's end had moved from Atlanta, where he'd been resigning during the week, to his full-time home in St. Louis. Okay, wait a second. Patrick's the president of the company. Overseer. Why is Jeff calling him the overseer? <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's some type of crack or something, I don't know. You know I how guess. Um, and... I'm I'm sure he was in like some executive suite type thing since it wasn't his real home. But boy did he pack up and move quick. <laughs> yes. Anyway, we move on. Her took over as the man in charge of WCW three years ago. The three years could be the be- could be best described as unsuccessful. Most aspects of improving both the visibility and popularity of the nation's number two wrestling promotion. Her will be replaced by executive as executive vice president by Kiff Fry, thirty eight years old, a TBS attorney with even less wrestling background than Heard entered the job with. However, there is some optimism in the WCW camp with the belief that Fry is going to lead the actual wrestling end of the promotion in the hands of Dusty Rhodes and Jim Crockett and just concentrate on legal and financial aspects of the company. Fry is a graduate of Duke Law School who worked in private practice in both California and North Carolina before taking a job as a TBS attorney in April 1991. He worked with WCW in a number of legal situations, the most high profile being the attempt to regain control power of the National Wrestling Alliance and thus regained the old NWA championship belt from Ric Flair after he had joined the WF. It was heavily speculated at the end of the week, including by Heard himself, that the final straw that broke the camel's back was when WCW lost Ric Flair. Original reports from the company were that Heard resigned because he was frustrated with his inability to get the company competitive with Titan Sports. Well, there's already been criticism of appointing another chief officer who has no pro wrestling background, some feel Fry will handle the position better than Heard, who became well-known within the office for his sometimes volatile personality. I'm hoping Kip knows enough to know he doesn't know anything, said one person associated with close with key WCW personalities. For three years, we've been watching this thing fall apart. Another WCW office employee said of Fry, he's a very intelligent person and not intimidating like Herd can sometimes be. The higher-ups were frustrated the company couldn't turn a profit. Apparently, TBS ordered a report on the wrestling company in three years of heavy losses, thought they'd been in the $19 million range. After top-to-bottom interviews with the company management, the report came out that Herd was a minus and was cited as not getting along with people. After the resignation, Herb reportedly went to a steering committee meeting and was heavily blasted, and heavily blasted, Rhodes, Jim Ross, and Magnum T.A. Although, according to several reports, he praised Jim Crockett and said he felt sorry for him having to deal with the other three. <laughs> according to those close to her, with her, he said he felt like a tremendous weight had been lifted off his shoulders, and that his job as WCW head was the hardest job he ever had, not in terms of workload, but in terms of pressure, Heard came down on Ross, Rhodes, and T.A. and blamed the Flair situation for ultimately doing him in. Heard apparently said that he felt Flair was the greatest wrestler there had ever been, but his demands were too high, and that losing him was the biggest thing he made, and the company went downhill from there. While there's been much talk within the company of regaining Flair over the past week, all reports indicate Flair has an ironclad two-year contract with Titan Sports through September 1993. Ironclad, you say? I guess that was a strong handshake. Well, you know what, though? I guess contractually, it was the usual deal where WWF has to let him out, but Vince had made a verbal deal with him, and Vince honored it, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> so her just blasted Dusty, Magnum, and Jim Ross. Yeah, and there's more details on that in Matt Watch. Um, yeah, which we'll get to that. And I, if the Riff Flair thing was the final straw, why didn't they get rid of him then? You mean almost six months earlier? Yes. That's a very it's not good Rick, question. It's not Ric Flair. It's the guess the financial losses. Maybe would you agree? Nineteen I think million it's a combination of everything. Although, here's something I would wonder: When do you think Ted himself found out that Flair was gone? Probably when uh, he was told. Um, when do you think whenever he that was personally? That's what I'm saying. I'm sure they told him right, right after it happened. I'm sure Jeff Peacher probably told him. Because he knew how important Flair had been to the purchase and everything. Yeah, it was just a, it was a major piece of the puzzle gone. Yeah, but it, so of I, course, unless the unless we're reading it wrong, and what Dave is saying is that the study and talking to the employees cited the company going even further downhill at that point. Maybe I mean. It's probably the the combination of everything that mm-hmm. added up. And Heard was a volatile personality, like I said here. He was yes. known to go off and uh, go crazy on people. So, yeah, that, that, that reminds me of an amazing story in the Guy Evans book. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's mostly about the Nitro era, but there are a few little factoids about earlier periods in WCW, including a memo from Bill Watts. Um so I guess at CNN Center, they had these doors that would lock after a certain time of day and would only open when, it, like, a finicky motion detector worked. Yeah. And I forget who told Heard, like, oh, the motion detector's up there if you want to make sure it works. Because Heard, like, Heard didn't understand that it took, like, a second or two for the motion detector to recognize it, and he'd keep pretty much almost walking into the closed door so someone told him to wave his arms up in the air to make sure that the motion detector saw him quicker as he was walking towards the door so people who watched the security feed took great delight in watching heard waving his arms back and forth as he walked towards the exit he was waving like he just didn't care mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh my goodness gracious! Hilarious. All right, and we'll have more on yep. herd and all that in Matt Watch. So let's let's move on to the Observer for now. Prior scheduled a press conference to introduce himself to the wrestling media on January twenty second in Kansas City, the morning of a television taping, the day after the clash from nearby Topeka. He's taking an organization that has a degree of momentum built up from a television and arena product that's made significant improvements since the steering committee was formed. And Jim Crockett has assumed a more influential role. Crockett was responsible for bringing back Rick Steamboat, Rick Rune, and Paulie Danielson to the organization, all of whom have been key figures in the revitalization. However, the minor upswing has come nowhere near making up for all the popularity lost since Jim Crockett promotions in its national peak in 1986, nor even since DBS purchased the company from financially drained Crockett in late 1988. Pariah an organization meeting Monday, which would be the uh, 13th, which is his first day at the helm of the company. During the meeting, Fry placed David Crockett in charge of all television production of both syndicated, cable, clash, and pay-per-view shows. There you go, folks. I see you blame. Rob Garner was placed in charge of syndication. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes remains the booker. 
while Jim Crockett will handle scheduling and booking arena dates and day-to-day wrestling operations. And Sharon Sodello, Ole Anderson's favorite uh, employee of Turner Home Entertainment, will be put in charge of marketing WCW. Mm-hmm. I should add, by the way, I, I made the call to correct it, but in these early mentions of Sharon Sodello, she was referred to in the newsletters as Sharon Stella. Because clearly someone gave the name over the phone without spelling it out. Stella. Stella. <laughs> oh, man. So David Crockett, and he's in charge of production for... Till the end? Much the rest of, till the end? I mean, I guess maybe someone like Craig Leathers would have a title above him. Yeah. But when it came to overseeing everything, it was still pretty much David Crockett through the end. Yeah. And, uh... What what did confuse me here though was that I thought Rob Garner was always in charge of syndication. Well, I guess uh, he wasn't here. You think? Let's see who else could have been by this time. Ross? You don't think Ross still held that job, did he? No, but I thought I thought Garner was the one selling Crockett syndication, and then when WCW started, he was doing a similar job. Well, I guess not. Dusty Rose will be back on television and involved in angles and bull rope, the Pauly Dangerously house shows during the tag team title matches. Well, they really wasn't. No. Involved in any angles. That's why I included it. <laughs> yeah. So somebody may have had a, a different plan there. All right, how, how important do you think Jim Crockett was to the revitalization of WCW here? As he's getting the credit for you know, bringing back these guys and to change the product that undergone the last couple of months well whenever they had a steering committee he kind of headed it right even though dusty is the booker anytime they called it a steering committee which i believe was immediately after the purchase in 88 and then well and then when dusty was fired as booker and then here and both times you would think the book a pretty solid job you would think the bull of the woods would be in charge of the steering committee yeah i don't really understand that either Bull, steer. Oh, God. (laughs) It still makes sense, even if not as a joke, though. (laughs) With your little pun. (laughs) But... It had to be done. Yeah, I don't really understand that, really, but... It makes sense, though, especially for Steamboat. Oh, absolutely. And, uh... Rude and Paul, I guess, you know, were just him maybe recruiting them or something. I don't know. Because yeah. Paul, Paul never worked for Crockett at that point. He started one after the buyout. So no, but he would have worked with Crockett because Crockett was the booker. Well, yeah, he exactly, but he didn't work for Crockett. No, you get what I'm saying. He didn't work for yeah. Jim Crockett Promotions. No, no, he didn't. All right, let's go to the January 13th Matt watch. Her's departure comes on the heels of a solid fourth quarter victory for TBS, led by a Saturday flagship afternoon show and a resurgence of the morning power hour on the cable ratings. But a continued mediocre performance syndication, another year of declining arena attendance, which is draining the division's bottom line, along with a loss of key performing talent over the last 18 months, apparently spelled the end for her. A Wednesday morning steering committee meeting had been scheduled, which most insiders predicted would follow routine patterns. The scenario changed the beginning when her, according to several insiders, entered the room and told the associates it would be a short meeting. Here we go. Sources close to the company say her fired several parting shots at Booker Dusty Rhodes, WCW minority partner Jim Crockett, assistant Booker Terry Manatier Allen, and lead announcer Jim Ross. Reportedly, Herb blamed Rhodes for poor management of arena shows during 1991 and held Crockett responsible for Rhodes' return to the company last January after a two-year absence. 
Allen was said to have been accused of going behind Rhodes' back to the point, point out the veteran Booker's mistakes, but not holding to his conventions and group meetings. Sources also indicate Heard further blame Ross for contributing to his downfall. Whew, well, uh, I don't think Jeff Crockett should be held responsible for Dusty returning. That was Jim Heard. Yeah, I don't really get that. <laughs> I mean, that was Jim Hurd's thing, not Jim Crockett's thing. Well, also, how much power did Jim Crockett even have at that point? None that he would have been mentioned in any of the newsletters or anything. Yeah. For having any type of decision-making power. I mean, at that time and place, she probably knew none he was with a company. So, Other than something. that, people still knew he had his minority interest in the company. Yeah. And then you have the deal with Magnum. I think her saying that just to try to drive a, a yes. wedge between Magnum and Dusty. And then you got Ross. Well, <laughs> Ross has, was always one not to uh, mince his words about people like Jim Hurd. So, makes sense that he would say that. So, and Ross would have he would make these statements on his radio show mm-hmm. that were kind of damning. So about Jim Hurd. Oh, about the product in Jim Hurd. Yes, in a way. Very, it was slyly making these statements. Yeah, but you read between the lines. Several TBS and WWE staff members who asked not to be identified expressed surprise at the resignation. But some tell them Matt Watch they have been led to believe in the last few weeks that Heard would have at least a one-year extension on his contract. Heard's tenure saw a broad expansion in the pay-per-view and merchandise for WCW, but also saw the departure of many former 1980s-era NWA stars, including Ric Flair, the Road Warriors, and Jim Cornette. Her was thought as a reason for both Flair and Cornette bolting the company, losses which dis- created discontent with the promotion's traditional hardcore fans. Most insiders say by the time you read this, Jim Crockett will likely have the post operations manager or similar title at WCW, and now the wrestling under the company for Kip Fry. A number of WCW insiders were irritated because Jack Peacher confirmed for me the decision to let Lex Luger out of his commitment and upset with me for reporting it. Doubt was raised as to whether I'd even talked to Peacher. I indeed did. Word went through the office Wednesday that Mr. Petrick had been misinformed. He has. I imagine Jack will like to know how. Further, when word comes from the president of a company, that's about as high as it can come, isn't it? <laughs> of all the people that cover wrestling in the mm. newsletters, the one yeah. who you're going to doubt spoke to Jack Petrick is mm-hmm. Steve Beverly. Okay. <laughs> Talking to the boss, the main guy, the guy in charge, direct line. Mm-hmm. So, okay, explain to everybody what the Luger situation was this time. Luger was getting an early release in part because he had some kind of maximum dates thing that they used up after making him champion. So it, And also there was a conflict over that he had negotiated into his contract that if he gets brought to Japan by WCW, that he negotiates with the Japanese promotion instead of being paid on his WCW contract. So all that's going on, and Heard gives him a release where it says, though, that he can't work in, I think, anywhere else in wrestling for a certain period of time, including the WWF, but as we'll see, that gets weird. And, you know, but the other thing, too, is they have a world title match coming up on a big pay-per-view where the champion is nowhere to be found promoting it. (laughs) The champion is not on TV at all for weeks. No, it was an odd situation. Very odd. I I hadn't seen anything like this before. 
where you got your main event of your pay-per-view, but your champion just will not show up on television. He was like the early Brock Lesnar. Yeah. But if, but if that Brock, I mean, Brock does actually show up when, you know, when he has to. Yes. Although, so that's your difference. When Luger showed up at Super Bowl, he looked about as big as Brock Lesnar. Well, yeah. Well, he was getting that extra polish. Yeah. Yeah. Poise. Spec- <laughs> yes. Speculation is rampant in the wake of Jim Hurst's departure from Eddie Gilbert returning to be Grimness Booker to Jim Cornette coming back. First, nothing is decided. Second, if Crockett runs operations, Gilbert may return to WCW, but not immediately as Booker. Third, the Hurt fade out removes the block for Cornette, but Corny is strongly committed to launching Smoky Mountain Wrestling and may not be as quick to consider an offer as you think. Kip Fryer received the positive reception and his introduction to the troop in Columbus. From what we've been told, the front office is about as relaxed and congenial as it's been since Turner on the company. All right, Eddie Gilbert um, at this time is in global. He's the booker. Of course, Cornette's getting ready to launch Smoky Mountain Wrestling. First TV tapings, other than the first original set. Other than the pilot, yeah. Yeah, in in the beginning of February. So, (laughs) interesting time if this to happen for those two. Um... Because if if there's no Smoky Mountain Wrestling in the in the in the offing here, do you think Cornette ends up back in WCW? Um, I think so because it's a new guy replacing Herd that's trying to be relatively hands off and leave it to Dusty and Crockett. Do you agree? I agree. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Eddie Gilbert, on the other hand, I don't think so at the present time, but because well, he's got he's running the show in Global. He's less than two years away from walking out on ECW because of Jim Crockett. <laughs> yeah. So. It is yeah, interesting I think, timing, I think though. It would have yeah. Been. yeah, absolutely. Now, um, going back a little with what Steve said about how Heard really rammed up the pay-per-view, which was probably going to happen anyway, and the licensing. We've talked about this before, but since we're talking about his departure and everything, we need to mention this. He does not get nearly enough credit for the increase in licensing and merchandise and sponsorships in his reign close to what he deserves. Yeah. Like, also, when you think about, like, is there anything in terms of retail and licensed merchandise that's done between, other than, maybe some, other than the British-only run of the action figures? Other than that, is there anything that's done between this point and Bischoff? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Heard, he got the deals with Coors. He got the deal with Ruse. Lots um, of licensing, Galoob, lots of li- Just Toys, the play money, he, the board game. He doesn't He doesn't get the credit deserves for the outside stuff. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. Yes. And here's something else to think about. Although not all of that stuff had great distribution. Their version of the Wrestling Buddies... I legitimately never saw in stores, and the only reason I had the Sting one was that my aunt, who lives lived a few hours away, got it for me. Um, I never saw the giant size Galoob figures. There was there was stuff that was difficult to find, but those Galoob figures were everywhere, and the initial run of the Just Toys were everywhere. The Galoob seemed to sell well. I don't remember them ever being like clearanced out at KB or anything like that, and it makes you wonder again. With all these allocations of Turner, how much money were they actually losing? Yeah, I mean, 
they had to uh, get trading cards too. Two I'm looking different at runs them. at the same time. Yeah, I'm looking at them right now. I have my I still have my box sitting out out here. Well, the Impel or the Championship? Both. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and the, well, send the uh, what was the one that had the the like the green yellow color borders? That's Impel. Those weren't as good. Well, I got them. Yeah, it's in there. It's in that box, but I have the other ones with it. So okay. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it got WCW out there, so in a different way than they had never done before. And then it just stops. It's just the magazine. Yeah. It's just the magazine and one run of action figures that was for some reason only available in the United Kingdom. Which, all right. Well, let's, who knows? You know who even ahead. knows? I was just going to say who even knows? You know who made that deal in the first place? May have been a continuation yeah. of something. All right, let's go to the January 16th torch. Kip's wide range experience in entertainment, sports, and business make him ideally suited for this position, said Jack Petrick. Jim has made substantial contributions to develop our WCW subsidiary, and we look forward to building on the strong foundation he helped create. Uh huh. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. And then there's this Jim Barnett was her only remaining ally at WCW. I'm oh, shocked. Boy. Oh, my boy. I hate to see you get fired like this. As Cornette has said many times, Barnett didn't want to rock the boat feeling like he needed a job at that point. Barnett's just going to go with the flow. Yeah, he was just going to go with the flow with her, yeah. Exactly. Which even though there was stuff... Yeah, but what I was saying, though, was that if her didn't like something, Barnett was not going to go to bat for it. Oh, yeah. So whatever he personally thought of someone, whether it's Midnight Express or anyone, if Hurd was against them, Barnett was just – he was either going to also be against them or just not say anything. Yeah. Well, I mean sometimes in business, that's the way to keep yourself in business. <laughs> sometimes if you're – you know, hey, you just do what you got to do to survive. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to Jantress of Observer. One of the biggest reasons, maybe even the biggest for Jim Herb being dumped, was that he was cited for too many communication breakdowns in the company and because he wasn't a people person. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. He, did, he, didn't, he, he didn't know how to play the game with his employees. It was his way or the highway in a lot of, a lot of circumstances. Sometimes you got to give a little to get a little, you know? Well, it comes off like... To basically everyone other than Steve Beverly, it doesn't seem like anyone found anything likable about him. Or like, and you know, Watts was a hard ass, but it wasn't like he had zero positive qualities either, personality-wise. Well, Watts is a different breed. <laughs> no, I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. All right, Matt Watts, January 27th date. Neither Titan nor WCW will acknowledge this, but sources close to both promotions have told Matt Watch WCW sounded out WF executive Basil DeVito about taking the reins of the Turner Group before Kip Fry was promoted. According to the insiders, DeVito never actually negotiated with WCW, but insisted he was told in December if he wanted Jim Hurd's post, the job was his. At Natby, Chad Petrick, Kip Fry, El Gigante, Melissa Michelli, and Bill Kazmaier all appeared at the Turner booth for WCW. Kazmaier billed as the world's strongest manager, surprising most attention from the U.S. TV stations. And the closed circuit Nat being news segments, which is interesting because Kazmaier basically is out of the company around <laughs> this time period. Yeah, when was his last match? Uh, Sarke. Well, let's see where Tal shows. But 
We, t- I think we did the Basil DeVito stuff on the main show. Um, I barely remember it. Isn't it. that interesting that he was being told in December that he could have Heard's job? Oh, and here's Heard resigning. Yes. Well, even Dave said it was really a forced resignation. <laughs> I know, but but still. Okay, for what it's worth. Uh oh, we forgot about this. Wrestling Data has one match for Bill Kazmaier in January '92, which is his match with Shinya Hashimoto at the Tokyo Dome. God, I forgot about that match. <laughs> so, okay, looking back though, his his looks like his last WCW matches, Starcade. I mean, actually, you know, regular Starcade, not Starcade in the Tokyo Dome. Uh, you know, he he'd been, he was in Battle Bowl previously. He had teamed with Liger against DDP and Mike Graham. And then his last house show match was on the European tour, teaming with Dustin Rhodes to defeat the Enforcers on in Dublin. Huh. Amazing. Yes. Um, so back to the matter at hand. Um, Basil DeVito. That would have been very interesting, wouldn't it? In a lot of ways, yes. Because they would have took one of Vince's top lieutenants away. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, who knows what, what Basil DeVito could have done as his own boss. But it is interesting, though, that he didn't try. I, I, if I would have been him, and I knew that I could run my own company, I would have went. And then it makes you wonder, all right, he knows all the inside, in and out of the you know, contracts and WWF and everything going on, pretty much. That's a coup. That's what you do in business. Take away, keep people from your competition. That changed the game in a lot of ways. And credit for Petrick too for trying to make the move. Absolutely, that's what you do. You go, you go on the headhunting trip. Even if it ended up with some guy in legal who they asked if he liked wrestling. And that would work out as we talk about though. But uh, yeah, I mean, if Basil DeVito's in charge of the company. Who knows? That changes everything. Yes. Now, interesting, too, here seeing them. I don't know whose idea would have been, and I don't know who they would have had previous years. I guess we'd have to check. But they're going with kind of a WWF-style thing. Like, we don't have, you know, even if they don't know our stars, we've got the strong man, the giant, and the attractive woman. <laughs> well, it's a good fit. Yeah. You know, I mean that you when you're at a convention like that, you you kind of need to bring out your attractions, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. Well, they probably should have brought Sting too. Yeah, he's too busy working. I or, guess. Well, honestly, you know who you really should bring for that audience? Steamboat. Yeah, but coming off a of Hulkamania run and all. Again, that. you look at you look at look at who's listed here. Higante's not. He's just. A guy working house shows. Um, Kazmaier, we've already talked about him. Medusa is a manager, so you don't have to have her around pretty much. So they didn't have any of their important players there. No. no. But they had eye catchers. Yes. All right, January 30th, Torch. Kip Allen Fry, WCW's new executive vice president, hosted his first press conference on Wednesday morning. January 22nd, in front of seven members of the pro wrestling press. I've seen worse wrestling press conferences on television. Well, that's who they, oh. that's who they invited, though. It was not for mainstream media. 
I know. The best, the best press conference on wrestling television ever was the one from UWF in '87 with Chris Adams and Terry Taylor, where they were taking questions from pre- such notable press members as Skandar Afar, referee Tommy Gilbert, and Jim Ross, who was the media of the press conference, who would who jumped out with the is sitting in the press to ask questions. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Sabu and O'Neill in XPW. No, this was this is my favorite. But that one was attended only was by tremendous. Bob Barnett and Mike Lano. Yeah, but again, this is this. I mean, this was just amazing. Yeah. All right. Um, also present were WCW talent coordinator and Booker Dusty Rose, lead announcer and TBS producer Jim Ross, house show manager Jim Crockett, head of security Doug Dillinger, and Sharon Stella. <laughs> okay, that was the one then. Yes, I, I decided Stella, not to edit that one. Yeah, the newly hired head of WCW Public Relations. I think WCW had good intentions. Said Mike Tenay, host of Wrestling Insiders on National Sports. An entertainment radio, net, radio network. Everybody appreciated the honesty they showed, although they did, they did tap dance around a few answers. John Arezzi, host of the New York-based Pro Spotlight Radio Show, asked the panel from WCW if they have any plans to affiliate themselves with a Miley promotion to help develop new talent. Brian said that he had not talked about that with him yet, but because he just started, and he's probably concerned with the major leagues. But said developing new talent is the heart of our business. Rose, who has never spoken publicly to the press before, did not speak often during this 26-minute press conference, but did have comments about a possible minor league affiliate. We have a bunch of new kids. Some two or three of them are very talented, but they don't know what to do yet, Rhodes said, with none of the usual jive in his voice. Yeah, because he's Virgil Ronald here. They don't know how to go past the, in- past the entrance. Dustin, my son, was lucky from the age of 12. He was already traveling around with Dick Murdoch. Dick and Barry Wyndham were training him. You can be in the gym all day long, but it's nothing like going out and being in front of the people. You learn more from being out there. So we had to put them out in front. But we're really proud of them, and they try. Somewhere down the road, it's going to go full circle, like you said. A minor league promotion where you can send a Van Hammer, who, by the way, really overexcelled last night. Talk about the clash. And send a guy away six months, and then bring him back, he'd be ready. Everything went for costumes and characters. So what we have is Mr. Fry referring to, to developing our product. That is from bell time to bell time. Once you get out there, once the bell rings, it's a major thing that we strive to achieve. I think it's a valid point that we will need a minor league. That's interesting to read. Uh, Twenty uh, six years ago, isn't it? Yeah, and you'll notice too that, you know, and we've seen this before. The newsletters would talk about that type of thing a lot. Yeah, it. I mean, it makes sense. If, I mean, in, in the current in the wrestling scene as there there is at, the, at that point in time, it's good to have a minor league promotion or an affiliate that you can send your young talent to so they can get work before they go to the big time because there's no territories anymore to do that. That was a strength of the territories. Mm-hmm. No, you need to send a Van Hammer somewhere like a Memphis, like a Smokey one to, to, to try to be able to get the right experience. Do you think that was a loaded question for John Arezzi, though? I mean, do you think that there was some type of maybe motivation in mind from him in that regard? Because who's he affiliated with at this time, kind of, sort of? No one yet. Really? I thought he meant that he was like I'm kind of... Uh, Are you thinking with Scholar or something else? I was, well, I'm not saying as a, as a promoter, but I'm just saying, didn't he have some ties with Goodhart? Goodhart's gone. And January 92, he's not gone? Uh, I think 
I want to say the announcement is like the week or the week before or the week after Goodhart shutting down and canceling the show. By this point in the month, Goodhart's gone. Okay. All right. No, well, at this point, know, John is not promoting anything. Well, the perfect the perfect place, and we talked about it, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that would have been perfect for something like that. Rose later addressed the possibility of returning to the ring in the future, comparing himself to Vern Gagne and other foreign wrestlers came out of retirement several times. Rose indicated he would likely come out of retirement, but said timing is important, comparing his possible comeback to the success of boxer George Foreman's well-timed, well-executed comeback. Well, Dusty never really came back. I mean, he did wrestle, but he didn't come back as a full-time wrestler. Well, in so. WCW, as a wrestler, other I mean, other than the Tokyo Dome match with Dustin a few weeks earlier, it's really just the stuff with Dustin in 94. Yeah. Fry spoke of his goal. It's great. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Fry spoke of his goal to make WCW a hipper organization. You'll see guys more spirited to do well. He said, we're not having people in the ring because they look good or because they can sell dolls. That's an interesting line, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Also, it's always weird to see people call them dolls after action figure had become an established term. People still call them dolls today, Bix. We I talk know. About not to, but in wrestling, it seemed like everyone always said dolls. Yeah. Price says main priorities are to re-energize WCW. He said Rhodes, Ross, and Crockett were some of the best minds in the industry. We need to make sure... Why'd you just do that? He needs to make sure their talents are focused and going the same <laughs> direction. Fry also acknowledges he has had and will, wall in the and will, yes, and will continue to have personal meetings with wrestlers on a regular basis to be sure communication is at its highest possible level. Lack of communication was a major downfall for former WCW Executive Vice President Jim Hurd. Rezzy asked Fry if there were plans to bring in more talent from Japan. You want to find the best wrestlers, not only from Japan, but everywhere, Fry said. When you have them coming in from the outside, that's the extra pop. Fry, when, when asked by Harry White about possibly challenging the WS exclusive agreements for many major wrestling arenas, he said, our product has to get better daily now. If you have a good product, arena and attendance will increase. The solution is not legal means. We're going to improve our product so arenas are coming to us. Fry also addressed the issue of steroid use in WCW, explained that he's against any use of steroids, but has to accommodate not only WCW, but the policies of TBS's affiliates, the Atlanta Braves, and the Atlanta Hawks. I think steroids are bad for the sport, Fry said. Our message should be that they aren't good. I've just started, but one of my top priorities is to work on a policy that works to eliminate steroids and treat wrestling on a parallel with the other companies. It would be unfair to impose standards on some athletes and not others. I want everyone to know, short of an outright ban, the direction of our company is away from steroids. Thoughts? I think that's a good political answer. Well, that is interesting, but... There's more coming. Um, I know, but I'm thinking to myself here, all right, we got the Braves and the Hawks. I mean, yes, not the NFL. And baseball players that time, I mean, it was going on, but it wasn't what it would be later on in the decade. NBA, I mean, I'm pretty sure there was some things going on there too, but I don't know. When you make that statement that you're going to try to be in line with the Braves and the Hawks, that's kind of – and it's a different thing because – these guys are actually in competitive sports. Wrestling is wrestling. That also feels like an answer, though, that someone else told them to give. Uh, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Fry addressed the cross-promotional possibilities with Turner on Cable News Network and the past criticism of WCW not taking advantage of the other Turner Networks. 
Brian said because CNN is the most credible news organization in the world, all it has is credentials. Thus, it cannot risk being perceived as pushing their own people. That's funny. Because of that, WCW cannot ask for or receive preferential treatment from their affiliate CNN. Oh, they're probably being told that. Yeah, but it sucks when CNN's reporting on your competition. Sure. <laughs> so they asked Fry about Lex Luger's status with a promotion. He's been in the business for a long time, and he wants to take a break, Fry said. As for the future, he's going to be taking some time off. I'll say. Tanae followed by asking whether precautions are being taken to prevent Luger from possibly leaving WCW and forced to a brawl, thus sabotaging their pay-per-view. Fry said there are several things he can do, but said he did not believe Luger had any intentions of jumping from WCW to another promotion. Uh-huh. Good luck with that, Kip. The representatives of the newsstand wrestling magazines asked, um, all of them together, asked Fry if there were any, a possibility of regaining ringside status for major WCW wrestling events. A privilege was taken away during Herd's run when WCW signed it with London Publishing, publisher of Rose Illustrated, to also publish their WCW magazine. Part of that agreement was allowed for tires from PWI exclusive rights to ringside. Fry said he would have to honor that contract, but would look into the issue. Okay, let's stop and, for a second. That means no. <laughs> I gotta say, even though it's a kayfabe magazine, all that, even as a kid, I thought it was weird that the same company as PWI and all that was putting out WCW magazine. Yeah. It 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 came off like they had been already been showing favoritism stemming from them losing WWF ringside access and all that. But, like, you put a different logo on it or something. You know? Yeah. Don't make it so obvious. Yeah, that that's what I felt. Always felt like, come on, like give it a give it a subsidiary or something. Although, didn't they share a bunch of the sta- same staff writers too? <laughs> there was some overlay, yes. Yeah, I don't think it was. I don't think after Craig Peters necessarily, but like, there were definitely P- a lot of the aftermath guys who are writing for WCW Magazine with byline. Probably, yeah, probably some under assumed names too. Well, they did that at the regular magazines anyway. Yeah. Uh, Rezzy asked Fry about his idea of an ideal relationship with the press, specifically insider-style radio shows. Fry said, call me if you need me or one of our guys on your show. I'll do what I can to help set up anyone. Treat it like all the other press relations are done. You give us the attention you think is appropriate. It's our job to do a good enough job that the coverage is favorable. We're not asking for any favors from you. Of course, Rezzy's going to ask that question. No, but it's a legitimate question. It is, but... And especially coming out of who he's replacing, too. Yeah, but you look. I mean, that's definitely pushing your own agenda. That question. But still, no, it's a legitimate I, question. It's and a then, legitimate question, but and I will see though. It. He appears to live up to it. Yeah, but somebody else asked that question. Maybe he shouldn't yeah. have specified insider radio shows. If he did, <laughs> yeah, he just said wrestling media. I mean, if or maybe even did. Who knows? Yeah. He may Mark have just Luger. said, like my radio show, to give an example. I, mean, I don't, I, 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 I can't blame him. And uh, this, it just comes off heavy handed. Fry concluded the press conference less than half an hour into it in order to catch a plane to the Natby convention, but has promised to open doors to further communication. Footage was shown in the WCW Saturday Night Show, TBS, of both Sting and Lex Luger beating Sid Justice when he was Sid Vicious at WCW. WCW continues their aggressive attitude towards the WWF which combined with any more signs from WF could establish themselves in a lot of fans' eyes as legitimate competitors to the WWF. During perception of the dollars is going to be a tough part. WCW will be held more accountable for their steroid policy as they grow in prominence. Where do the big boys play? 
some years earlier here. Mm-hmm. This is the first time they did it. This is the first time that the Turner Company did it. Yes. Even if Oli had done it... Uh... In 84. Yeah. He was the first. Yes. And, of course, Watts had done a variation on it as well. But you, uh, you look at it, it's okay. Um, they mentioned signings from WWF. There really isn't a whole lot of signings from WWF in this era, if any, really, from the Kev Fry side. Well, he doesn't have much time. I know. We'll get but... to some rumors and stuff later. Yeah. I mean, there, 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 there are people that he clearly talked with. Yes. But... Now, Basil DeVito would have been in charge. That would have been a different story, maybe. Well, maybe. Yeah. Um, the Well, I don't think there's anything here about that, but because it's exactly when I went down. The Bret, the Bret Hart thing, which I guess was technically underheard, was that to be at the clash that we're about to talk about? Uh, Probably. Speaking of which, let's move on. All right, let's move on to February now, on the February 3rd Observer. Clash of Champions on January 21st, Topeka, Kansas, drew a 3.7 rating and a 5.5 share and 2.22 million homes. The rating tied the September 5th Fall Brawl disaster from Augusta, Georgia, as the lowest rated clash in history. This was doubly disappointing because even that clash drew a 5.9 share. The rating is percentage of potential households that could pick up the show, that are viewing the show. The share is percentage of households that are viewing television during that particular time. They can pick up the show and they're viewing the show. There you go. Well, rest promotions should care more about the rating because the number of viewers translates to the number they can hook into buying either future live preview cards, merchandise, or at least potentially hook into watching future television shows. So let me say, look at the numbers as compared with their competition, in which case it often plays more importance to the share than the actual rating. So from a TBS standpoint, since he's in the company, maybe that's the most important standpoint. From a numbers criteria, this was the least successful clash in history. If one recalls, not only was the September fall brawl play with an overall weak lineup going in, but had an incredible competition. Oh, yes, I remember this night. The 1991 Video Music Awards was up against that clash. Jimmy Connors at the U.S. Open, which was a phenomenon. They drew the highest, rating to, rate, the highest tennis rating ever on the USA Network. Beverly Hills 90210 in its glory days. And cheers. That's pretty rough. Oh, that's a rough night. This show's rating had to be a surprise because the expectation was they were doing the mid-fours with a strong recent Saturday rating. Solid lineup. We got a barely weaker television lineup opposing him. I can tell you what the deal was with this show. It was, I mean, there was, it was all tag matches. I was just going to say, there's no singles match on the show. Yeah. Other than, no... other than Van Hammer and Cactus. Exactly. But there's no big singles match on the show. At all. It's an excellent wrestling show. It is. It's a great show. Top to bottom, it's one of the very best clashes. Exactly. But? You can see why it didn't do well on TV. Yes. Judging by quarter hour breakdowns, the problem with this show is that unlike the pattern with the most clashes, it didn't gather momentum as it went on. The show was strong with the Steiner versus Bader and Mr. Hughes on 3.2, which is good for an opener. They took the 3.7 for Smothers and Taylor versus Pillman and Bagwell. Continual growth is thought at this point with slight drops during. Oh, I forgot. We did have some singles. Well, well no, Richard Moore no Johnny promoted Bad. singles he, matches. Well, then, really. Richard Moore versus Johnny Bad, DDP versus PN News, and a pit back up to 3.7 for Captain Shepard versus Van Hammer, but another fall 3.5, which is terrible rating that late in the show for the Freebirds mess. The rating finally picked up during the six man tag match, it peaked at a 4.3. 
by 2.58 million homes and dipped slightly to a 4.2 for staying a steamboat, which is rude in Austin. Okay, Friday before the Clash announced that on all future pay-per-view and Clash cards, he's given an incentive bonus of $5,000 for whomever works the hardest and has the best match on the card. And he decided to get 2400 to Cactus Jack and 2400 to Van Hammer and 200 to Referee Nick Patrick for the Cactus Hammer Falls Canyon wearing Topeka match. If I remember Foley's book correctly, him and Hammer gave extra money to, pa- to Nick Patrick. Yeah, because Nick Patrick did, 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 did a lot of work in that match, too. Yeah. Missy should probably got some of that money as well. I, bu- I know Abby <laughs> did, if I remember correctly. Missy, I would hope, got some, too. Uh. Especially since she wasn't planning on taking the bump into the trough <laughs> that she took. <laughs> Yeah. After the top 10, how can Liger's title mean anything if neither he nor any of his challenges are ever in the top 10? Then Kip Fry, now going by the name Kate Allen Fry, was introduced as new vice president of WCW. Introduced Jason Ventura, who was very effective in his brief speech as far as adding assignment to the product, certainly more so than what followed, with them making the shocking first public disclosure of the Luger Steam Inner and Super Bowl, which had been specifically mentioned for two weeks prior on television commercials. So I guess they either don't know the commercials they run or they think nobody pays attention to what they what they say on their commercials, which if it's a ladder, why bother making commercials? Luger did an interview that was scientifically tested on laboratory mice to be coma-inducing, and Stain came out to a lot of his assignment with nothing to say, although Ventura still made me want to go to Milwaukee and see this pay-per-view. Jesse was great here. Um, Luger, not so much, and Stain will stink. But is it, how WCW is that, Bix? That's, <laughs> that's very, very WCW, everybody. <laughs> Two weeks we've been talking about this match. Oh, and let's announce it for the first time. <laughs> oh, my God. Shouldn't we also say David Crockett, everybody? <laughs> for that one, I think to some degree. Maybe, but... Who knows if that was, we're supposed to run yet? Yeah. Jesus. Jeff Ross apparently sitting for February 5th meeting to try and sign Jesse Ventura to a multi-year announcing contract. Since the current deal is just for the infomercial and the February 29th pay-per-view. That's right, folks. He was only signed for that one show. Think about that. He makes the deal, they, obviously. Yeah, yeah, but they bring him in for this big debut, and he only does, he only signed for one show. <laughs> I do want to say, too, like, besides Jesse being great, this did feel like a big deal at the time. Well, yeah, because Jesse was Jesse and hadn't been around in a while. He'd been out of wrestling for, what, a year and a half? Yeah. Paul Orndorff is apparently interested in coming in as a heel now that Jim Hurd is gone. Well, it happens Eventually. But he was a heel in Smoky Mountain first. Yes. And it's really good there. Really good in Smoky Mountain. It should be known that Kid France press conference Wednesday morning when asked about the steroid issue. Dodge a question by saying WCW is going to push wrestlers based on talent. And not muscles, and as a member of the Turner organization, they can't apply different standards to wrestlers as they do to the Braves and the Hawks. It's not the MLB or NBA test for steroids, although steroids aren't nearly the fact they're baseball or basketball that they are in pro wrestling. If that's the case, then the wrestlers should have all should have all their hotels and expenses paid on the road and be given meal money if you can't apply different standards to the wrestlers than the Braves and the Hawks. It's still premature to know that this is the extent of how far the store will go or just tip of the iceberg. But I can't believe anyone would have known the potential damage this story could do because in doing so, by the time they realized how damaging it could be, it would be far too late to control the damage. Yet that's where we stand. He's right. Dave's got an interesting point there about the uh, the other stuff. If you're going to treat them like the sprays and the hawks, then you got to do it all the way. You can't just uh, pick, pick and choose your issues. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, but and he's right, and... Looking back, especially with what they end up spending anyway, 
why didn't they try to get a leg up on the WWF by making the wrestlers employees or at least giving them some extra benefits? Who knows? I can't give you an answer. That's an interesting question. All right, February 6th Torch. Terry Gordy and Dr. Steve Williams were negotiating with WCM management last Wednesday, discussing a possible return. No agreement was made between the two sides, but Jim Ross sounded confident on the Jim Ross show on WSB Radio Sunday night that a deal could be worked out with Gordy and Williams. It wasn't just Bill Watts, folks. Mm-mm. I mean, yes, it's Bill Watts' guys, but this was in the works long before that. And it makes sense because they are a dominant force in Japan. Why not use them when they're in America? Mm-hmm. Polly Dangerous' contract WCW Express and April has tremendous leverage as top manager for wrestling today. WS lead manager is Harvey Whippleman, which means they would love to make a move to sign Dangerously. WCW cannot afford to lose Dangerously at this point since he's a focal point in the promotion. Come back and see me in three months. <laughs> three, four months. But <laughs> He was, though. Yes, and I'm willing to Dangerous Alliance that... is a, the big deal. If with the, is there interest from WWF, and if so, is that why he gets such a favorable contract? Could be both financially and in terms of being an employee. Either there's either there was that, that goes to what of, we were uh, just talking to talking about. Well, yeah, Paulie was able to get. But either there, but but what I'm trying to say is mm-hmm. is that was there really that, or did Paul maybe sell them that? WWF needs managers. They'll love to have me if my contract runs out. Have you seen their top manager? Exactly. What would, what would you think if I showed up at WrestleMania? So, oh, the WrestleMania happened early, early in his contract, so that probably wouldn't happen like that. But whatever, you know. Virtually all house show attendance is up, including Philadelphia this weekend. Enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> February 10th Observer. Well, maybe the most interesting early decision by WCW Executive Vice President Kip Fry is about to confront him. It'll be one that whatever decision he makes will be second-guessed. As some of you may have read elsewhere, WCW has had serious talks about bringing in Marty Janani and Shane Douglas as a rocker-like tag team. As irony would have it, more than a week ago, Janani allegedly had a squabble with police in Florida, which resulted in a car search, which turned up cocaine. Originally, WCW suspended Janani, who was sent to tour Japan in February, and not returned to the end of the month although he was on the cover of the new program, indefinitely, pending an investigation. The assumption within the dress room is another way of saying fired, at least for now. Well, I don't know this for certain. I believe reports of Janae Phil of cocaine tests are incorrect. WCW has a similar situation, which resulted in a two-week suspension of Mr. Hughes over an alleged incident in Atlanta this past week. Dix, uh, before we talk about Janae, Mr. Hughes' situation, a little bit different, wasn't it? Uh, dr- well, this one was a drug arrest, though. Oh, I thought that was the other one. Well, which other one? Narcolepsy. No, 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 no. Oh, no, this was not like a falling asleep. No, he ends up in rehab. All right, so this is a different one. Yeah. Though I don't believe Um, this this is anything like him falling asleep at a show and being told he has to go to rehab. No. He has an arrest and then goes to rehab. Janetti and Douglas. uh, Douglas had worked as a rocker. In WWF, when, when Sean uh, was Michael, yep. when Sean was injured, so that makes sense. Um, Janetti, uh, they just did the big angle. So, in a world when that happens, you take away the guy that would be a key part of this angle. That's a big deal. But he had the arrest. So, I, in public relations, 
and he's pretty much untouchable right now, even though it would have been a coup for them to bring him in. Pretty much, yeah, and that's also why he is gone from the WWF, too. Yes. If he's gone for some other reason, that would be one thing, but it's not a good call to make at that time, although... Well, he really fucked it up, didn't he? Yeah. Now, are we to presume, then, that the interest was in Douglas as a tag team wrestler, and that's why he doesn't come in for several more months? Way it looks, doesn't it? Now, he does come in as a singles, but he gets switched to being Steamboat's tag team partner pretty quickly. Yes. It doesn't last long. But that's more just to build him up as Magnum TA's protege and get wins with the belly-to-belly than anything else. Yeah. Kiff Rise, I mean, this week with Jesse Ventura. WCA wants to sign Ventura up for a multi-year contract, presumably try to build the anemic syndicated ratings by doing worldwide wrestling with Tony Schiavone, which that's what they would do, and uh, it worked out. Mm-hmm. Worldwide was much better with Tony and Jesse as the announcers, for sure. They'll probably bring back color commentary and roles for all the shows. It's no secret they want you to coordinate back to WCW, but don't expect that deal to be done. It's funny, but the, probably the best guy they could put in that role if they want material for syndication is right under their noses and worked on a job role in syndicated tapings on February 2nd, Scotty the Body. Yeah, I and they don't use I'm, him? Yeah, but I wouldn't put him as an announcer. He needs to be talent. No, at this point, he should be, but he could do both. He did both in other places. Yeah. The guy, I mean, there is a guy there that would they would do off and on, but was not a regular thing. Michael Hayes. Hayes and Ross always were a great team. Mm-hmm. Teddy Long is around. Yeah, Teddy was okay. I'm just saying, among people, he could do it. Uh, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> uh. Teddy was fine in, in what he did, but Jim Ross and Michael Hayes is where you go. Because Paul Heyman is doing his thing. He's, he's main talent. So, Or Dusty. I know everybody you know, hated Dusty at the, in the newsletters at the time, but Oh, Ross and Dusty was a fun team. And you can do a lot worse than the Booker announcer. Exactly. The Booker announcer, the Booker is getting over what he wants. Mm-hmm. That always works, in my opinion. So, but yeah, this is the beginning of uh, Scott, Scott Anthony here in the WCW, in a way. All right. Thir- February 13th, Torch. If the Florida Bill of Regulate Pro Wrestling had passed, WCW and Kip Fry's leadership has, has decided to pull out of the state because they would have to require steroid testing. Well, guess what happens? Well, no, the bill would have required steroid testing in the state, by the state. Yeah. So, That's what I said. Hey, guess what happens? The bill don't get passed. Yeah. And at this point in time, they're running a lot of shows in Florida. A lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a good title. look, though. They're doing title changes in Florida. Yeah, they're doing a lot there. Um, the February 17th Observer. Just days after Florida State Legislature voted down the bill to implement steroid testing of pro wrestlers, WCW Executive VP Kip Fry announced the promotion would be announcing an anti-steroid policy within the next week. No details about the policy were available at press time, but it will include wrestlers making public service anti-steroid promos on television. Hopefully Fry, who's a newcomer in the wrestling world, will realize the touchiness involved in this issue and not try to have wrestlers who have achieved the spotlight parcel through the use of steroids which covers a lot of grounds, and then make statements that give one the impression they would never touch stuff. Fry also in the con- said in the comments for this, some, this coming Sunday's Miami Herald, the WCW would be instituting a policy to post signs in front of the arenas when advertised talent isn't going to appear. I'm trying to think of the time. I, I guess they could have put, like, uh, Richard Morton out there for that. 
<laughs> who else can we say, Bix? They'll probably never use steroids in, in, in their, on their roster. Well, what ends up happening, though, is Pillman volunteers and says to go on TV and that I tried steroids, I had health problems from him, and I stopped. Well, that, yeah, it was good it worked out that way that he did that. I'm just imagining people. <laughs> Morton, uh, who else? Thomas um, Rich. Thomas Rich. Oh, man. Well, Rich did steroids. Oh, yeah. He, well, we think he did, yeah. Yeah. Briefly, but... Yeah. Uh, Abby. <laughs> Abby just standing there with subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> Foley, at that time, probably didn't. Hadn't done them. I, I mean, I don't know. Can't say. Just like I don't want to do the promo voice, but it would have been something like "Just like wrestling, Cactus Jack." Steroids are hazardous to your health. Type of thing. <laughs> yeah. Lots of news regarding newcomers and contract dealings. I must talk about negotiations between Kip Fry and Jeff Ventura in the middle of last week. Haven't resulted in a deal at press time. Don't be surprised for a deal that have been struck by the time you read this. However, WCW is offering Ventura a two-year deal to work between Shivani and Worldwide Wrestling Syndication, both do color on the clashes and pay shows. We'll be talking about this as we go along. Missy Hyatt agreed to a new two-year contract. So there you go on that She one. gets sexually harassed before she can finish that contract. And sees the yeah. company. <laughs> Nikita Koloff was also in this past week to return as a top singles babyface. Team with Sting and company against the Danish Alliance. Also has been to be heading in are Greg Valentine and Dick Slater as a heel tag team, though Lord only knows why. I like Slater and Valentine together. They were fun. Yeah. They were yes. they were they weren't being pushed to the top act, so they're fine. Also, here we get something that's blamed on Watts historically. And I think even th- at, at that time, but it was Fry who brought him in as a team. Slater and Valentine were a, a fine tag team to have as your US tag champions. No doubt. I had no problem with that. Scott Norton is supposed to be coming in as well. Apparently there's a face between Japan and Tours. And that's well that didn't happen, but that'd be interesting, yeah. He does come in a year later as a heel. Very briefly. Yeah. There's also talk of signing Big Van Vader up to an exclusive full-time deal and having him give it up his international commitments and push him as one of the lead group of heels against Sting. But given his Sweet Japan deal, estimated $200,000 per year for 12 weeks' work, it'll take a major financial commitment, one would think. That's a hell of a fucking deal. Yeah. <laughs> two hundred grand a year for 12 weeks. What does the WCWN deal end up being that he keeps Japan, but no full tours? Uh, yeah. He works big shows. Nice deal if you can get it. Yeah. As for Terry Gordon and Steve Williams, they were in the office about two weeks back, but no deal was reached, although there's a lot of speculation about a few with them and the Steiners down the road. Again, this is February. Not Bill Watts. Not Bill Watts. No talk whatsoever regarding Martin Janiner and or Shane Douglas, so you know how that's going. At the Russell Warren Jacksonville on May 19th. May 19th? Thank you. <laughs> The next pay-per-view will be June 27th at a Mobile, Alabama. There's also a clash scheduled for late June, and the Baltimore Bash will still be in mid-July, so apparently there are plans for a series of major events that require three major shows in less than a month. Boy, that worked out really well. Well, so wait a second. So at this point... Jim Crockett, everybody. No, but I'm also (laughs) saying, uh, at this point, the Bash pay-per-view is set to be in Baltimore, and that gets changed to, where is it, Augusta? Albany. Albany, Georgia. Yeah, because the bachelor was in Baltimore, but it got changed. All right, the February 20th torch, Rhodes and Fry on the Record by Mark Madden. Here we go. Last Wednesday, saw yours truly converse via Ma Bell. Boy, that's going to go over people's heads. With none other than Kay Allen Fry and you, Big Cheese WCW, that was 
That much of no surprise. What followed sure was. Dusty Rose is on line 22 for you, one of my subservient lackeys in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Post-Sports Department said. Dusty Rose on line 22 for me? After years of doing Crisco-coded parodies of his life story, after helping make the wrestlers every year book into Dusty Rose books, after dedicating a good deal of my pastime of wrestling journalism calling him fat, Dusty Rose is on line 22 for me. After wiping the surprise from my eyes and smacking a snicker, but not a snickers from my lips, logic dawned. It was a joke. No, no joke. Although I've often equated Dusty with such. What followed was a 20-minute talk with the American dream. A talk devoid of jive, devoid of obfuscated answers, devoid of wrestling kayfabe bullshit, but certainly not totally devoid of bullshit, I'm sure. For example, how to suppress a chuckle when Dusty waxed poetic about WCW's young stale of up-and-coming superstars and definitely kept from wondering aloud if Junkyard Dog and Nikita Koloff were on that troop. But give Dusty credit. I'm sure he knew who I was and what I'd written about him, unless I'm even more significant than I think, and he was very gracious, helpful, and honest, as I really think he could afford to be. He called me voluntarily after all the stuff I'd written about him. And in fact, for that, I must say Dusty Rose is a better man than I. And let us not forget Callan Fry, my kind of guy. Kip Fry, packing more honesty, cooperation, openness in 20 minutes and all my previous thoughts with Mr. Large Pie with pepperoni. <laughs> Jim Hurd, of course, had previously been a Pizza Hut executive yes. and was called the Pizza Man. And while, yes. And while Dusty Rose's opinion is significant in the fact he did a lengthy non-KFAB interview is earth-shattering, Kip Fry's thoughts may have even more impact in the long run. He says call any time and I plan on it. Excerpts from Dusty Rose interview, February 12, 92. Dusty on his return to WCW. When I got here, it's created the red that we were in a tremendous hole. I'm not going to say whose fault it was, but we had to create new talent. So we introduced seven new guys. They had great athletic backgrounds, but they were green. And at this level, you have to be able to perform. Next, you got to quit doing that shit. It's not a training ground. It's Broadway. you got to be ready. <laughs> okay. But now the people we have are ready. we got to be bringing the matchup back in 92. Quit making changes while I'm trying to read. I had to fix something that I missed. Well, I don't give a fuck. Quit making changes while I'm trying to read. <laughs> Dusty on Kip Fry. Kip is very energetic and very positive. He's a visionary. Now I feel like I'm a very positive person, too. But negativity we had before, Fry, was bringing me down. When you're the quarterback of a football team that gets a new coach and a new atmosphere, that new coach can win with the same players. That's how it's going to be with Kip Fry. I have a guy who was telling me to do it my way. Win, lose, or draw. It's made it easy for me to try and move forward. I'm not afraid to throw an interception now or try for a touchdown. Okay, by the way, Madden or Wade clearly makes a mistake because in brackets that should have been Hurd and not Fry. Yeah. Dust and there's between Fry and Jim Hurd. Getting ideas is what it's all about. Ideas from everyone involved. Kip will be contributing ideas too, but in the past I had no rebuttal. If Hurd had an idea, I had no rebuttal. And while I'm always prepared to support my ideas, he wasn't. I like to consider all ideas, weigh all ideas. Now I'll still do that. But till, but I'll make the final decisions. I'll make sure the TV is all right, that the talent is used all right. If we lose, it won't be anyone's fault but mine. If we do good, it'll be good for all of us. Dusty on his past as a booker. You don't go to child, college to be a creative coordinator, to be talent coordinator. I learned my 23 years in the wrestling business from people like Eddie Graham in Florida. I went to college of Eddie Graham. Bill Watts went to college of Eddie Graham. I feel I've been very innovative. Things like the last Tangle of Tampa, which came before any of the other big shows like Starcade or WrestleMania. I've always done new stuff. Now I'll be doing new stuff again. I won't be drawing on the past. All I needed was for someone to tell me to go do it. Dusty on a competition with WBF. I'm sure your newspaper wants to be better than the other newspaper in town or in Philadelphia. 
You just want to be better. Now, I grew up at the same time as Vincent Mann Jr. We're the same age, and we both studied from his father, although he did it a different way. I was a star for his father. Vince has a set of standard for wrestling the way he thinks it should be. I feel that when the music's over and the smoke clears, it's what's in the ring that counts. Vince doesn't care about the in-ring product like me. Now, I respect and admire Vince. It's great going to be going to head up with a great Vincent Mann. I feel I've always <laughs> had a better. <laughs> I feel I've always had a better in-ring product than Vincent Mann. I mean, play music, blow smoke, shoot me out of the can, or dress me up like an Indian. But once the bell rings, I feel I produce a better product. In '86 and '87, we were right on Vince's door, and as things are transpiring now, we're knocking on the door again. If we can give the fans the in-ring product we plan to give them, make them go with Marshall saying that was a hell of a deal, then I think I'm a, I can bust Vince's balls, and that's my goal—to bust his balls. I'm sure his goal is to bust mine. The time is even better now, though, than it was in 86 and 87, to move in and press the rest of the fans with some antics of mine. But you need competition. Football would all be boring if there was only one team. I want us to both to do well, but I want to be the leader in 92 and 93. Let's stop for a second. Um, boy, was he covering himself there. <laughs> uh? Yeah? <laughs> what else you want to say? Well, also... I like this so more so far more than any of the answers you can read in your head as a dusty promo, or in the promo voice at least. Like, I'm for your newspaper. Want to be better than the other newspaper in town or in Philadelphia. You just want to be better. Now I grew up at the same time as Vince McMahon. We're the same age. And we both studied from his father, although he did in a different way. I was a star for his father. Vince has better stand for wrestling the way you think it should be. And then blah, 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 blah. And then, of course, you can imagine Dusty talking about being thought out of a cannon and all that stuff. <laughs> but you know what I mean? This, is the, this yeah. is the most lyrical of the Dusty answers we've seen so far. Oh, yeah. And Dusty's right. I mean, he went to college of Eddie Graham. Um, Bill Watts went to college of Eddie Graham. I mean, that was like going to school. That's who they learned the business from. Mm-hmm. It's a shame that Eddie died like he died and we didn't have Eddie Graham live long enough to be someone to do like a shoot interview or something like that, or just talk about the rest of business. Cause when you watch your interviews and you listen to the guys talk that worked for him, they all said the same fucking thing that they learned the business from Eddie Graham. That when you weren't with Eddie Graham, I mean, you, you learned it. So mm-hmm. it's a shame. Only you know what, to go along with that too, this never really gets talked about, but the decline and death of the territories, you have less bookers for guys to be assistants and learn from. Yep. Absolutely. Gonna have a harder time creating new bookers or developing new bookers, I should say. Mm-hmm. Yep. Dusty on who the next big drawn card in wrestling would be. I don't see any Dusty Rhodeses or any Ric Flairs, any Hulk Hogan's. I don't know. Terry Allen and I look to 40, 50 tapes a week. Guys you've heard of, but they all look the same, all bodybuilders. Now you take guys like that, bring them into the gym, tear them, rub their nose in the mat, and then say, okay, they're tough. For the first time they walk through that curtain, I mean, will the fans take to them? Will they have charisma? I don't know who next Hulk Hogan is, but he's out there, and I want to find him. That was kind of a problem this era, folks. They were looking for too many guys like Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a problem. Dusty on the goals of WCW intercept Kit Fry. Whenever you see Pat Summerall or someone doing a football game, you always hear lines like, that looks like the WWF. We want them to say, that looks like WCW. We want WCW to be the wrestling company that rolls off everyone's tongue. That was a big problem for them. 
It, it, well, yeah, always. We talk about it on the main show a lot. Right. Let's not forget the uh, the po- the uh, newspaper that was promoting WCW preview. That picture of Steve Stone Cold Steve Austin in it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ, Dusty on steroids. Well, we know he never used them. Now I can't speak for Kid, but I know he's coming with a policy for our company. I'll be in line with what will be used for the Hawks and Braves. Now, ready? We shot some spots from Arn Anderson, Ricky Steamboat, and Brian Pillman talking about steroids. God knows Arn and Steamboat never use them. First what are you thing, <laughs> first thing I'm speaking hey, for myself. What are you t- That's what I'm trying to That's say. Sarcastic. Well, Arn, I think people don't realize, but I, I think he does. He admit it in those spots. I don't know if he does or not because I haven't seen him in forever in a day. But you can look at Arn Anderson in certain eras and know he's jacked. He's on him. Yes. That said, I do think Steamboat more or less got off the gas after his WWF run. First, and I'm speaking only for myself, I believe that an athlete has the ability and has charisma. Well, I know you know how I look, and I drew tremendous money. I was a humongous star. And Dustin grew up on the road with guys like me and Dick Murdoch and Barry Windham, and he saw that natural ability could be the answer. And that's why he doesn't take steroids and why he's well on his way to making it. Back in the old days, guys like Gene Kaniski, wrestlers came in all different shapes and sizes. And that was part of their personality, part of their appeal. Now everyone tries to look at the road warriors. You need athletic ability, the ability to talk, the ability to wrestle. You don't need to worry that much about how you look. You need to worry about how you perform. Well, but you need, you do need the variety mm-hmm. of of looks and stuff, you know? Oh, absolutely. You don't need uh, a bunch of dudes that all look the same. So, And it's interesting, too, that... I mean, it's true, though. And people, I don't think, always realize it with Dusty, but you got to watch his earlier stuff to really notice it because he was a great athlete. Not in the usual great athlete package, but he was. If you're going to talk about guys that were naturals in the ring and not just with the nickname for Dustin either, I mean, Dusty, Barry, Dustin, and Murdoch are all great examples of that. Mm Mm-hmm. Dustin Riffler's departure. We did tremendous business with each other, and it was a great rivalry, like Magic and Bird. I love that comparison. But in Rick's mind, I think in the last three or four years, he felt like he had never been to the big show, and he began to dwell on it. I said, you never know until you go. But now he's so far out of his element. I mean, after all, all those hour draws and all that blood, sweat, and tears, and when this runs over, where will he go? What will he do? It's too late for him to come back here and for us to repackage him. We were in a hole where we lost him, but we've done a lot of developing since then. We're in a great position now to dig our way out without him. Hope Rick has a long run with Vince, but I don't think it'll be that long. Well, guess who won the pony? <laughs> That's a very interesting answer there and statement. Um, well, he's not outright saying too, it. It's too late for him to come back in for us to repackage him. It's going to be Spartacus. But, you know... And him saying he's out of his element. He was. They didn't let him be Ric Flair. <laughs> he's not the nature nope. boy. He's only called the nope. nature boy, I think, on primetime. On his debut. And I think that's it. Yeah. And if it's... Or it may not even be that. He's, call, he's called nature boy, I think, at some point during the Heenan segments. And then maybe on primetime, and that's it. Because there was only one nature boy, Bix, Buddy Rogers. Yes, the world, first World Wrestling Federation champion. Mm-hmm. A lot of... A lot of- Interesting stuff there about Dustin Flair. All right, Dustin Hulk Hogan. I know Terry's talking with Japan, shoot name, and I think he's always had Japan in the back of his mind. He's a phenomenon. He's the only wrestler ever that's bigger than the business itself. 
But I don't think we'd be interested in him. It'd be like Rick Package and Ric Flair. Oh, he'd be fine for a quick fix, sure. But when he and Flair came to the Omni, which is everything in the kitchen sink, as far as Vince is concerned, they got about 4600 paid. That's it. What are they going to do next time? They didn't do that great of a house at the Omni. And WWF always had problems at the Omni. That's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Do you think, though, that they wouldn't, they wouldn't have had any interest in Hulk Hogan at this time? If they, if they had the opportunity? You kind of got to knock, knock on the door there. Yes, but here's something that goes to what Dusty is saying. When Hogan ends up going, you know, two and a half years later, the entire promotion is remade in his image. Absolutely. And the interesting line there about Japan. Hulk Hogan loved Japan, folks. That's where he became Hulk Hogan, really. That's where he became a big In a lot of ways. Before the AWA. Yeah. And that's the reason why he never became AWA champion, because he wouldn't give Vern uh, any of his Japan money, and Vern was trying to keep him away, and all this other stuff. Right, because he's a New Japan guy, and the AWA title deal was with All Japan. Exactly. So, do you th- how do you think you think it would have been, as if, and, you know, in 85, when Vince is having his issues in New Japan, if Hogan says, listen, I'm going to stick with New Japan. Because let's look at WF85. I mean, WrestleMania does great and stuff. And, and, they, and they got the cartoon and all that stuff. I mean, they're doing, they're doing okay. They're getting there. They're not. I'm just, when the Saturday Man event starting up. So, I mean, they're doing great. They're doing great. But Hogan leaving, you could see an argument for him to do that if he wanted to. And then that totally changes everything. But, uh, I mean, yeah. Do we know if they missed any payments to Hogan or anyone else? I don't think so. Before the loan, before, not the loan, before the Crockett money and the Japan, New Japan money and everything came in? I don't think so. I mean, you could be wrong, but I don't think so. But yeah. All right, that's Dusty. And we Let's should go say, to too, if yeah. he'd never done this before, I don't think he does this again. Big ups to Dusty for doing this. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Kip Fry, same day. Fry, I might as well go to WCW. Or because Jack Friedrich asked me to. <laughs> Fry and WCW chain commanding under him. Basically, it worked the way it worked before. Dusty's the booker, he reports to me. I told Faith and Dusty. Under our new system, he'll be able to shine like never before. I'd be ultimate say if it comes to that. But for now, Dusty has a for our wrestling product. I have a tremendous relationship with Dusty. I believe he's very talented. He just wasn't put into a situation where he could do the best he could in the past. We're going to market and promote this product like never before. He's going to have more confidence putting him than ever before. He's my guy. He has to go out there and do it. Fry on Dusty's wrestling future. He's not going to get in the ring. That isn't in the cards. There you go. Fry on whether he'll be coming with ideas a la Jim Hurd. I encourage everyone in this company to contribute ideas. I think I have a sense for drama, a sense for show business. But for the majority of our wrestling ideas, we'll be depending on Terry Allen and Dusty. They will be the spearhead in the booking area. I'm sure I'll have a few suggestions for them in the future. But I'll be busy doing things more concerned with the promotion. I think this comes this company has dropped the ball in the peripheral areas of promotion and publicity. Getting our wrestling in the community and finding a positive way to address the steroid issue of my current concerns. That's the focus for me. I feel those are the areas where I'm most needed. That, I mean... That's great to hear the guy say that because... House show promotion was their biggest problem. 
exactly more than anything else. But he's a guy that admits I'm not a wrestling guy. I'm gonna put the wrestling, you know, the issues with my wrestling people. But I will be the guy. I could give the suggestions, and I'll be their overseer. They use the word that they used earlier. But I'm not going to take the full um, load here. I'm not gonna be like Jim Hearn. That's the that was the problem with, with Jim Hearn. Was Jim Hearn was kept trying to interject his ideas with Dusty. Long John Silver. Ric Flair Spartacus. Yeah. yeah. So that's a refreshing change there. And it allows your bookers to have the, the autonomy that they needed. Prime steroids will be announced the whole policy. The whole program about steroids has been a week. We have to come up with something including the Hawks and Braves too. We can't impose test program on one group and not the other. We're putting together a big program dealing with all the realities of steroids. I can tell you now that we just got done taping some PSAs with Ricky Steamboat, Arnold Anderson, and Brian Pillman concerning steroids. In Brian's case, he's a person who's used steroids in the past, which is why we sought him out. This business is full of guys that use steroids. I feel very strongly in the steroid issue. I feel I need to do everything I can to get them out of our company. I want people to understand that steroids and such that matter aren't what make a great wrestler. We have to make our guys understand they still have jobs that go from 260 to 230. We have to make them understand that we don't expect nor encourage steroid use. We want these guys to do everything they can to get off them and know that they'll still have jobs once they do. That's an awesome sentiment. I mean, that is an awesome sentiment. He's telling you, said, listen, guys, uh, if you drop all this mass, you know, you'll still have a job. It's the specificity of it. Yeah. It's not just, oh, we're drug testing now. It's the definitive, you know, the definitive stuff. Um, He's very forthright here I, I mean i love that and that's when they make it fraud you didn't sense a lot of bullshit no coming from him not a lot of bullshit at all and, and that and that's not what you got from jim hurd no and also we can you know theoretically to some degree why he took the job you can tell though that he's a wrestling fan oh well, yeah to well, what he's got degree the, who knows but it seems like he has the best interest at heart too mm-hmm where most wrestling people don't care about steroids or they think that, you know, you have to take them because you, know, you got it's, it's wrestling is about aesthetics. Yep. But, you know, Fry's about, he wants to push, you know, say it's the end ring that's important, which Dusty just said too. And you don't have to be a big dude. Right. Especially there where what differentiates them from the WWF is their end ring. Exactly. Cause WF is just guy full of guys that are jacked to the gills at this point in time. I mean, you got guys like Warlord and Davy Boy and guys like that, you know, prominently feuding. So, Dino Bravo is still technically in the company. Well, we're in February '92, so he's dead. No, he's not dead for another year. I was '93. That's right. That's right. Shit, I knew it was February. But yeah, he's technically the company. He's not really working. But well, no, the 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 like babyface return in Montreal. I think is '92. That's Montreal. Well, whatever. I'm not counting Montreal specific shows. Okay. He's on television. Brian competition with WF. Of course, WF is our competition. I'm a young, fairly aggressive guy. I'm second. He's first. And I feel like I don't want to be second. We've done some things to try to close the gap with them, including the rest of you mentioned, Rude, Steam, et cetera. I think I and Jesse was big too. Now, my background, we'll be trying to make our TV look better and play better. Hey, you got to go off from the top spot. Do what you got to do. Yeah, and in terms of looking better, 
I, I don't know. I feel like the syndicated shows looked mostly fine. Although they probably did look a little better under him. Saturday, I, well, excuse me, the Saturday evening show, World Championship Wrestling, center stage had gotten kind of ugly looking. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It needed the revamp. Yeah, and the launch of Saturday night, the way they redressed it was good. Yes. Trying possible additions like Marty Janani or Legion of Doom. I haven't spoken with Marty or Janani. I've heard the LOD rumors. With Vince's guys when they call and guys have called me, I tell them to have their lawyer send me a letter to be sure that neither he nor I would be in breach of contract. With Janetti, it's very hard to talk hypothetically, but they could be coming in with a real problem off the bat. And no one's automatically out because of past problems. Anyone under the right circumstances can be rehabilitated, and that's going to be part of our steroid deal. To get back to your question, no, I haven't talked to Marty Janetti, but I would be glad to talk. Well, that's quite the interesting answer, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So he's saying here on record that it's not about uh, their issues. Interesting. Very interesting. Fry on Flair's departure. I was a lawyer on the Ric Flair situation. I was following Jim Hurst's directions. I respect Rick, but he was here in a long time. If he were still here, I wouldn't see him as the future of the company. Ooh. You have to bring the young guys along at some point. If he were still here, I wouldn't look at Flair as WWE's money ball player for the next three years. But he would be an important integral part of the company. WF would be in a lot of trouble if they didn't have him. Well, I don't know about all that. But who's saying that they're not in a lot of trouble now anyway? So, Fry saying kind of the same thing as Herb was saying here in a way. You mean Dusty? Or Herb? Well, what do you mean? Well, no, no, I'm talking about what Herb's... No, I mean what Herb's deal was with Flair the year earlier. Where Herb was trying to push Flair out of the the main main event situation. Mm Mm-hmm. We've talked about this. You know, he wanted to push Flair down a little bit. And Kid Fry saying that Flair wouldn't be WWE's money ball player. He'd be a key part, but he wouldn't be the guy. And as we learned with Ric Flair, especially in, in this time period, you know, pretty much the whole, whole 80s and early 90s stuff, after he's world champion, if he's not world champion, he's not happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unless, unless the situation where he, he, uh, I mean, he definitely owed Sting. I mean, he definitely wanted to drop the title of Sting. There's no doubt there. Okay, he was that that was his, Sting was his guy, but that was it. That was the only thing. He, that was the only way he'd do it. He wasn't gonna drop the Luger to, multiple times. You know, and that was the big deal here with uh, with one of the main reasons he left ninety one because they wanted to drop a Luger. He didn't want to do it. Hmm. Ric Flair was, was selfish in a lot of ways. And and you know what? There, I, I Hey, if I'm in Ric Flair's spot, I'm going to be selfish too. Yeah. But sometimes you, sometimes you have to – sometimes though you have to do as, uh, you know, as been stated many times on WWE television, you got to do what's best for business. And sometimes you need to take a step back a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Then, then it's time to go back up. You go back up. And we should know, too, that when the whole thing goes down with Herd, what do they do to try to get Flair to drop the belt? They, they try schedule, to get Barry, Barry Windham. Because if Flair they, was set to drop the belt to Barry Windham, they knew that Flair wouldn't deny Barry a shot. Exactly, because Barry was one of Flair's guys. But Flair was so entrenched on leaving that it was just nothing they could do then. If Ryan Luger's upcoming departure, Lax, his deal was done before I got here. It's not like he's going to bring the company down by leaving. 
I like Lex. I think he has something to offer. He just wants time off. <laughs> well, I mean, he did get time off from wrestling regardless. That was part yeah. of what he's doing. Yeah. So. All right. Postmortem. My current wrestling interests lie primarily in Stanford. I grew my eyes riveted to the TV when Ric Flair was on it, whether Mid-Atlanta Wrestling or TBS. Now Ric Flair is working for Vince McMahon. Hell, he's a franchise for Vince. I feel like I would be cheating myself if I didn't watch the denouement of a career of the greatest wrestler of all time. And Dusty, it's going to be much longer denouement than you think. I think you shine his shoes to get him back right this second. I think you would try to shine his shoes to get him back sooner or later. And I think you'd be right to do so, but I digress. I'm an NWA guy. I watched WWF, but I'm watching NWA too. When I was a kid, I always knew Harley Race kicked Bob, Ack- Bob Ackland's butt. I always knew Ric Flair kick off Hogan's butt too. And lo and behold, he finally did it. Always one. Ric Flair's in the WWF, but that's an NWA guy wearing that belt. I don't know if he feels that way, but that's sure how it looks. All that said, I want the NWA or WCW to do well. It's traditionally been the closest thing to legitimate looking you know, entertainment professional wrestling this side in Japan. But lately, as Al Bundy would say, it blows. It sounds like Kiff Raw really wants to change that. He seems to have a very clear vision of what's wrong with WCW. He seems ambitious yet sincere. Jim Herbert's just there to indulge himself in power trips, play armchair booker, and drink with Jim Ross. Kiff Raw wants to get the job done. Can he? It depends if Dusty Rhodes wants to get the job done. Sounds like he does too, but we've all heard that before. As I said, he was very polished and gracious in an interview. But one thing that has kept him on top of this business for such a long time is his gift the gab. He's always had great ideas. He hasn't always executed them. Can he? I don't know, but I hope so. If not, I hope Kiffer I recognize it and get someone in there who can. Somebody like Terry Funk or Jim Cornette. We've all talked about new ideas. What could be wrong with some new blood? But let me make one thing clear. Dusty Rose was fair with me, so I'm going to be fair with him. Dusty Rose is a clean set with me right now. In fact, maybe I was wrong about Dusty. Was I wrong to take him a task about being the most out of shape overpushed wrestler in history? By characterizing himself as a megastar when in fact he was more of a regional phenomenon? For pushing his son initially, for becoming a polka dotted clown of Vince Man Circus, making Gary Mark Capetta lie about his weight and in ring introductions, making everyone talk about him on interviews, for totally managing, mangling the NWA UWF merger, for conjuring up the disgusting mental spectacle of him having sex with, I can't say it, baby doll, for screwing Ric Flair out of the NWA. Nah, I was wrong. I wasn't wrong. But the future is now, Dusty. Get it done. And by the way, WCW can overtake WF if it beats him to the punch and eliminating steroids. I love what Fry and Dusty had to say in that regard. And so far cry from Hurst's inalienable right to take steroids rant, huh? <laughs> Mark Madden, folks. He is what he is. What do you think about his statements there? I think for someone who just talked to Dusty on a more human level, it seems like he's not quite seeing the forest from the trees. Yeah. Um. Oh no! Someone asked a ring announcer to give a non-real weight. <laughs> That's never happened in wrestling before. The hard-ons that some of these guys had for Dusty Rhodes—it was so funny, though. You know, it's like that they—they just could not—they could not help themselves. And I mean, it's okay. I mean, that's fine, but. You know, you're supposed to be in the media. You kind of need to be kind of professional, I think. Man, especially. He works for a newspaper. Yes. But he is a columnist, so he's he's kind of. I mean, he's different in that way. He can get he he can get more leeway in that regard as being a columnist. Although he wasn't necessarily a columnist in the Post Gazette. 
I think he was a gay sports reporter, technically. Well, he was kind of a columnist in the Gazette. No. He was a columnist in the Torch, for sure. But yeah, I still think that he was, I mean, if you want to look at it like more, you know, like it is, he was, he was basically a columnist that did some reporting, too. So. I guess. And would do some features. and Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's go to the Observer, the 24th, February 24th. Rise, you story policy talked of last weekend should be finalized sometime during this coming week. You talked about the policy on the Pro Wrestling Spotlight Radio Show Sunday night in vague terms, but seemed to indicate the policy wouldn't include steroid testing. Price said he doesn't want to create a police state with steroid testing, apparently in reference to Titan Sports. The term police state hardly appears to be an accurate term to describe the steroid program. At press time, it's thought by those inside the company that the policy would consist of a six month to one year period. In which all wrestlers would get to wean themselves off steroids with the company providing a drug rehab and counseling program. From talking with Fry and other employees, I believe he's sincere about this subject, but some wrestlers are skeptical of any effect of a policy which doesn't include enforced punishment for nonconformity. That's not as serious as this. he made it sound, is it? It sounds like he's kind of taking a relaxed tone in this. We'll give you the time to get off of it. I mean, what's your thoughts on this? I feel like I want to hold my tongue a little bit till we get to the actual policy in the next segment in a few minutes. Okay. Well, I don't. I see. I don't read. I don't read this stuff. So I don't know where stuff is going. No, I know. So. But um, you get a bit. What I'll say is this, and I think we should just move on for that reason. You get a better idea of what he's talking about once we see the actual policy. So, so let's let's move on for now, and then we'll talk more about that in a bit. I yeah see I don't read this ahead of time folks. So, <laughs> again, I may ask stuff that's going to be covered. Whatever. All right, lots of news regarding personnel. Dustin Rose, Steve Austin, Brian Pillman all signed two-year contracts. These new contracts have a base salary plus incentives. I believe both Rhodes and Austin signed for bases of one sixty-five and one hundred ninety thousand. But incentives will push that total up from there. Pillman had been heavily pursued by WWF, which is apparently looking at rating back the, in the opposite direction. That would have been interesting. Pillman going to WF in 92? Well, Conan's still there, kind of. He's an opponent. I know. Yeah, but is that really doing anything? I think Pillman made the right choice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because he goes to WF, he's going to get lost in the shuffle in this time time span. Now, those salaries, how, how are they in regards to the other salaries at the time? Um, Sting was making seven fifty, I believe, and I'm not sure about anyone else in this time period. Okay. Although I, I think we do have uh, John B. Bad coming up a little later. All right, Jason Ventura signed his contract press time, but apparently on good terms midweek for a two year deal that goes worldwide wrestling and is scheduled to start around the first of March. They'll also no doubt continue to coast off heavy and clash programs. There you go. Terry Gordon, and Steve Williams also have a signed contract. Well, they are closer to have or verbally agreed to part-time deals between Japan tours. Again, well before Bill Watts there. Mm-hmm. And? Johnny Bass, I don't win your contract. We're going to So there. Yeah, and we've talked about yeah. this before, by the way. I know WCW was basic guarantees and, you know, WWE's downside, so you don't really know what anyone makes anyway. It is weird just how much the game has changed in terms of us knowing what people make. Oh, absolutely. Nobody talks about that no more. Oh, no. No, no. Kev Rice up John Rezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight Radio Show. He's looking into cutting ticket prices at all house shows. 
Announcement was made Saturday night in Baltimore that they were from the mainland. 1992 tickets would be 12, 10, and 540. Well, that's a good idea to do that. 540? <laughs> there must be something significant to that. I don't know. Yes. Uh, now, unfortunately, all this did was lower the gates at the house shows. Uh, yeah. <laughs> PRG Barry Norman was fired. There you go. Well, if you're trying to remake the company's image, what do you expect? Yeah, he did such a great job. He was there. I expect major changes in format and content. WCW Saturday Night Show. I'll say. Oh, here's the answer to the question from earlier. Michael Hayes won't be doing any color commentary because they don't want to use anyone involved in angles on commentary. And the Freebirds will be getting an angle around April. I expect Madam T.A. to do color along with Teddy Long as there will be color commentators on every show. The Freebirds angle in April was... Which I'm uh, liking Going on. for the U.S. Tag Titles. Oh, what a big angle. And Precious coming <laughs> back. Well... Yeah, but that was a one-time appearance. I think she might have done one more, but yeah. Again, that's a detriment, though. Hey, you should have been on color commentary, but whatever. You know what the problem is? That, uh, do you just fire Jimmy Garvin? No, I mean, they could still work. Oh, you say he should just be they, he should just be Freebird Michael Hayes doing commentary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what he did everywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if he had to wrestle a match, he could leave and do his match. Somebody else fill in. They just used him three years earlier. He was pushed. He was yeah. U.S. champion. <laughs> While doing color on the Saturday Night Show. And he was awesome in that, in that time period at that. Also, best, ever, best he ever was in the ring as a singles wrestler, too. Absolutely. All right, let's go to March. March 2nd Observer. World Championship Wrestling officially addressed the subject of anabolic steroids and related substances with a nine-page policy finalized Thursday by Executive Vice President Kip Fry. The major points of the policy are as follows. Wrestlers may not, under any circumstances, use anabolic steroids, growth hormones, related substances, or masking agents designed to hide the presence of steroids or related substances in a wrestler's system. Bookers, trainers, and other wrestling personnel may not condone, encourage, supply, or otherwise facilitate in any way the use of steroids, or any related substance. WCW physicians may not prescribe or otherwise supply or facilitate a wrestler's use of steroids, including by prescribing or otherwise supplying masking agents except in cases of legitimate medical need. All WCW personnel, including wrestlers, are subject to discipline by the executive vice president for violation of this policy of federal or state laws relating to possession and distribution of steroids. So I'll scroll down. Fry will establish a wrestler's advisory committee comprised of three wrestlers elected by their peers to participate and give input into the subject. The complete anti-steroid program will be directed by Fry, the committee, a medical advisor, and a consulting toxicologist appointed to the committee. The medical advisor will be a physician knowledgeable in the field of anabolic steroids and will be made available to confidentially consult with wrestlers on steroid-related matters. The medical advisor will conduct quarterly seminars regarding steroids and other controlled substances, of attendance mandatory for all wrestlers and fines imposed for absences. The advisor will be available free of charge on a confidential basis for counseling and or medical treatment. The WCB Booker will be required to maintain a policy promoting wrestlers based on ability and fan acceptance, not merely size. All booking decisions will be reviewed periodically by the Executive Vice President to ensure compliance with this directive. All new wrestler contracts will contain a clause creating a bonus of up to 10% of the wrestler's annual salary for voluntary testing. Between the sixth and ninth month after the inception of this policy, the executive vice president will evaluate the program and decide at that point whether and when to institute mandatory anabolic steroid testing. 
WCW wins two mandatory random unannounced testing should the volunteer compliance program fail to meet its objectives. Any wrestler tested positive will be subject to unannounced reasonable cause testing at a frequency determined by the medical advisor in consultation with the executive vice president. Failure or refusal to take a test will be considered a positive test subject to similar discipline. Penalty for failure will be, for the first positive test, the wrestler will be required to undergo counseling under the supervision of the advisor and will not be allowed to return until testing negative. For the second positive test, the wrestler will be suspended without pay for a minimum of three months. For a third positive test, the wrestler will be banned from World Championship Wrestling. Confidential of wrestlers' medical conditions test results will be protected to the maximum extent possible, but it is recognized that wrestlers who are disciplined for violating this policy will come to the attention of the media and the public. Neither the advisor or consulting toxicologist or anyone in their employ is permitted to comment publicly on behalf of WCW or communicate with the news media concerning those activities. Any wrestling employee that publicly divulges directly or indirectly information concerning positive drug tests or otherwise breaches the confidentiality provisions of the policy is subject to a fine of up to $10,000 by the executive vice president. So what does all this mean? Basically, all wrestlers who sign new contracts from this point forward can earn a bonus of 10% of their salary. Voluntarily testing on a regular basis for steroids and passing all the tests for one year. The company will provide medical counseling and medical supervision to help wean wrestlers off steroids if the wrestler desires such. The wrestlers can refuse to submit for the testing with no penalties attached. However, at some point, probably between six and nine months from this point, if the policy isn't working, one would expect the end result would be mandatory unannounced testing. The booking policy contains the major loophole, which is fan acceptance. Since it is, at least still today, much easier for a larger and more muscular wrestler to get over to the public, even if the booker throws out size and muscularity itself as a criterion. I always felt that was overrated. Um, to the general public, it's not. I'll tell you this for a fact. Um, people like us are a different type of wrestling fan than your people that just watch wrestling for casual. They want um, larger. I've life. heard. Well, they want that. They just they want guys to look like superheroes or just look like you know major characters. Mm-hmm. I've heard it said many for. I've heard people say so. Why? Don't, why? I mean, this is like people in, in my peer group yeah. that watch wrestling. I don't get the deal with Daniel Bryan. It's like, why is, why is he popular? You know, he looks like a troll. You know, and those exact words. You know, I don't get it. And these are people that they're, they're fans of like Randy Orton and, you know, Triple H and, and the bigger guys. Batista, they're fans of the bigger guys. And the guys that look like what a wrestler, quote unquote, should look like. Um, the perfect, I mean, and, and that goes into women's wrestling too. I know, I know, male wrestling fans today that will constantly talk about how they wish WWE would go back to the old ways of having their women wrestlers, bikini contest, you know, oh, the shit stick you should do on the diva search. That's what they want in their women on television. They don't want them in competitive matches because that's, that's just the way they see it. So there is a fan base for that type of stuff that are into those those type of deals there. So it is there is that. And this era of wrestling fans that we're talking about here in 1992, I mean, WWF was what got over to the major casual audience, right? What were they pushing? Guys based on size and how they looked. That was the most important thing in a lot of ways. Hulk Hogan, the ultimate warrior, you know, guys like that. So Dave, I mean, Dave is correct here. 
in that in that sense. Now it's different. Absolutely now it's, it's different. But back then it wasn't. It really wasn't about a lot of in-ring ability in that time, this place. Well, but I'm also thinking of it from the perspective of the WCW's audience, though. Was well, WCW's audience well, – well, yeah, but what's WCW trying to do, though? No, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. But even when WCW is more successful, even when WCW is the biggest wrestling promotion in the world, guys can get over by having good matches and just good matches. But, uh, there's a difference between being over and do, and drawing money, too. Sure. That's what I'm trying to say. There is a difference. Who was being pushed in the main events? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll say this. let me say this, though. Sting, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Lex Luger, Randy Savage. Well, guys that, you know, oh, had, were not small guys. Yes. Okay. If DDP had the diamond cutter but was otherwise still terrible, do you think he would have gotten over? Um, the diamond cutter helped, but DDP got over because they, they booked him in a way where he kind of, he stood up to the NWO. But even before that, he was getting over above his kind push. Of. He was getting over to a certain fan base. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't become drawing money DDP until he's savage. Right. And getting one up on the NWO and really being the first. Is exactly. What gets him there. But yeah. still. Again, like I said, there's a difference between being over and drawing money. Sure. But Duggan was over, too, and he wasn't, you know, having good match. But my point is, but also the other matches were part of the package in WCW, too. Yeah. But that, but again, that was their role. But WCW rarely, outside of herd, pushed guys based on appearance anyway. Oh. Uh, based strictly only. on appearance. Well, the, okay, yeah. Only. Was, but, well, how much of that was appearance and how much of that was that those guys were cheap? No, I'm talking about the, the only after. 93. Oh, yeah, Thunder and Sid, Lightning type. Sid, Vader, Davey Boy, Sting. Um, I mean, they brought in big dudes. But those are guys who were stars too already. Yeah, but still, big dudes. I mean, in terms of pushing new people. Yeah, I mean, they did. They were much better than WWF was. I'm saying your Van Hammer and the like are heard. Uh, well, yeah. Now, that said, as far as everything else here, and we'll get to, you know, uh, some other stuff in a few minutes, maybe this is an overly optimistic plan on Fry's part, but the key thing is, is when you see that they're actually going to try to help wrestlers get off of steroids legitimately, and they have a doctor that will help them if they want the help, the plan is clearly to do it for the health of the wrestlers. It's not yes. punitive. Yes. That's wh- that's why they're saying, hey, look, if this doesn't work, we're going to randomly test you. But we'd rather not have to do that. But it does feel like there's enough here. They want the wrestlers participating. You know, they they have the doctor available to help them get, you know, get off of steroids properly. Um, It doesn't sound that bad. No, but, <laughs> you know. Well, when Watts comes in, he wants to just, ra- he ends up trying to randomly test guys, but then it turns out he has nothing he can punish them with, at least financially. Getting rid of steroids in wrestling is something that's just not going to happen. Completely no. I mean, I'm a little worried the pendulum swing back in the other direction, 
But what also we've clearly seen in the last decade is that if you can get guys off of heavy doses of steroids, it's a huge benefit. Well, here's the thing. If they're taking stuff that's not really dangerous, there's different types of steroids. Oh, that's what I'm saying, too. No, I'm saying that if they're able to take stuff in a relatively safe dosage. Yeah. I mean, they're not, you know, this isn't MMA. This isn't boxing. This isn't kickboxing. They're not using it to beat people up for a living. Yeah, this is cosmetic. Yes. If if they're safe, if it's not harming them, then See, that, um, it's fine. Yeah. The, That's the, the problem though. back in the old days is you had, you know, Road Warrior Hawk and all that stuff were taking that that just monkey insane hormones. shit. Monkey hormones, uh ho- was it horse? Horse, ste- horse horse steroids were very common. Equipoise was a very common bodybuilding steroid. And then, and then you had all the, like the Diana Ball and all that junk. I mean, well, because Diana Ball too was a oral steroid, and it would fuck up your liver. Exactly. That's that's what the major problem was in this era that we're here now. Is they're taking more, many more dangerous type of anabolic steroids. Yes. So. Yeah, and again, you know, when with GH, it's people overdoing that, and who, honestly, with GH, someone who doesn't need it probably shouldn't take it. But if they're taking a safe amount, I'm not going to begrudge them. Yeah, exactly. Because that's what—that's really what it should be about. In pro wrestling, it should be about their safety. Mm-hmm. With maybe the secondary concern being not wanting to give an unrealistic body image. To children, which I think is a legitimate concern. But, yeah, but you know what? You look at movie stars, yeah, like The Rock or Stallone or guys like that with their bodies. You know, it's kind of hard. Yeah, The uh, Rock is the, thing, the Rock is a unique example, though. Yeah, because he the, did that, but he did pain and gain, and then all of a sudden, yeah. I would have been interested to see what the wrestlers would have been on the advisory committee. Who would have been would elected? Have I mean, I guess. Oh. Does it happen? I would think it does, but I don't think it comes out. Never heard of them. So. If I had to guess, based on who's respected and all that, Rude, Steamboat, and someone. Rude's not the right guy to be on this. <laughs> well, no, because he's too argumentative about it. Yeah. Because that—that's what happens. There's an early, like, meeting with the doctors where Rue—it's not in the newsletters at this time, but Meltzer talked about it years later, where Rue just starts arguing with the doctor about the side effects of steroids and what actually exists. Yeah. All right. Jason Ventura scheduled for many mainstream media appearances before you read this, including the CNBC cable television talk show, Larry King's radio show, and there should be a mention in the Gossip Comedy USA Today on Thursday or Friday. An attempt to get Ventura on the Arsenio Hall show fell through on Monday afternoon for reasons you could probably imagine. <laughs> the World Wrestling Federation. <laughs> yes, which, by the way, it should be noted, though, Arsenio was a much bigger WCW fan than he was a WWF fan. Yeah, but... <laughs> he did business. what he had to do. Yeah. Business was business. Meanwhile, the torch noted that on my today's Wrestling Insiders radio show, Jesse Ventura said he let it take steroid tests to get a 10% bonus. Because he could buy a Ferrari with that 10% bonus on one year of his new contract. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah. Terry, Terry Gordon Stevens officially signed, but probably won't be in until around May, working as a heel tag team between Japan tours. And so when there you go. Show up? May. Mm-hmm. 
And again, not what? Right. Yep. Big Van Vader's negotiating for a two-year deal where he worked between here and Japan tours. Mm. And we know how that ends up. All right, March 5th, Torch. On Pro Wrestling Focus last week, hosted by... Wade Kalar. Kiff Rice said there continues to be talk about having a tournament for the NWA title, possibly in Japan. Fit is in Japan, look for the great Muda to win it and have a unification match with WCW champion Sting. Well... So this is a Kiff Rice thing. Yes, well, that's the other thing, too, the, the tournament being in Japan and bringing back the belt. Yep. Not Watts. And we know how Watts something... about that anyway. Although we that, that it's often credited to Watts, though. We're seeing a lot of this here. Yep. Look for Gordy and Dodd, who have come to agree with WCW, be mentioned on TV now through May when they begin the wrestle program, presuming against the Steiners. There you go. And then there's this. There are rumblings of Roddy Piper coming in to host a Piper's Pit on the TBS show and worldwide to continue to upgrade their television. If WCW was to able to add just material on the caller and Piper's Pit each week and updated graphics, Worldwide would finally stand out as a leading show, which it should because as far as house shows goes, syndication is much more important than cable. This is round uh, three of Piper and a organization run by Jim Crockett uh, contract talks or rumors since he went to WF. Yes. And 85, 89, and 92. And he's about to be dropping the IC title at WrestleMania and disappearing. Yeah. So clearly his contract's up. And makes you wonder why he never went at that time. Maybe because he didn't want to piss off Vince. I don't know. I guess. Or maybe he just didn't want to be a full-time guy anywhere. He want to do his movies and shit. Be like at home. a full-time guy to just come in for TV and do Piper's Well, it could, lead to, it could lead to stuff. It's a shame we never got Piper and Pauly having a, uh, a thing. No, there. even if we've seen Paulie's Piper impression. Yes. All right, the March 9th Observer. From Dave's Super Bowl rundown, Steam Penn Luger in 1301 to win the title. Luger was so huge, he looked like a member of a different species. If it hadn't been confirmed already, this officially confirmed Luger's joining the WBF. Okay. I looked for it. Unless it's months later and it was not in what we were up to yet, the infamous Kip Fry apology for Lex Luger obviously being on steroids was not in the newsletters at the time. There you go. Which is very weird. I don't know if it's on a radio show and it doesn't get mentioned here or what, but I looked high and low for it and it's not there. Yeah, this was something that you were wanting to try to find and couldn't find it. Yeah. Is it possible he does an interview in... April or May where it comes up and that's where it happens? Maybe. But I guess it's possible. Is it just something that Dave told after the fact years later? That Kip Fry called? Because I want to say it was Kip Fry called him up like the next day, wasn't it? Something like that, yeah. To apologize. Yeah. So I don't know why it's not here. If someone who has a good memory for what's in the newsletters, let us know. But that's not here for some reason. That said, Luger looked fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yes, he was massive. Yes. Oh, here we go. Jeremy Vance in the midst of a contract dispute with management. Several different versions have come our way, but apparently bad. And Kip Fry agreed to a contract for fifty-six thousand a year, but it wasn't signed. Bad had claimed he wanted better injury benefits. The contract calls for a specific time period to wrestle without a vaginal injury, and the contracts don't cover him. While others say yes for more money. 
Badass negotiated with Titan. He did have a meeting on Monday with Fry to work things out, but he was pulled from the pay-per-view show because of the disputes. You think that Johnny Bad's right in trying to get that? Well, here's what I'm wondering, too. Was he not working on a contract before this? This wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> I mean, He's it's been what, there it was, less than a year. You know, this is what I said. This would be the first time it would happen again. <laughs> That's true. But, I mean, has he been working without a contract the whole time? I don't think so. He probably just had a – he may have one of those short-term deals. Maybe. Because they offered deals like that, six-month deals, eight-month deals. Well, he had deals. been in since May, though, as a pushed guy. So here we are now – so it's seven months. So we're, we're like nine months later. Would they have given him a nine-month contract? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? He can't ever – it's WCW. How, do you, how can you tell? All right, the March 16th Observer. Kefra awarded Steamboat, Rude, Liger, Pillman, 2500 each for being the hardest workers on the pay-per-view. There you go. Which also... Nice little bonus. ...goes against the historical version, which was that it just went to Steamboat and Rude because someone politicked for them to get it. Yeah, because this is 10 grand right here that's throwing up there. I think that was in the Observers later. I think it was Dave who said that, yeah. that there was a controversy over that, that Pillman and Liger didn't get the bonus. But here he is reporting at the time <laughs> Yeah, that it was all four of them. Maybe he got worked on that. Who knows? Well, Pillman's one of his sources, so I guess, it was, you know. Wayne yeah. Coulter, who worked at Public Relations, was fired. Where they're clearing out that department. Pleasure <laughs> Force have Super Bowl hitting about a .6 buy rate, which is far away the lowest for any WCW major pay-per-view event. No, that's buy rate, though, not total buys. Yeah. Because I would think it didn't but- work potentially more buys than some of the earlier shows but again yeah. though we got the clash rating and now this yeah even though they've improved even so much it, in the last like five months exactly march 23rd observer on larry king live Vincent man said nobody in wf is on steroids yes everyone had don't explode at the same time while well, use is clearly down saying nobody's ridiculous the man didn't learn one thing from the problems created on our senior hall show because he did almost the same exact whole kogan live for a guy who wants people to believe that Hogan said what he did on his own and that he wanted Hogan to tell the complete truth, he sure didn't practice what he preached. That particular statement was the most disappointing thing to me about the entire show. For a guy who openly complained about the way Kip Fry's policy was received, maybe he should have read that morning's Atlanta Constitution and realized his own PR errors. That paper quoted Johnny Nevada saying, we're really trying to get guys off the gas. We realize now we made a mistake. Fry was quoted as saying, we want to send a message that we have athletes who have made the choice not to use steroids. Most of our guys have used it previously. Read that last sentence. No subterfuge, no misdirections, no lies, just the truth. Just the facts, ma'am, as Jeff Riding once said. But yes, we've done quite a few 1992 shows. Mm-hmm. But this is this is the era where it just gets so crazy with WF shit. And yeah, this is that Larry that, uh, King Live appearance. I can't imagine what those shows would be like. Yeah, I mean, we this is just excerpted yeah. here for the WCW-relevant part. Um, regardless of how rich that is from Vince, and it is, yeah, Kip Fry just going to the Atlanta paper and saying, yeah, these steroids, trying to stop that. And we'll have more about that in a minute. Yes, yes, but... Um, As I'm reading here. You want to just go on then? Yeah, okay. March 26th, Torch. Jim Crockett, former owner of Jim Crockett Promotions before selling to Ted Turner, was fired by WCW last week. Crockett was working in the front office and was a longtime ally of Dusty Rhodes. 
Recently, according to sources within WCW, their relationship had deteriorated tremendously. Their frequent disagreements left a he goes or I go situation. Again? And since Dusty's the booker and Kiff Fry has committed to letting Rhodes make it or break it, Crockett was released. There also was apparently heat between some WCW employees and Crockett, since Crockett was a disciplinarian as far as people doing their job and doing it right. As a result, there was heat on him, and some were glad to see him go. How about that, huh? Yeah. That didn't take long. <laughs> yes. Um, Jim Brown and Dusty Rhodes had, I mean, that was, a, it was an interesting relationship. Um, Jim was obsessed with Dusty for a long time, and Dusty was one that pretty much ran him out of business in a lot of ways, which he had a big part of it, too. But, uh, yeah. Either it's him or me. We saw who Kip Fry stuck with. Yeah. How long, yeah. How long is it before Jimmy comes back? Does he? Doesn't he come back for a short time before the uh, thing? Or is it, or am well, I missing something? When do they something? buy him out, too? I'm not sure. I didn't think it was this early. I have to check. Is That's actually in the guy Evans' book. They, they were talking about how they kind of had to do that. And that may have been under... If not Bischoff, then like Bischoff is executive producer. Well, when 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 does the buzz about Crockett doing other stuff start? In '93, like early '93. Okay, I don't think he comes back after this. Jack, Jackie, and David are still there. Yeah, in production. Well, that relationship is a different thing as well, though. Yes. Also, I realized I accidentally duplicated something that we had read from the Observer. So just let's talk about the steroid stuff a little bit more too. Now that I deleted that. Um. What do you think about Miro's comments, too? I mean, he's pretty definitive on that. And he's a guy that you look at him, he definitely was on it at one point in time. And he does get smaller. Yeah. Um, I mean, and you hear from him in modern times, it seems like he definitely regrets it, too. And then he got back on him. Well. <laughs> what do you expect? It's wrestling. Yes. Yeah. Um. What... Do you think with hindsight, Vince should have said something different, or do you think he felt he probably felt like he had to? I don't think. I think Vince thought at the time he didn't care. No, but here's what I'm saying, though. Do you think he had to be in denial mode in public because of the whole Zahorian thing? That it's a a much deeper issue for them than it is for WCW. Yeah, it's just completely different from a PR perspective. That's that's the way you have to look at it. Yeah. You know, Vince ends up being indicted. <laughs> WCW yeah, had no risk of that. No. He did. WCW didn't, you know, basically suggest the boys go to the specific commission doctor. No. No. That's the reason that WWF had issues. Absolutely. <clears throat> if Vince uh, just encouraged guys. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If Vince had literally just encouraged guys and the. If Zahorian doesn't happen, the steroid scandal goes much differently if there is one. Yeah. All right, there are a lot of complaints from fans and people, but in WCW, about Kiff Rice Push is the number one babyface in the promotion. His name is mentioned on television about as often as Dusty Rhodes used to insist his be mentioned. They did talk about him a lot, but hey, you know, <laughs> he's doing good things. They talked about him a lot, but... The people who are talking like that are also underrating the amount of times that Jim Hurd was mentioned. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and, well, Jim Hurd cut promos on television. That's what I'm saying. He cut promos, but he would be mentioned, like, in a figurehead role, too. Of course. 
He was mentioned all the time. There is a reason yeah. that his name was fairly out in front when the Real Wrestling Hotline launched. Yeah. Because they expected that to be something of a draw, along with the actual wrestling news. So, this compared to Hurt, it's not really a big deal. But... I want the fan, There's fans complaining. I wonder who those fans are. Um, let's see. Um, Dustin Runnels. <laughs> no, I don't think they're, they would be complaining. Oh, I don't know. I'm trying to think who would who would be complaining. Oh, well, I'm kidding. I'm saying they were actually wrestlers. Uh, Chris Cruz. <laughs> Good callback. <laughs> Jake Roberts was backstage at Last Center Stage tapings, although since his dad works for WCW, it does not necessarily mean anything. And again, before Watts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Grizz was there before before Watts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that that's a scandal that sure could have killed the company, by the way. Oh yes. <laughs> that would have been tough. Yeah. Alright, the March 30th Observer. The new little television shows begin for WCW for the new WCW Saturday night on April the 4th for a format some of the primetime wrestling. The first show of that format was taped this past week, and let's just say there is room for improvement. There's a lot of controversy over switching from the wrestling format to a talk format for a show that has an 18-year tradition and built-in audience with a wrestling format. The major angles will be switched to worldwide wrestling with a new format, which is Ventura starting on April 11th. In this way, they're basically copying the WF where the major angles are running syndication, the cable shows a more talk-oriented format with lots of repeating the key issues. The syndicated worldwide show would generally take on Friday nights because it fits in better with Ventura's schedule. WCW Saturday Night Show will have two or three fall main events and lots of out-of-the-ring features and generally one major interview up to five minutes in the first show. And yeah, another See, one See, this there. is where they kind of get this wrong. Well, yeah, they get this I'm going to get to that in a, a second, way. but two out of three falls. Also, something that people associate with Watts. Oh, that absolutely, yeah. Watts eliminated nope. the two out of three falls main event. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, okay, in fairness, at that first taping, they taped very little wrestling. At yeah. But once Saturday Night actually launches, it is still a wrestling show based at center stage. It yeah. does not turn into primetime wrestling. Do they have the non-wrestling segments? Yes. But it's all from the live crowd. Yeah. Um, I think at the very least, the name change was needed. You couldn't keep calling the show WCW that long after the name of the company had been changed to WCW. And they needed to revamp the set, like we said. They yeah. needed something different. And it added some excitement. You had some different guests coming in. Yeah. So, should, should, should you be devoting could've, that could've, much could've, TV time to Randy Owen of Alabama talking about wrestling? I don't know. Well, well Alabama was a big deal here. And, and you know, I know in what that era. I mean, there, I know what you're saying. But... Would you rather? I mean, I, sometimes Randy Owens better than some shitty ass match. So yeah, I know we did this before. Who, who did all the guests end up being? Ricky Rackman, Randy Owen, Bill Fralick, uh, Dave Casper. No, Dave Casper, who played in the seventies and the early eighties. Uh, Kiff Rye. He was first. So, and, and I think that may have been it. I, I can't remember any other ones. It's on WWE Network, folks. Going to watch, so. and they also in fact, they start with the first one. Utilize the format to do some other stuff in different angles with the wrestlers too, like the thing where Medusa tries to frame Ricky Steamboat as a womanizer or whatever it was. Yeah, and it's set up kind of almost like a like a daytime talk show Sally Jesse type thing. 
with the way the women coming out of the crowd are acting. So this was much needed. Yeah. It ends up really not being that much of a different show once Watts kills the format change. Honestly, I think they probably should have kept a little bit from the Fry ideas, which even then were less dramatic than what was being reported here. Um, But we do also see an increase in the major angles being shot for syndication regardless. Yes. For angles, that does become... I don't know. Would you say it becomes the main show or it just starts to get like an equal distribution? I'd say equal. So I, I would yeah. agree. I think, yeah, that you get, well, Simmons title win with syndication. All right. That was worldwide. Yeah. But it was announced in the main show too. No, I know, but the actual show, show the actual, yes. the matches and angles are worldwide. Yes. Um, year later than when I always remember vividly about Flair going back and Wyndham having his locker room was worldwide. And they did, they do a bunch. They do a bunch. So that, that does happen. And also one thing that's, it's not mentioned in the notes because I couldn't find it all. Jesse becomes the co-host of Saturday night eventually, but I guess, is that not actually until for, after Fry? It's after Fry. But it, what I'm curious about too is do they renegotiate his contract? I don't know. Because now he's doing a lot more work. <clears throat> All right, Big Van Vader will begin the mega push as he's headlining a sting for the month of April. There you go. It's pro- expect Paulie Daniels to sign you doing his contract as far as he did in the month, mm-hmm. which he does. Don Glass is now working in public relations. Okay, that we need to talk about. I guess I should okay. remind everyone who Don Glass is. Probably. Don Glass ran live events. Um, he had been Ed Cohn's assistant in the WWF. And it turns out that he was probably more his actual assistant as opposed to his number two. Yeah. And as Cornette puts it, and this is something I don't see why we wouldn't trust him, Don Glass is the reason their house show business is so dead. Well, he didn't do a great job, so that way. No, and then... who Do we know who takes it over until Breslov comes in in 94? I have no idea. Because it gets worse under whoever takes over. Yeah. Which, like, granted, it's about to coincide with business going down across the board anyway, not just in WCW. So who knows how much they could have done. But WCW crowds in 92, goes 92 goes on into 93 are terrible. Oh, I remember. That they said, were. what did Kit Fry say? He wanted to concentrate on live events and getting people in the buildings. It reads like, knowing the whole situation, someone, Dusty, whoever, got in Kip Fry's ear. He looked into it, realized Don Glass was a problem in terms of running live events, and because you can't fire anyone who's an employee at TBS, he moved him into public relations, because they were retooling that department anyway. Yep. Which, again, is one of the great things about doing these shows, too, that we're looking at everything, the totality of it. This is a lot more interesting, too, seeing, when you see that they've already fired, or, like, well, I guess you can fire some people, but that they've already been clearing out the public relations department. So they have a vacancy there, so they're able to move him and try to overhaul the live event department. Yep. Regarding the steroid issue, it's about time for phase two of volunteer compliance, because according to all sources, if there has been a decrease in the use of this company, nobody has noticed it yet. It's come to the point where those who are wanting to voluntarily comply start uncomplying. 
to keep up with the other uncompliers. <laughs> there you go. And I would think he's talking about Rude mainly. Probably. Because Rude, he gets Austin. a lot bigger. Well, what I was going to say, though, is Rude gets a lot bigger when he comes back from the neck injury. I guess just to make up for being able to do less in the ring. But Rude already was thicker when he first showed up in WCW than he was in the WWF. Yeah. Austin. He's another one. Although, for whatever reason, I always thought that Austin with the haircut and when he moved to the trunks looked much smaller, even though he probably wasn't. Yeah, but that hasn't happened just yet, has it? I'm trying to remember when that effect took place. Ooh. That may have happened. We're in late March. Yeah, it well, may have no, happened no, by Well, at the, cl- at the Clash, he has the long hair and the shorts, right? Yeah. But it's not long after that. War Games, he has the short hair and tights. Which was also a much-needed change in his look. Oh, God, yeah. Absolutely. He came off a lot more serious. Yes. All right. That's where we stop at. We'll come back next month and pick up with April. And we'll go from there. Yes, into... uh, Obviously, that'll just be the second part of two, because... Yeah, well, yeah. It's done in May. (laughs) Yeah, and and we'll talk, you know, about the transition period. We'll watch and all that stuff, so... We will uh, see you then. This has been a very fun show. Lots yes. of interesting stuff here to talk about. So, Any overall uh, thoughts, though, on the first three months? Uh, well, so I, the you, you look at what's going on here, and everything looks to be you know, in a positive direction. Mm-hmm. So the, the wrestling on television is very strong. Business may not be strong, but at least the television product is strong. Guys are happy because they're getting paid bonuses and stuff, and Dusty's happy. Guys are working so, harder too to try yeah. to get that bonus. So, yeah, I mean, what can you say? Yes, now everything's looking rosy right now. One thing I wonder though, and maybe we'll learn this, you know, as we go over the stuff next month. Do you think Fry was told from the beginning he was a maintenance guy while they were looking for someone else? Because he's sure no. not acting like it. No, I don't think they were. So. It is weird then that Watts comes into the picture then so quickly when he is doing a good job and has not really been given enough time at all to to set up a turnaround or anything. I kind of think there may Dusty may have been involved in that. Because Watts is his buddy? Yeah. I think Dusty... I wouldn't say Dusty may have had an issue with Fry, but... He's a guy that would have the more of a direct line to Watts. Anybody else? Yeah. Well, Ross, Ross. So and Watts did put a lot of trust in him. It seemed like Fry did too. Yeah. The the booking really does not change, other than the obvious Watts edicts, though. When yeah. Watts comes in, it's still all dusty. Mm-hmm. I mean, other other than the Dangerous Alliance slowly becoming a non-entity. As a as a unit, that's clearly Watts. Yeah, but otherwise, it's all like right, a good path. Yep. Yeah, and we'll continue next month. So we thank you for uh, contributing and listening to this show, and tell everybody about this show and the other shows that we've done on Patreon.com/slash/Jeets. And we will see you again next month on Patreon.com/slash/Jeets for part two. Bix, thanks as always. You're the rock of the show. This is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia. 
Hello, everyone. Welcome to Between the Sheets Patreon Special Edition number 24. I'm your host, Chris Zoner, joined as always by my co-host David Bix and Span and Bix. Next, I tell you, next month, two years. <laughs> it's our uh, 24th one, so yes, almost two, two full years of Patreon here. Time flies. Yep. Doesn't feel that long. No, it definitely doesn't. Believe me. Um, it's hard to believe here that we're discussing uh, still 1992 Kip Fryer WCW. Oh, you mean 26 and a half years ago? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> I was just about to, uh, during this time period, I was about to be out of eighth grade. So, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm old. Oh. We all are. It's I know it. I know it's, we're all we're all breaking down. Yeah, believe me. Yeah, so this is mentally. part two. <laughs> all of the above, yes. This is part two of the two-part, presumably, series on Kip Fry's time running WCW in early 1992. We covered January through March last time. This will cover April through the end. You know, I'm sure we'll we'll have the very beginning of the Bill Watts era on this, obviously, like we had the end of the Jim Hurd era. On the, on part one, and so when we last left them, you know, things seemed to be going in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, you know, still WCW, but well, I don't think this we, is always WCW. Yeah, I don't know if we had any huge milestones at the end last time that we really need to go over. So I guess let's jump no. back in now. And Chris, why don't you? kick it off with the April 2nd, 1992 issue of Pro Wrestling Torch. Yeah, basically all the guys are fairly happy right now in a lot of ways. They're all you know, getting paid the bonuses for having good matches, and everything seems to be okay in that regard. Morale is fine, mm-hmm. but that will soon change. All right, let's go to the April 2nd Torch. W should be called Lightning Kid, former global heavyweight, light heavyweight champion, and offering him a tryout. Which, if he is hired, does show a certain commitment on WCW's part to hire based on talent and marketability, not size and marketability. Although their hiring policy is inconsistent, based on the baffling hiring of JT Southern, who offers nothing to WCW except competition for Van Hammer for the Worst Wrestler of 1993 award. I remember when I saw JT Southern show up, I was like, where the hell's he been? Because <laughs> he, I mean, he hadn't been wrestling for five years? Four years? Four years, eighty-eight. I think was the last he worked in AWA. Four years, like wow. But with Van Hammer there, I mean, it's it's a natural feud to run with. Even well, except for the good. issue that JT Southern was the heel and the one who actually played guitar while calling out Van Hammer for not actually playing guitar. Yeah, but those type of semantics didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it's wrestling. Come WCW, on. everybody. Yes, it's like the heel. It's like when when the the better technical wrestling heel calls out the babyface for his lack of wrestling ability. We've seen that, so you know it's it's sort of a a different version of that type of dynamic. But uh, Lightning Kid, huh? Pro Wrestling Torch, huh? Yeah, amazing. I, I, I wonder how this got covered in here. <laughs> oh, who? Do, oh, yeah. I don't know. Who do you think told Wade? Yeah, Sean Waltman and Wade, of course, pretty tight, but. It would have been a great hire. Um, he was on global television, you know, and quite a few people was watching global. And uh, he's a guy who was ready to break out 
Um, and would have fit in with that roster. But it doesn't happen. And he was a heel. And they needed a heel for the light heavyweight division. Exactly. I mean, him and Pillman, good lord. Can you imagine the, the matches that could have been there with those two? And he's taller than Pillman, so being skinny would not really be an issue. Yeah, exactly. So, again, makes sense, but didn't happen. Yeah. And he uh, he tries out – I mean, does, doesn't he have another tryout at uh, night later three? Or even later in the year, maybe, I think. Yeah. So, th- I mean – there were opportunities. Never came to fruition. All right, let's go to the April 6th issue of The Observer. WrestleMania is just days away. The biggest draw card in the recent history of American Pro Wrestling may, but probably won't make his final U.S. appearance on Sunday. But all the main news is in a different direction. There were a lot of shakeups Monday in the hierarchy of World Championship Wrestling. Bill Shaw, the head of personnel at Turner Broadcasting and a member of the Turner Board, has replaced Chuck Petrick. As president of WCW and top overseer. Officially, Petrie considered to be no longer in charge of the wrestling company because he'd be working full time on a 24 hour cartoon cable channel that Turner is in the process of putting together. That'll never work. No. Never. Well, it worked for a long time until they decided to uh, take it in the other direction. That's another, that's, a, that's another rant for me. Uh, Sean then appointed Bob Dew, and it's spelled D E W, like Mountain Dew here who runs the Omni Arena, and to be executive overseer of the company, which would be the person Kip Fry reports to. So wait a second. Turner Bob owned the Omni, w. and it's never talked about in the newsletters at this time? He's all, he, he always owned the Omni. But that's what I'm <laughs> saying. Much. It was never really talked about. When, when, when he bought the Hawks from Tom Cousins, he bought the Omni. That's where the George Shanger Wrestling offices were at. They the moved is, their offices to the Omni. Well, my point is when the vertical integration of WCW's talked about we never really hear about that. Yeah, but that I mean that is a known thing that's in I the I think I knew well, it too, but it's, it's just, been in the newsletters. I mean it was in the newsletters in the eighties. It's not discussed often though. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, when he bought the Hawks and, and uh the from Tom Cousins, he bought the Omni too. So um yeah. And George Hay Russell like I said, George Hay Championship Wrestling's offices were in the Omni. Freddie Miller had an office in the building. So Anyway, as for the personnel move itself, um, Jack Petrick gone just a few months after Jim Hurd. Yeah, gone for WCW two, at least. Yeah, the two were, uh, you know, hand in hand pretty much the entire existence up to this point. Of the, the, uh, uni- Steve, well, until Steve Everly ruined their friendship. Yeah, the Universal Wrestling Corporation, and um, Petrick hired him. Yeah, Petrick was the he guy was, who brought him in and was responsible was for guy. everything. And then Bob Dew's here for how long in the spot? Ooh. Dew was Bischoff's boss at some point, wasn't he? Yes. So I want to say four yeah, or five basically years. Basically until Bischoff becomes president, right? Well, is it Bischoff or Dr. Harvey Schiller? I don't think Schiller was ever ever had a WCW title. Okay. I think he was, he was Bischoff's superior as head of Turner Sports. Uh-huh. There we go. So, yeah. So I guess until... Bischoff becomes president, and I don't know what happens to Bob Dew at that point. And of course, Bob Dew's proper last name is spelled D-H-U-E. Yes. Not D-E-W. <laughs> Lex Luger made his first television appearance on WWE Superstars of Wrestling on Saturday, plugging both WrestleMania and debut of WBF Body Stars on Saturday morning on USA Network. Loser. Loser. 
<laughs> what is Freudian slip? Luger, whose wrestling contract with WCW doesn't expire until the end of March in '93. Kid Fry, uh, that's an interesting way to end that sentence, isn't it? Kid Fry was, was fierce during the middle of the week when he learned of this and told Mike Tanea, the Wrestling Insiders radio show, I think the wor- it's the worst thing Leslie could do. It's very sad, but I have no more emotional attachment to Lex. Hope against Vince Man for a lot of money. You know you're for being slime balls. The spirit of the contract won't allow this to happen, but there's a loophole in the language. So what? I have no problem with Leslie in the WBF. Don't want to be jerks about this. We just don't want to get tied up legally. As long as he doesn't wrestle or comment on wrestling, it's okay. Okay, so for those here. Yeah, for, but real quick, for those of you wondering why Lex Luger was introduced as part of the WBF for all that time and as part of WWF, this is why. I have no memory of him being on Superstars before Mania. Well, it happened. <laughs> Do you? So, I, 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 have, I, can't see, I haven't watched that episode since it first aired, so I wouldn't even know the take. I was at my cousin's birthday party where we were watching WrestleMania when Luger showed up. And it was something some of us kind of knew would happen, but as far as we knew, it was his first appearance. How low were you at this point in time? Well, he had the radio shows and stuff, but seven. <laughs> so seven-year-old Bix was discussing uh, inside information on Lex Luger at a birthday party. <laughs> so wait, is this the last episode of March we're talking about, though, or the first episode of April? It'd be April the 4th, wasn't it? Because it was WrestleMania on the 5th. Well, if he's saying made in the past tense and Dave did the... But he would have done the Observer the previous Tuesday or Wednesday. So this is probably the March 28th Observer. Okay, here we go. I found a match listing promo by Lex Luger for WBF Body Stars. Oh, there you go. There you go. Is it possible it wasn't like an inset interview? It was just during a break? Yeah, probably. Okay. Um, but Kiff Fry, how could you be so gullible? Well, here's what I'm trying to remember as far as if we discussed this last time. Did he put together the release agreement, or was it someone else since now he was running the company? Well, I mean, it's talked about in the last show about, you know, how he had good faith in Lex, that Lex wouldn't uh, work for the WWF. No, but I mean specifically the, there being a loophole in the language. Well, it was never mentioned. No, no, no. But my point is, did he draft the agreement himself as well, it wasn't the guy never who had said. been the lawyer? Okay, that's what I was trying to remember, if it said that or not. No, it was never said. Still one of the more amazing stories of this era, that that just happens. Yeah, how could you not see this coming? Especially when you look at it as Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> see how ginormous he was. No, okay, this guy's doing this for a reason. How Fun. can you be so blind? <laughs> yeah fun's the word I, uh, yeah and again as we noted last time we're not really sure where the whole Kip Fry apologizes for Lex Luger thing actually happens since it's not in any of the newsletters we went over yeah alright quick update in the situation with Van Hammer and Mr. Hughes from last week Hughes didn't check into a drug rehab center as reported last week but it's an outpatient He's undergoing therapy for a problem that is only a drug problem, according to what Kip Fry said this past week. Hughes is making some, but not all of his dates on the road at this point. Hammer is changing to a psychiatric facility for personal problems, and this will be off the road until released. And uh, you got a Carrie Von Eric thing here. You want me to read that? Sure. Carrie Von Eric was arrested last Tuesday when Dallas police discovered he wasn't attending his drug re- rehabilitation after being charged with three felony counts of trying to redeem falsified prescription from drugs. 
A warrant for his arrest was sent out, and Von Erich turned himself in and spent two hours in jail before being released on a $75 bond. Von Erich said he had already completed a drug rehab program in California. I left this in, by the way, because it was tied in with the other stuff and to show that what's going on in both companies, to be clear. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He spent most of his two hours in prison signing autographs for other prisoners. This story was reported on two TV stations in Dallas. Also said that Von Erich would return to the effort WrestleMania. A lot of problems going on in both companies. Well, yeah, well, that's wrestling. Yeah. Although <laughs> the Hughes thing is outpatient undergoing therapy a problem that isn't only a drug problem. This does sound like people not knowing yet that he's narcoleptic, doesn't it? Well, it's not talked about. No, but I'm saying the way it's framed seems like, well, he fell asleep all of a sudden. Yeah, but you get what that's I'm saying? not talked about at all. No, but you, get, yeah. you understand where I'm going with this? No. <laughs> nobody it, reported it, him being narcoleptic no my, that's my point problem. am i saying i'm saying i'm saying i think that there is confusion going on because of issues with him falling asleep and people thinking that he's pilled up now granted he may have had a drug issue too but i that that's how that reads to me that well, nobody had, knows that's what, that's what they're thinking well hasn't he done shoot interviews where he said that the narcolepsy contributed to people thinking he had a drug problem when he didn't yeah, but they don't know he's narcoleptic. Then what are they going to think? That he's pilled up and falling asleep at TV. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So this but, is the okay, obvious we're on the same reaction. Page. Yes. 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 So if, if they don't, if they don't know, then yeah. Uh, but anyway, way, I found Van the Hammer. body promo too. Van Hammer. I wonder what kind of issues he was going undergoing here. Porn addiction. I I don't know that psychiatric facility. That's. It's pretty serious. You have to be if you have to yeah. uh, go through an evaluation. I mean, when did when does he come back? Yeah, he's not there very very long. Yeah, because he's he's there. He's back in WCW in May. So yeah, I don't know what's going on there, but yeah, that's well, it's good that it's good they're getting the guys help regardless. All right, well, you gonna play the Luger thing? Yeah, let's see what this is. It it is coming into a break, by the way. It's not an inside interview or anything. Well, actually, it looks like the upload of this Superstars episode on YouTube has no sound after the 12-minute mark, and the Body Stars promo is after the 12-minute mark. Oh, well. <laughs> it's a Body Stars commercial that then includes a very short Luger promo right after. Uh-huh. If I could read lips, I'd help with that. He's huge. Well, yeah. <laughs> I would expect he would be. Um, expect the NWA World Tag Team Tournament Finals to come down to an 18 tournament at the Great American Bash in Philadelphia on July 12th. The NWA World Tag Team Tournament will probably take place from August 7th to the 12th in Japan. Philadelphia, eh? To near Georgia. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's pretty damn far from Albany. <laughs> on the same coast. Same well, Albany is southwest Georgia, so it's near the central time zone. Not Not too far from it. Well... Weren't they saying it was going to be in Baltimore a few weeks before this? Something like that, yeah. Get your shit together, house show people. Now the, the NWA World Heavyweight Title Tournament does take place in Japan during yeah. that time frame. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Both Rick Rude and Paul Lee Dangerous have reached verbal agreements for new contracts. They believe both two years in duration, although he doesn't think either contract has been signed yet. Wait a second. So it was Rude on a six-month deal, or was he renegotiating? Uh, I think he was on a six-month deal. That's odd. Well, no. not the first time her did that, though. No. 
No. Steamboat, the first time. Yeah. A little weird, though, since you're bringing him in immediately to be the top heel. But he wasn't going to go back to WWE at this point. No. Too much, but, uh, I think, bad blood there. Still a little weird, though. And Heyman yeah. somehow becomes an employee. <laughs> I mean, we all know that turned out. Yes, very well. March 29th at the Baltimore Arena, your 3800 paid and $32,000 of all the two-for-ones and freebies and discounts, etc. There were in excess of 7000 in the building. It's bad when Baltimore's not doing good business. Baltimore was always their best city. Really, until, yeah. until all of a sudden Atlanta finally heated up during the Nitro era, it was always their very best city. But they weren't. But here, then again, though, they weren't running Atlanta regularly. No. So... That's part of the reason why it became better because they quit running Atlanta as often as they were running it. Probably, yes. Mike Weber, who worked public relations for in the mid '80s, for going to work for Donald Trump, is headed here to head the PR department in a few weeks. And he stays there a while, many years, basically until Alan Sharp picks over. He's the guy, right? Yes, yes, the legendary Alan Sharp. Yes, yes. I believe both are quoted in the Nitro book. Yes, which I would be uh, overlap. Which by the time this drops, I'll, I'll, I would have uh, had my possession. I to record this. I haven't got it yet. Yes, I am just past uh, the Arquette stuff in my reading. Interesting. Yes, where apparently all the wrestlers, you know, besides Arquette giving all the money he made in WCW to Melanie Pillman, and I think also to Luis Bacoli's sister, all the wrestlers apparently respected him pretty highly because he just he went in there, he took bumps, didn't complain. Well, it's look, really he's back wrestling, wrestling again. Fans. So, yeah. clearly, yeah, he's clearly serious about that shit. I read somewhere so who was it that he was talking to? Was it Russo or was it DDP that someone? It might have been Russo that like someone was trying to convince him to not do what he's doing because he feels like he has to give back to wrestling because of how badly he sullied it. Yeah, but he, I mean, he's actually taking it seriously, and you know, hey, I got respect for him. No doubt. So, all right, let's get back on on topic. April 13th, Observer. As for WCW, the big news to change in hierarchy is reported last week. According to Executive Vice President Kip Fry, the change should mean almost nothing in terms of company structure. Fry is still the man in charge of day-to-day operations. Chad Peters' role with the company is basically gone. And his place would be Bill Shaw as department head, and Bob Dew, correctly spelled, as the man Fry reports to. So there's your clarification on that. The new WCW format, which has been compared to a takeoff on the WWS Primetime Wrestling Show, was also a pleasant surprise, given the reaction by those who saw the first taping live. Jim Ross hosts a show with different guest hosts each week. The next three weeks will have Kiff Fry, Dusty Rhodes, and Bill Fralick of the Atlanta Falcons, many of whom will be non-wrestling personalities. It was a good start with Jason Ventura because he was a key in the first show coming off so well. It'll be interesting how the show comes across when more of the bugs are worked out, but also when Ross has the work off of weaker television personalities. The show won a three and three quarter star match between a very much injured Brian Pillman and Brad Armstrong. They did a lengthy segment with Ron Simmons with a package of both football and personality clips that was extremely effective. Simmons came out in the suit and tie, and clearly this shows a total direction of theirs by WCW as compared to WF, as it, at least in this case, tried to portray the wrestler as a serious athlete as opposed to a cartoon character. Simmons stressed kids staying in school and staying on drugs. Dave still cringes when most wrestlers talk about drugs. And his interview could be categorized as a promo. The rest of the consists of matches including two and three fall, two out of three fall main event, 
between mid-card guys to attempt to get 20-minute matches on television with natural commercial breaks. Dave's personal feeling on this is with the right talent, long, long being 20 minutes for television, 30 for pay-per-view, can be an excellent change of pace. It'll be etched in one's memory much better than the average quickie match. But they really work better as a change of pace as opposed to a weekly thing. Long matches with mid-card wrestlers of average or less than average ability, like the Freebirds on next week's show, for instance, have the potential to be deaf. So this is the new WCW Saturday Night. We talked about this recently on Between the Sheets when we uh, covered that. And we talked about it on the part one as well. Yeah, so it was a needed directional change, for sure. Yes. So And it doesn't last long because of the regime change happening again. But I like the two out of three falls matches. Yeah, it's different. I, I think well, the problem yeah. is... Making it a weekly thing as part of a new direction doesn't work as well as it being a weekly thing as a tradition. Yes. Like Portland, it worked because it had been going on for years. And also the way Portland did it, I think with what they're going for here, they should have tried to ape that a little bit closer too and do the interviews between the falls and stuff like that. That would have worked better. I agree. All right. Because it just G- comes off what? as a different match type. It doesn't come off like a shift in the format if you're just doing it and just to fit in commercial breaks. Yeah. Send it for the Gene Preview show from Mobile, Alabama. will include a bikini contest with Medusa versus Missy. Dave's not making this up. Steamer, Scott Jack, with a falls can't anywhere in the Gulf Coast. Ricky Steamer versus Rip Rude in some kind of stipulation match. And the Steiners versus Doc and Gordy. And that would be Beach Blast. Yes. A very fun show. Yeah. Like most in 1992. And the bikini contest is definitely one to remember. <laughs> uh, that's one way to put it, yes. And hey, look. The whole card was booked under the Fry regime, basically. Yeah. So your there full you card for the record, at least the pay-per-view card, not counting the dark match of JYD, the Z-Man, and Big Josh over Tracy Smothers, Richard Morton, and DDP. <laughs> Was Scotty yes. Flamingo beating Brian Pillman to win the light heavyweight title? There's your heel. And what actually is a good match, but not a good thing for a number of reasons. Ron Simmons over the Taylor Made Man. Greg Valentine over Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Sting over Cactus. Steamboat over Rude in a 30 minute Iron Man match. Uh, Dustin, Wyndham, and Nikita over Arn, Austin, and Eaton. By top rope DQ with Ole Anderson as troubleshooting referee. Mm-hmm. That is the most Bill Watts WCW match that ever Bill Watts WCW'd. <laughs> Except for the main event, which is the Steiners and the Miracle Violence Connection going to a time limit draw. <laughs> yeah. In 30 minutes. And then so, uh, to go with what, da- with what Dave says here, too. Two 30-minute matches. Yep. On the, on the next pay-per-view. Yep. Well... Russell Warren happened, yeah. This is the one after that. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. All right. The, the NWA next World pay-per-view Tag- they are setting the lineup for, sure. Yes. The NWA World Tag Title Tournament will start on the June Clash in Charleston, South Carolina, with eight first-round matches to 16 teams. There'll be, half, be about half a dozen non-WCW teams entered. The final eight teams will go to the Bash on July 12th in Baltimore with a quarterfinal, semifinals, and final same place at night. An educated guest says that a climactic Steam versus Big Van Vader manager will headline that pay-per-view show, and Brian Bill versus Scotty Flamingo will be on the card as well. Well, half right. And this Bash cards, let's see, it's in Philly last, well, last week. Now it's in Baltimore a week later, Bix. 
how late a change is that then? I mean, we're still three <laughs> months out, but who knows? This is very confusing. Kiff Fry's negotiated with NTV for a tie-in similar to the 84-85 NTV WF time. That would have been interesting for a number of reasons in 1992. Yeah, because MTV is kind of changing their brand in 92 because Real World has just started at this time and place. Yes. That's first season. The network Uh, signature artists are Nirvana and Pearl Jam. Well, the grunge, the grunge thing's starting to take shape. Yeah, um, it's still though not there yet. I think the VMAs is when it really starts to shift. Um, but I'm saying you're having a lot of non-music programming now taking shape on MTV, like Real World, like House of Style, like Liquid Television, you know, stuff like that. The the, the comedy stuff they would do. Um, just different other different shows so ntv is starting to become more of a variety channel instead of just playing videos all day long yep and um i don't know if 1992 wcw fits in with the branding though i don't know i mean it could sting and sting would have fit well sting probably he would the 92 sting uh sting would have fit in better uh, uh, two years earlier yeah um Jake and Cactus would have been interesting as, as people on NTV personalities. Um, yeah, it would have been interesting to see how that works. But it doesn't happen. Until Dave, Bischoff. That, yeah. And a few years into Bischoff. Yeah. Dave, says that K. Allen Fry versus Dallas Page Angle has got to go? Describe what he's talking about here. Bruce. I don't even remember any of this. Um, Do you? <laughs> I think DDP was complaining about wrestling or some bullshit like that. I can't remember the specifics. I was I was depending on you to know this. You know every you know all this ancillary stuff. I I, I genuinely don't remember the K. Allen Fry DDP angle. So seven year old Bix wasn't discussing this at the birthday party. Oh fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> WCW has six B shows with the small Jordan, Alabama towns in the month of May to give the younger wrestlers more ring time. Did this happen novel this concept. time? Uh, I remember them running some small shows. But what a novel concept. Let's see if we can <laughs> find any results of these. Well, why you look for that? Steve Armstrong's apparently history over a contract dispute. No word on El Gigante, but nobody mentions his name anymore. In fact, Dave's not even sure anyone remembers his name. Yeah, he's gone until he shows up in WWF. Um, Steve Armstrong, this is, uh, you know, he's gone and then he sh- comes to WWF a few months later as Lance Cast. Yes. So, where but he Steve, was supposed to do a singing gimmick and never sang. Yeah. And he's a, he's a good singer. That's the thing. Um, they missed the boat on that one. And, uh, Steve, he's one of these guys that he would just take a break when he felt like it. You know, he, uh, if he was tired of wrestling, he'd take time off. Then should come back whenever he felt like he wanted to come back. He wasn't like his brothers where, you know, they were wrestling guys. He would, his The story was that his first love was always music. Hmm. But he enjoyed wrestling, too. He wasn't Mike Bonner. Right. But he enjoyed wrestling, too. And, you know, quite honestly, you know, Stevie, he was the biggest of the group. And uh, probably if if he wouldn't realize his potential, probably would have been the best worker of the group, even over Brad. I think he was the best athletically. 
Yeah. Even if Brad was a smoother worker. Brad was smoother, but Stevie could be, he would have probably could have been the best overall worker. If he would have put his whole, everything into wrestling. Steve, Steve was more like athletic in the sense of like NFL combine athletic. Yeah. And Deceptively large man. Yes. I'm, I'm not seeing any May results in small Georgia towns. Okay. I, th- I could have swore they did some. No 92 Christmas. I mean, do you want me to search for. I guess it was in Alabama. Oh, okay. Well. No, it, I mean, it, it would have been. It, it would have been. It would have been in Dalton and Rome and Northeast Alabama. That's where, where, where they would have had their shows at. Okay. But I, I could have swore that, that I remember them doing something like that. But anyway. Maybe the results just aren't around. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the April 16th issue of The Torch. And we've got a lot to cover here. <laughs> this is a special Torch Talk interview. Three months after taking over as WCW Vice President, Kip Allen Fry assesses his condition of WCW. And this is the cover story for that week's issue of The Torch as well. By Way Keller, Torch Editor, Publisher. During a pivotal time in the wrestling business, with WF facing revelations of internal scandals and their standing as wrestling's top promotion no longer rock solid, WCW began anew with a change of leadership. Kip Allen Fry replaced Jim Hurd as Executive Vice President of WCW on January 8th. In the following Torch Talk interview conducted April 3rd, Mr. Fry talks about his feelings in the first few months of WCW, including where he thinks WCW stands today, what improvements he feels has taken place since he joined WCW, and what plans exist to further improve the organization. Playing the role of Wade Keller will be our own resident reporter, David Vixenspan, and I will play the role of Kip Allen Fry. So let's go to... Yes. So let's go to Bix. All right. Looking at your first few months as executive vice president of WCW, are you happy with the progress of WCW thus far? Yeah, we've had a lot of good things happen. The main things that I was worried about when I first came in was I thought we were going, we were a long way from where we needed to be as far as the look of our shows go. I thought we were almost embarrassing ourselves every week just by not having production values up to par. I'm real happy with that. I'm happy we're having Jesse Ventura come on board. I'm happy with the direction we've started. Now it's just a process of having got here, having gotten my feet grounded, and getting to know people. I'm ready to go forward and start a longer-term process of change. As far as the looks of the programs, are you happy with the changes that have already taken place? Are you happy with the with excuse me with what changes are coming up? Note this interview took place before WCW Saturday Night and the new WCW Worldwide debuted. 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 Yeah, well, what's coming up? Were you unhappy with TBS, the syndicated programs, or both? I can't say I was unhappy with it. The looks of our shows didn't seem to have the look of a company that was out there on the cutting edge of what's in the entertainment world right now. That's what I was worried about more than anything. For what we were doing, it wasn't all that bad. I just didn't think it was the image we should be portraying. Taking the old worldwide wrestling, for example, what are some of the main changes you want to see with the new program? On a couple of levels, I thought that the actual production of the matches, I thought that there were some lighting and sound problems with them in the arenas. I thought our graphics program looked old and tired, and I hated our music. Those have all been changed as of April 11th, and it will be called WCW Worldwide. Will Jesse Ventura be permanent on both Worldwide and WCW Saturday Night on TBS? The co-host of WCW Saturday Night will change each week. The first one was with Jesse. I'm the guest on the second one. Dusty's on the third. Fourth will be Bill Frederick of the Atlanta Falcons. 
We're going to have a variety of guests from then on in the entertainment and sports world. By the way, how much more do you think they had to pay Jesse when Watts kiboshed that format and Jesse was now doing commentary on two shows a week, three hours of TV a week? Uh, they probably had to give him a little bit extra. <laughs> Just a little bit. They were tripling his workload. Yeah. <laughs> ah, wrestling. The Bill Fralick thing brings up a question. Do you believe there needs to be more of a focus on your home base of Atlanta on your national programs? Or do you think there's too much of that? There's going to be less of a focus on Atlanta. Will that eliminate heavy plugs on TBS for the Omni shows as if the Omni shows are more important than the other house shows? That's already been eliminated. In general, has running WCW been more difficult in the first few months to operate than you thought it would be going in? The real problem I've had, and it really doesn't have much to do with wrestling, is that the company hasn't replaced me as a lawyer yet. I've literally been practicing law while I'm doing this, and so I've almost been working halftime on wrestling administration. I'm still the lawyer for the company, unfortunately, so that's been the worst part. Well, I guess that answers that question from earlier, doesn't it? <laughs> but it also explains why you would have fucked it up. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, this guy gets this newfound role, but you don't have somebody to help take that load off of him. Take a focus his full responsibility on his new position. Like, you can't find a fucking lawyer in Atlanta full of fucking lawyers. You can't just you call watch up Al John Taylor and Estevaro someone. <laughs> well, if you are, I mean, you watch Atlanta television. I mean, just every other commercial is for a fucking lawyer. You couldn't get Motlick and Associates to join. Morgan and Morgan, they were around back then. You couldn't get one of the Morgans in there. Are they the Atlanta equivalent <laughs> of Salino and Barnes? Maybe, I don't know. Uh, John Foy, the strong arm, I don't think was around at this point. The strong arm of the law, John Foy. Uh, Ken Nugent, one call, that's all. Kevin Nash has done commercials for Ken Nugent. Uh, Ken Gary, Nugent? Ken Nugent, yeah. Okay. Gary Martin Hayes, he wasn't around then. This is Gary getting Martin mildly Hayes. deserving. Stop saying Atlanta TV lawyer names. Gary Martin Hayes, who uh, had such notables as Robert Vaughn, and Bill Shatner do commercials for him, and uh, used Judge Joe Brown a lot lately. So, come on, WCW. There's plenty of lawyers in the Atlanta area. When you consider all this, he's actually doing an even better job than he got credit for. Yes! Amazing. All right. Back wow. Has Dusty Rhodes had to pick up some of the slack? No. Dusty's been doing only what he'll be doing in the future. What's been pleasantly surprising so far? most interesting thing is that I've found, and it's really me just not having been around wrestling, it's a tremendous amount of pride these guys have in their work and the business itself. They really almost cherish this business. It's something they've shared for a long time. And seeing the amount of pride they have in the product, it's encouraging. All we have to do now is follow through and give them the vehicle to show their talents. Do you feel the pride in WCW has come back and that the spirit was crushed before you came in? I don't know. I wasn't there before. I can only observe what I see now. This does go to one of the things that he kind of, I think, deserves credit for in a way that maybe, I don't know if you could entirely say her did. Fry clearly has no hang-ups about wrestling. No. None. No. He wants to have his wrestling people do what they do. Yeah. And he's not going to stand in their way. He's not Jim Hurd. Anyway. What do you think have been the main pluses you've been able to give to WCW? Even while splitting your time, Jesus, I can't get over that, uh, that were not in WCW before you arrived, either from your own observations or from what other people have told you. I guess that what I've done is everyone has been forced to look at our product through a new set of eyes. 
it's very much like making a movie. You sit and you edit the movie for days and days and weeks and weeks. First time you look at it with an audience in the room, it's a completely different feeling because you're looking at it through their eyes. Now everyone in our production department, everyone in our booking department, everyone throughout the whole company, really just as a function of me being there, are looking at our product in a new way, trying to bring fresh ideas. I think they're excited to get about it. Something we should point out here, I mean, we've talked about it before, including on part one. Jim Hurd was the boss for the entire existence of WCW up to that point. Yes. When he's talking about it looking through different eyes, that's because Hurd, other than like the first couple months when they were getting ready to hire him and Jim Crockett was, depending on who you want to believe, either just kind of steadying it, getting ready for who they hired, or running it under the impression that he was going to be running it the whole time. Ever since then, it was Hurd until he got fired. Yep. From January, January yeah. till January. Yeah. Three years. <laughs> Three years. Yeah. So now we move on to something else. Switching gears to steroids. Do you think your voluntary compliance policy is working now that it's been affixed? This has six months, which is obviously wrong. Yeah. It's been what, maybe six months? weeks. Six weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. six weeks. <laughs> Are you happy with the visual progress, or more importantly, the f- the response from the wrestlers and other personnel? It's hard to categorize because people have reacted to it in different ways. A lot of people have reacted very positively to it. Others have really haven't focused on it yet because we haven't had our first kind of team meeting with the doctors. That's going to come up in the next couple of weeks. That's really going to be when they start, first start paying. That's when they really. That's really going to be when they first start paying serious attention to it. I love how you almost said serious attention. <laughs> I was thinking about steroids. <laughs> have you sensed that some who started out with compliance? frustrated already with the lack of compliance by others. For instance, Marcus Bagwell and Scott Steiner aren't any smaller than before the policy began. Well, let me take Bagwell for an example. The other day he came up to me and he said he has been putting in much more time in the gym because he is off of them. He's really concentrating on not getting too small because he wants to keep that look and wants to keep it naturally. That's the kind of reaction I think is positive. Time will tell whether that's a sincere reaction. I have no reason to believe it's not. The situation is the policy is in place. The policy gives us a six-month period to see what happens. I don't want to jump the gun evaluating after a month and a half. Okay, so Wade's about to ask about the public service announcements. Um, We'll get to those in a second. First, given the policy that's in place, what do you think of what Fry says here? I think he has a fair point. Uh, Yeah, I agree. And he gives a a good thing about uh, Bagwell. Um... You know, if Bagwell really came up to him and said that, uh, listen, man, I'm, I'm trying, I'm working harder to, to keep my look. I'm getting off the stuff. You know, that's that's good if that happened. Yes, although if we kind of infer from what Bill Watts has said, Sting does not get off the gas during this period. Yeah. Because Sting gets off the gas when Bill Watts tells him to get off the gas. Mm-hmm. So... And I doubt Scott Steiner got off of it. Sting just wanted to keep those great calves that Bagwell was envious of. (laughs) Yeah. So before we get into the conversation about the public service announcements, should we play them? Yeah, give people the context here, what's what's being talked about. Um, My recollection is, is that nobody was forced into doing these. For I went to the wrestlers and said, anyone who wants to do steroid public service announcements, do them, but... Be as honest as you can. And 
So I found five that are on YouTube. I think it's five that are on YouTube. There's one video that has like four of them together and then the Big Josh one separate. So let's let's start, I guess, with the set of four, which I know includes Pillman. I don't remember the others off the top of my head, but let's see. For Greg Valentine. Standing by Ricky the Dragon Steamboat with a very important message for our youngsters. There's one. Hi, I'm Ricky Steamboat, known as the Dragon. I represent World Championship Wrestling. I'm here to deliver a quick message, and that is to everyone out there that are taking steroids to either stop right now, and for everybody that's thinking about it, please say no. Thank you, okay, so, so Ricky, to start with, is telling kids not to do it, but doesn't say anything about himself. Of course, yeah. Um, although he looked pretty clean during that last leg of his career, especially compared to how he looked before. Yeah, he wasn't 1984 Ricky Steamboat. No, especially, you know, WWF Dragon. Yeah. Which, I think it was Phil Schneider once compared him to Bobby Lashley. <laughs> yeah, Steamboat was a jack, a jack dude in, in the in the mid-80s. He was a bodybuilder. Yeah, what? Well, yeah, he did competitions in Crockett. He quit wrestling. Because of it. Basically, and I'm not talking about the 84 part. He quit wrestling in 81-ish. He did tours of all Japan. And that was all he did. He, he bodybuilding. He did bodybuilding. Well. Yeah. I don't think I knew about that. Yeah. Well, let's go to double A. Yeah, this is Arn Anderson of World Championship Wrestling. A message to you young athletes out there. There are no shortcuts in this life. If you want to be a winner, if you want to be a champion, stay off the steroids. A little short-term gain for the long-term liability of losing your health isn't worth it to any of you. But whether you like me or you don't like me, take my word on this. Do it the easy way. Do it the right way. Earn all your successes, not steroids. It says Arn as his traps are looking noticeably developed compared to the rest of his body. Well, if Arn's telling me to not take steroids, you better believe I ain't going to do it. Again, Arn giving a fairly generic PSA there. Yeah. Let's continue with WCW Pro. I guess that's worldwide now. Which, actually, wait, which song is this show from? Or which well, show is this song from? Well, it's about a WCW magazine on, still, on newsstands in March the 10th, so they haven't done the change yet. So this sounds like Pro. Okay. Pro Chicago. It's decision time for all you young athletes. Take steroids or not to take them. Well, let me tell you something. I talk from experience. I've seen throughout my career what steroids can do. I've seen the record bench presses, but unfortunately, I've seen the injuries. I've seen the illnesses, and I've seen the heartbreak and despair when a young athlete and his family has to go through a career-ending suspension thanks to steroids. Make the right decision. Don't do steroids. Well, there's your serious one. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting about that? It can be read as him not talking about himself. Yeah. Even though he, if you know about Pillman, you know he is talking about himself. That's right. And yeah. it was, where was it that he actually got suspended? Was it the CFL or was it the Bills? Um, It, it was in CFL. It wasn't It, wasn't it was on NFL. the St. Peter's. Yeah. Okay. Because the Bills, the Bills were when he got, he got cut, even the, he got cut after they found steroids, but it was because they felt like he was just a juiced up little guy. And if you ever seen Brian Pillman in the early days of wrestling, he his upper body is humongous. He is much bigger than he is in WCW. Oh in God, yes. Yeah. There's a picture the Atomags used of him. I remember when he was in Bad Company. 
and he's he's standing there and he's flexing, and he fucking looks like Brock Lesnar from the upper body. Do you have a dick tattoo Crazy. on his chest? No. Okay. But I, very sincere there, clearly. And as Meltzer's told it, was the first person who volunteered to go do this. All right, who's next on this? Hey, it's Freebirds. I'm a free bird, and what is your excuse? You know, there's one type of man that could look at his face in the mirror and be proud of it. It's a real man. Real men don't use steroids because we're tough, for real. You know, steroids can lead to cancer, they can lead to sterility, and you can be laying up in hospital for months watching your tendons rip away from the bone. So don't yeah, be Scott a Steiner. or you'll never be at the top of your sport for 17 glorious years. <laughs> Love Larry Land. <laughs> Larry giving specifics seems fairly serious about it. Yeah. Even if he's still cutting a very Larry Zabisco promo. <laughs> yeah. And now here's the one and only Big Josh. Big Josh from World Championship Wrestling. And I got a message for mainly you high school kids out there. I understand how everybody wants to be the best at what they do. Be the strongest. Be the fastest. Be able to jump the highest. I understand that. But I want to tell you that steroids is not the way to do it. See, I know. I've made the mistake. And God knows what it's done to me physically. But I can tell you. He just pointed to his groin off camera when he said that. <laughs> well, he ain't lying. Keep going. That mentally, it changed my moods. It changed my personality. If you want to be the best you can be, do it naturally without steroids. And so that's he's a guy that's telling the truth <laughs> so yeah yeah that cool. boy never took steroids he'd be in the wwf with rocco right now <laughs> oh man but him and him and pillman are the clear uh stars of this oh yeah well let's talk about some more although play. zabisco is comes close with the talk about sterility and being laid up in the hospital for months with your tendons falling off the bone so then you won't have it 17 my mood, glorious my years. I didn't mean to press play there. 17 glorious years. So yes, <laughs> let's let's go back now and talk about this. How about the public service announcements? What's been the reaction to, to those so far? We've got a lot of positive reaction to it. There's an occasional negative reaction to an individual one because people don't like this or that. But the overall response has been real positive. I've got a lot of calls people who are glad to see it because of the effect it's having on kids. Do you think the wrestlers should admit their previous steroid use openly in the announcements? Absolutely. In fact, we just did one with Big Josh. I don't remember his exact words, but what I remember him saying was simply, I've been there, I've done steroids, it was a mistake, and I wish I hadn't done them now. There are, you go. you, are you going to do that with more of the wrestlers? Yes. So I guess Pillman comes after this then? Maybe. Shifting to arenas, what is WCW status with the Meadowlands Arena? And one of the stat actually, I do want to add here quickly before I get to that. Actually, they deserve credit for taking this on head on. Yeah, WF sure wasn't doing it. No, certainly wasn't any. Didn't have anyone admitting use. No, especially in that context. Yeah. Okay, shifting to arenas. What is WCW status with the Meadowlands Arena, and what is the status of WCW getting into Madison Square Garden? Well, as I understand it, we're not going to be in the Meadowlands at least for the near future. We're looking at other places, but it's not far enough along where I can really talk about it now. Speaking generally, then, using Madison Square Garden as just a case example, 
legally is it possible for the arena pr- to prevent WCW from running shows in those arenas? Is it legally possible for you to force access? In general, there are situations in which buildings can choose not to do business with other entities. The bottom line, the position I've taken from the beginning, is that our, as our product improves, people want to deal with us. I really don't believe that anyone has seen the improvement in our product they can expect simply because they haven't cycled into the system yet. As our product gets better, I believe then when I go back to the arenas and say, hey, look what we're doing. We're doing this, 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 and this. We've improved here and here and here. That's when I believe deals will begin to be struck. Do you see how being a lawyer helps with his answer here? Because when Wade gives him kind of that, well, then speaking generally, Fry immediately knows where to go with it. Yeah, but WCW at this point in time, if, if they can't do business in Baltimore, there's no, no. way they should be trying to do business in uh, New no. York. No, it's kind of pointless. What was your reaction to the success or lack of success of Super Brawl? Super Brawl, the largest number of buys we've had in the last eight pay-per-views. The final numbers aren't in, but it did around a 1% buy rate. The universe has gotten so much larger that the buy rate percentages are going down. So I think it's more enlightening to talk in terms of number of buys. As it becomes, wait, wait, no, excuse me, as more homes become wired for pay-per-view, wouldn't those homes be more likely to purchase a pay-per-view event because of the novelty of it? Thus, shouldn't pay-per-view buy rates increase as the universe expands? Well, that may be true theoretically. What I think is happening, I don't have any data to back this up, but I think the homes that are coming on now are more in the rural areas that wouldn't have had TBS before because they didn't have cable before and also wouldn't have the syndicated show in the area. So as I said, I don't know that for a fact, but it makes sense to me. New York isn't just coming online here in major, other major cities. We're seeing new homes added where the rest of the product hasn't had a way to get to these people yet. So it might take a little longer for people to grow into the product. Is at least right, generally speaking, that saying that the buy rate percentage should automatically go up doesn't really make sense. It's a percentage. Yeah, exactly. It depends on who from your audience already had access. Percentages don't change. It's all about – that's the math. It's the number of number of homes available, which is the key thing, not percentage. No, it could change for various reasons, but it, not just inherently because they're in more homes. Yes. We talked about some impro- some of the improvements or changes coming up. What are some of those changes that are a couple months away and that you can talk about now? We started a program here in Atlanta. It's going to grow to nationwide status. And as weekly here in Atlanta, we've been working with the Atlanta Housing Authority. And Teddy Long has been going to different housing projects each week, t- taking wrestlers with him and having the wrestlers talk to kids in the community about staying in school, staying away from drugs, and that kind of thing. We're going to be doing that on a nationwide basis to make that contact with the com- community and get our name out there. We're going to be sending wrestlers ahead uh, to all the towns we're booked into to do some PR there and community work and that type of thing. That will be exciting. And that was kind of Teddy Long's main job pretty much until he left, right? Yeah, and that's why if you, when you watch that September clash that um, – oh, God, Rob Pitts – who was a big-time political figure in Atlanta for many years, was there to present that thing to Teddy Long. And here's WCW embracing their black fan base. Embracing their black fan base, but also not using it for PR cachet. Exactly, because it's not being pushed on television. But I mean, not using the charity work in general. Yeah, exactly. Which is pretty much the opposite of WWE, especially WWE at the exact same time. Yes. 
Um, as I was putting these notes together, I, t- I tweeted it on Thursday, Thursday the 20th. You know, this is when WWE really starts to go big on that because of the scandals and stuff. Oh, yeah. So it, it's a very clear difference at this time, as much as any. Yes, yeah, not patting yourself on the back. You know, we're doing this, but we're not out to do this to get, you know, public recognition for how great we are and how charitable we are, you know? Yeah. Which... And, they, and they really did do this a lot, too. I mean, especially, I mean, Teddy Long, it, it kind of had become his job, but Mark Marrow, I think, deserves a ton of credit for just how much charity work he did, especially in and around Atlanta. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, you know, he, you know, he, he would just, work that into his wrestling schedule yes but wwe now they do a ton of charity stuff and they do know? a and lot they, that they don't publicize too they do a lot they don't publicize too and i can't get mad at them for doing stuff on television because they bring awareness like the stuff they're doing now with the connor's cure and stuff like that where they they bring out the kids on television and they've been doing it on raw sure that's cool because that i mean that, that, that makes those kids lives to do that so that's a that's a good thing that's a good thing yeah the co the coleman stuff the issue is more in well people that's also thing. in part rightfully so, taking issue with coleman as a, as the charity to go with but, but they're not but they're far and beyond the the only person people working with coleman. of course so they're just coleman's the go-to you know coleman is the, the, they are the brand name breast cancer charity exactly so regardless of if that's deservedly so Anyway. And even and even then, they have the breast cancer survivors and stuff like that. They do special stuff with them. Yeah. So they bring bring an awareness to the issue. All right, let's get back to this. Yes. You've added Ventura, Flamingo, in the future, Williams and Gordy. Are you looking at adding other talent, or are you content for the time being? We're looking at several other people, but I can't get into it. I'm just not sure what stage they're at. Terry Allen's in charge of that. When he and Dusty decide on someone they want to look at, he's the one who contacts it. So he is the talent acquisitions person at this point, I guess, or talent yeah, the, relations. The, bo- the boss, yes. Madden. It might be much too early to evaluate him, but up to this point, are you happy with Dusty Rhodes' performance as Booker? And does there seem to be satisfaction by others with how well he is doing, or is there the usual dissent? There doesn't seem to be any dissent. I'm very happy with what he's been doing. I think he's got a lot of really good things coming up. Again, a lot of what he's done in the last three months really was determined months before I came in. My relationship with Dusty has been real good. I'm happy with what he's doing, and I expect things to continue to get better. What do you make of Dusty's performance at this time? Nobody talks about it because he's not he's not doing he's not doing Dusty stuff as the Booker. You know, it, it, it's one of his best runs because he's not on television. He's not pushing himself. And this is and when it comes to WCW, you know, runs. This is one that's always looked upon as one of the greatest runs ever. And it's always Kip Fry who gets the credit. Dusty was the booker. And to a stem was, but Dusty's the booker. So if you're going to blame Dusty for shitty booking, you need to praise him for his great booking too. And it also makes you wonder how much of the shitty stuff in 91 is just herd bullshit that Dusty Well, a lot of it's herd. That's what I'm saying. How much (laughs) of that is just Dusty humoring him too? Exactly. Dusty's going to do what his boss wants to do first. Really, you think about it. Yeah, he's got to appease his boss. And if Kip Fry's letting, if Kip Fry's not being an overbearing boss and letting Dusty do his own thing, then that makes it easier for Dusty just to do what he wants to do. I mean, he has the directive, 
you know, that Fry wants good wrestling, blah, 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 blah. Then Watts comes in and Watts wants things done his way, so Dusty's got to kowtow to Watts. But he adjusted you know? well, too. Yeah. And to get back to Madden real quick, I mean, uh, I've watched shooting interviews of Madden, and Madden talks about this, that, you know, when he was in that position, he watched he watched a lot of wrestling, you know, a, a lot of wrestling on television and stuff like that. So he was keeping his, you know, eye on talent around the country. All right. So moving back on, Wade asks, it seems there's been a bit of a, excuse me, a lot of a concern, at least from what people are saying to me, with the amount of appearances you've been making on television and the references to your name. Some people have gone as far as saying you're being portrayed as WCW's number one babyface. Are you concerned with this? You know, I'm just doing what they tell me to do. Ultimately, I think there may be a little bit of a kind of, well, let's do the boss a favor here. I don't expect to be on that much in the future. I was a guest host on one of the shows we did. I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like when you get a new toy, everyone wants to play with it. I expect that will calm down as it already wears off. Wade and some of the other critics are overstating the issue, too. Exactly. He's the anti-Jim Hurd, you know? Jim Hurd was on TV plenty. Yes, he was, especially l- later on in his run. Yeah, I mean, his his name's coming up, but I think, I think they were in such a rebuilding period, that emphasizing that there is a new regime, especially if you're not exactly. really focusing on him that much, is important. Exactly. I, agree. I totally agree. Then he's doing a good job. Yes. No, this is not Vince Russo in WCW as, you know, either as the powers that be or himself. This is not that. Yes. This yes. is not Al Tomko as the, you know, <laughs> authority figure on his shows. This is not someone who's overexposed. Mm-hmm. Do you have any plans to pull WCW in a very deliberate fashion out of the shadow of the WWF's bad image? The bad image the WWF is shedding on professional wrestling in general? That's some weird choice of words, shedding there, because it makes it seem like they're getting rid of it. Uh, in other words, are there plans to really proclaim your strengths in comparison to the WWF's weaknesses? There's not a plan to try to capitalize on what's going on with WWF. What's happening there is unfortunate. It's not something where I think anyone can gain by taking advantage of the situation. I think what we have to do is concentrate on what we do well, try to do it as best as we can, and hopefully the comparisons will be favorable. So you're worried more with the long-term image than the impression people might get over the next few months of pro wrestling in general from all the mainstream coverage of the scandals? I'm worried about it, but I don't think there's necessarily anything I can do about it. I don't think in any of this is the way to succeed is by emphasizing the perceived effects of your competitor. I think the way to succeed is by emphasizing your strengths and the good things you do. He's right. Plus, what could they do? Nothing. Other than just kind of pushing the We Wrestle stuff again, which is a deficiency of the competitor. What? No child molestation here, folks. No. We don't touch kids. We don't like their feet either. Like, what could they do? (laughs) Really? Do PSAs like they do with steroids. All right, this is uh, Big Van Vader here. Never suck on a kid's toes. Oh, God. Hi, this is Big Josh. (laughs) <laughs> oh, he's not the one to be doing that. I once locked a woman in her in a hotel room and refused to let her out, even when her mother came. Don't do that. Pro wrestling shouldn't be that way. No, no, no. Who else is on doing... the roster? Oh, my God. Uh, 
don't know. But yeah. Only have sex with Just, gravity boots on if the woman gives you her informed consent. <laughs> it's just good, healthy fun. Just, I know that's a terrible pillman, but just do what you do. That's all. That's and, and he's right. He's running the money there. Looking even longer term on a pessimistic side, what do you think it is going to take for Dusty Rhodes to no longer be Booker? That was phrased a little oddly. What would need to go wrong? A lot of people want to know how long WCW will wait for a turnaround and how much of a turnaround is needed for patience with Dusty Rhodes to continue. Dusty is not under a timetable or a deadline. He's not under some under some litmus test of whether he's going to stay or leave. Dusty is my booker for the foreseeable future. And, you know, I'm seeing any business. The people above me are saying someday if I screw up bad enough, I'm going to be gone. But I don't think they're expecting me to screw up, and I'm not expecting to screw up. Maybe someday I'll need to address the situation, but it's not right now. No, they're not waiting for you to screw up. They're just negotiating with your replacement. <laughs> well, thing is, is that you got uh, you got Wade here going off on D- Dusty in a subtle way, and it, it's just he's doing a great job. It makes no sense. Just because of Dusty's past deals, you know? Well, yeah. And he's not really on TV. No. He's just over-pushing that no-talent son of his. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yes, that very untalented son. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what's been your impression of the wrestling newsletters, specifically the main few weeklies? I've read some. I don't know. I think it's like anything else. If I were asked to write about what's going on IBM, I might have a lot of great ideas that sound great on paper, but I would have no way of even imagining the complexity of trying to implement some of those ideas and some of the reasons. As absolutely reasonable as that might sound in the abstract, when they can never be done. I think there's a lot of really earnest thought that goes into it. But to some extent, I don't believe someone who's not actually part of actually running the business, excuse me, watching the dollars flow through the company, it's very hard to come up with suggestions that are relevant to all the concerns that we face here. Would you like to see more of an understanding of that when suggestions were made, such as qualifying them? No. I don't think there's anything that can be done. I think they're finding what they are. What they are is an outsider's view of what could be done. In some instances, there are some good ideas that come out of suggestions that are made. But for the most part, they're pretty naive of the complexities of a big company. How about satisfaction with the accuracy? Nothing that sticks out in my mind is having been wildly wrong that I've read in print. Some stories ended up being dead wrong. But I could kind of piece together at the time that they were reported. They probably seem right. But no, I don't have any complaints about accuracy. The happiest executive with wrestling newsletters in the history of Major League Professional Wrestling. <laughs> yeah. He's basically like, well, I mean, you know, when they make suggestions, they, they they probably don't really understand the whole TBS structure, which is basically what he's saying there, and which we know is fairly accurate for him to say that. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, they're mostly accurate. I mean, stuff they didn't get right was probably right at the time they reported it, so we're cool. That's basically all he's saying. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Also, could you. Um, what would be the equivalent to this happening now? I don't. We have a. I know we don't have a WCW equivalent now. I mean, would this would this be President Harold doing a long interview with the Torch or something like that? Yes. Is President Harold the equivalent of Kip Allen Fry for twenty eighteen? Um, I don't know because he may do some things that may be the opposite of what Kip Fry. Yeah, the jury's still kind of out on President Harold. Yeah. There's rumors. That's about it. We'll see how it goes. Speaking of which... Oh, well, actually, no. That's that's another question I had. 
First, what about the status of Jim Crockett? There have been so many conflicting reports. Jim doesn't work here in the office anymore. It's really a situation that amounts to a philosophical difference in doing business, really with me. Although I got along with Jim pretty well. As far as his status right now, there are some elements of his status that are confidential and I can't expose. He is not part of the day of the operations right now. Yeah, he thought it should be his job. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you buy what the Crockett say that they were told they were going to run the business as part of the purchase? I think I think Jim fully believes it. Why wasn't it in the purchase? I don't think it was ever promised to him. I don't think it was ever promised. You don't think it was promised? You, th- you think nothing was said to him, them, so they just assumed it? He probably thought that who else is going to do it? Yeah. You know? Why would it be anyone else? Exactly. Why would they get a Pizza Hut executive? <laughs> yeah. Finally, there are a lot of complaints and a lot of concern about Brian Pillman's interview at the Clash previewing his match against Jushin Liger at Super Bowl. There was concern that WCW is taking a real-life issue, Japan bashing, and turning it into a wrestling angle when the theme of wrestling for so long has been to exploit and mock minorities and other nationalities and angles. And the strong concern that was that Pillman's anti-Japanese interview in an instance where Liger wasn't a heel wrestler, he was simply a fantastic athlete, fell into the pattern of pro wrestling falling into the paradigm of wrestling being sort of sleazy and capitalizing on racial issues instead of the talent of the two wrestlers. Did you feel a backlash, or did you yourself feel the angle Pillman took was inappropriate? I thought the interview itself was kind of at the borderline of what would be acceptable. I thought the way Brian Hallen himself was Super Bowl itself was very good. He ended up shaking hands. It was a nice touch. It's only the Japan situation I could think of. Will Japan bashing take place in the future, such as when the Steiners promote their match against the Japanese opponents at WrestleWar? I don't think there's any plans to do any Japan bashing with the Steiners. Is the door open for them in the future if you thought it would add to an angle and to help sell it? I don't know that Japan bashing will sell at all. I think there's a national nationalist natural nationalist pride that you can play on in the sense that you treat a U.S. team in the Olympics against any other team. But I don't think there are any plans to specifically target the Japanese as objects of scorn. Okay, so Wade is talking about, in a more general sense, kind of the the remnants of, like, anti-Japanese manufacturing hostility and the like from the 80s, right? Yes. How, how big would you say that was at this point? No, not. <laughs> yeah, that, that's why I, I was confused reading this. It seems like Wade, Wade, Wade is taking something that was nothing and trying to make a big deal about it. Now, in the context, is Pillman doing an anti-Japanese interview before the Liger match kind of weird and not fitting what they were doing? Yes. Yeah. But otherwise, I mean... It, it's wrestling. Now, if this was a year <laughs> later after the whole Yokozuna Duggan thing, it would be different. That would be a legitimate yeah. reason to bring for that to be something that you would consider more controversial. Yeah. But this is more just one interview that was kind of ill-advised. Yeah. And that's the end of the interview. Yeah, it's interesting that it ended on that, that yeah, discussion. Yeah, I guess he ran out of time. Overall, what do you think, though, of the interview, Wade's performance, Kip's performance? I thought Kip was great. Yeah. Um, Wade's questions were little, could be a little uh, juiced. Let me use a word for a little agenda driven, but uh, I think I think Kip handled himself very well in answering the questions. I agree. He's I think real- being a lawyer helps him out in that situation. Oh yeah, because the thing he's not Bill Watts. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not necessarily with corporate lawyers. I mean, at least corporately employed lawyers. But I mean, one of the things you learn the more you time you spend as a reporter is if you're talking to someone's like Bill Bill Hours attorney. 
they're great people to talk to because they'll just talk your ear off because they're just they'll just get paid more. Mm-hmm. They can just bill it to their client. So lawyers are just very lawyers are I think more adept to talking to the media than maybe people give them credit for. Yeah. So he handled himself tremendously well here. Came off honest, you know, like seemed to have the right idea about WCW. So all told, good stuff. Absolutely. So now from there, it's still April. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. So let's go to uh, the four twenty edition of the Observer. Mm-hmm. And hey, who does the four twenty edition of the Observer start, start with? Um, well, well, actually, there's a more four twenty name later in the paragraph. But let's get started here, shall we, Chris? Yes. As far as the Jay Roberts rumors are concerned, I do know there's been talk, but I don't think there's any deal finalized as of yet. Depends on this contract situation with WWF, most likely. Jim Ross is hitting on the power. I'm talking about Snake Watch on the 900 number. Hey, Jim Ross, huh? In the 420 Observer? <laughs> Snake Watch, huh? Yeah, I wonder who that's. I'm talking about Snake Brown? The, no, the Viper. From the Little Wrestling <laughs> yeah. Federation. Yeah, obviously. Cuts the same promo. I'm on, yeah, when all this turns out. Yep. Steve Arshaw was simply fired. There will be other lower-level guys who also won't have their contracts renewed. So there you go. Oh, well. The first episode of the new format WCW show did a week 2.2 rating on April 4th for a main event going head-to-head WrestleMania did a 2.0 and Power Hour did a 1.9. The second episode of the new format show wasn't nearly as good as the first. The shows are dragging and they're only 90 minutes, which doesn't bode well for two hours. But the only thing memorable was Steamboat's interview, which is real good. Only thing is, he did several others almost identical on all other shows over the weekend. Freebirders versus Taylor Man and Greg Valentine, two or three fall match, confirmed my previous suspicion that with the wrong people, two or three falls doesn't make for fun television. That sounds like pulling teeth. Yeah. Steven the Truth on John C's Nine Atlanta said a line that got a few WCW folks upset when he said he was starting to hear about the terrible accident that befell Eric Bischoff. He fell down and broke his hair. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Why Steve would anyone be upset about that? Yeah, Steve, friend of the show, former guest Steve Prazak. Because it's who it is. Because it's Stephen Scherf? Yeah. Because it's an Atlanta boy? Yeah. <laughs> We've done that before on the re- on the main show. Covered that one. That's, that's always funny yes. to me, that line. All right. The April 27th issue of The Observer. Dave said he won the wait at least six weeks for writing this, but there's a pretty major consensus out that the new WCW Saturday Night Show was a lemon. Or as uh, Bono of you 2 once sang, of the three shows that aired in How the did I know you were going there before you even said anything about it? <laughs> it's a memorable song. Yeah. Of the three shows that aired in an attempt to change format, only the first show had its moments, and that was a lot more because of Jesse Ventura's co-host, the quality of Brian Hill and Brad Armstrong match rather than the format. But after two weeks without commentators and matches of that quality, the seven changes are going to have to be made. The second show with Kip Fry's guest host only had only one, height, well, one highlight, the Steamboat interview. And the dreadful two out three fall match we just mentioned. This past weekend was yet another drop. Two hours of Dusty Rose is bad enough, but when Rose comes on pretty much unprepared and fakes his way through two hours by doing his charming jive, which gets himself over the expense of the issues and the other wrestlers, there's nothing short of a disaster. Wait, 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 wait. How could the Booker be unprepared to be yeah. the guest host of his own show? It's, to, it's, it's again, taking shots at Dusty. That's all this is. While I'm convinced in their proper place, there's still room for a long two or three fall matches even on television. They have to be careful because they are a strong negative unless it is with talent that can keep people's interest through three falls. 
Mid-card formers are going nowhere against one another. It's not going to make good television when they're out there for 30 minutes, even if they're technically sound performers. It's almost like we're going from one extreme to another without hitting middle ground. Jim Herbert's out about nothing going more than 14 minutes, even when he had performers like Ric Flair's matches got better as they went longer. Now we're having wrestlers out there on Saturday nights on television given time that should only be reserved for the top-level performers. I'm not sold on the guest host concept, although it needs to be given time. The next two weeks, we'll have Bill Frelick of the Atlanta Falcons and Jason Hervey. Thinking an interesting personalities and characters who can interplay well with Jim Ross and the wrestlers, maybe it's not a bad concept. But thus far, it hasn't worked. Ventura was good, not great the first week. Fry was passable, but clearly not a broadcaster. Rose overwhelming in a negative sense. Being the booker, he should have been great, as he should know better than anyone where he's going long-term and laid out hints to set the stage lower show. In addition, the opening comes off as a tacky ripoff of a talk show. The fans of center stage reacted to the match like they'd rather be anywhere but th- where they are. The audio enhancement can heed of the squash match is too obvious, and the tracks rather than enhances. It's too early to point to the early ratings as proof, even though 2.2 and 2.1 in the first two weeks are hardly votes of confidence. It's also too much too soon to make a rash judgment based on ratings. But going this direction, ratings aren't going to improve. This is a suggestion to scrap the format, but be a lot more careful what airs in the context of the format. A regular coast and the announcer team has chemistry might be a start. I think the interview segment's a positive. More out of the ring features are must. Although I don't know anyone who wants to hear the Freebirds sing that song again. And most importantly, unless there's specific purposes in the store of the match advances or starts a new angle, keep three full matches to match us. People are dying to see a performance that will kill them after 10 minutes. Arn Anderson's a great performer, and Big Josh is okay, and they probably had a great match technically, but I dare say that isn't a match that will hold a television viewer's attention for 38 minutes. Okay, first things first, Arn Anderson versus Big Josh was actually a tremendous match. The problem with it is that Big Josh, in the Big Josh gimmick, the way Big Josh was used, was not the wrestler to have in a 40-minute, two-out-of-three-falls match the way that Matt Bourne would have been. And... It would have been great if they would have actually told the story, which they couldn't do because of the character, about Arn and Matt Bourne being past tag partners. Yeah, until... You could have done that if, 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 could have done that if it was Matt Bourne. Can't do it, Big Josh. Yeah. And then Big Josh did too many steroids and wouldn't let the girl out of her hotel room. <laughs> I mean, what do you think about Dave's uh, assessment here, the early going of Saturday night? I think he's being a little too harsh. No. On Dusty as well. Yeah, there's that. Um, it needed tweaking, but I think overall it was a positive. Problem is we yeah. didn't get to see it breathe because it gets cut off in a few, couple of weeks because there's no no more Kip Fry. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right. Uh, he used the Van Hammer all over the booking sheets. They're expected back. So there's your answer to that question. Speaking of drugs. WCW will be holding a mandatory steroid seminar for all wrestlers on April 28th in Birmingham with Dr. David Lee Black from Tennessee speaking. Black does a laboratory analysis for the WWF steroid testing and will probably have a WCW mandatory compliance program. Dr. David L. Black, huh? <laughs> yes. Yep, people. He, <laughs> even though Dr. Mauro Pascali and before him, Dr. Anthony Daly actually administered the original WWF program. Dr. David Black was around doing the actual laboratory testing the whole time. <laughs> Although that's yes. not a name anyone's really heard in the news in a decade. Dr. Black. Yeah. Kiff Fry said he's hoping to see some real improvements and in interest in the product during the mid-June July period when the group runs two pay-per-views in a clash. It was too much. So I think he's, 
he won't be around. No, that, that. too. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's been signed as far as Jake Roberts is concerned, but the betting line is he'll be in here as soon as he's able to contract or wants to. Vince McMahon must believe that considering how much he's bearing Roberts verbally on television, which used to be a no-no when guys with the Fed, as there were some retaliations, WWE routinely shows Flair, Sid, and Luger, etc. in defensive position against current guys. I don't remember him bad-mouthing Jake, do you? Uh, I remember him talking about Jake after he left, basically calling him a coward and stuff like that. He got sent out of the World Wrestling Federation by the Undertaker. That's yeah, yeah. yeah. You'll never see him again. <laughs> The idea that was presented to Dave is that the NWA will be presented as a worldwide organization of which WCW is the American member. There will be annual NWA tournaments and champions crowned, but the NWA champion won't appear regularly to defend the titles on WCW big shows. Kind of like the NBA and the Olympics, at least in theory. Dave hopes it works because it would be great to see different guys in different styles, but it takes a lot of time to educate people to newcomers, and that many in one night with that little lead time maybe pushing things. Should be the most unique clash there's ever been, if nothing else. Well, it was that. Mm-hmm. They'll be doing a top 10 tournament worldwide during May sweeps. The only match taped this fall saw Rick Rude beat Terrence Taylor. Expect some face versus face and heel versus heel matchups on television. Well, they already did one, so. Yeah. That, that, that's fairly obvious. Um, which tournament? Did, did this have more branding? Is this the Super Nintendo tournament? Is this the computer? Because they had so many like weird sweeps tournaments. I don't remember which was which. Well, this was is this literally one. just the top 10 tournament? It's top 10 tournament. Okay, so what else did we have? We had the Computer Challenge. Later, yeah. We had the Super Nintendo tournament. Later, yeah. Are there any others? Uh, I can't remember any others. It was Marcos of Queenberry. That was, that was just Flair and Regal, right? Yeah, but those three, though, were within, like, what, a year? Yeah, they were, they they were, were all pretty back similar. They were just back-to-back, yeah. Big Josh's steroid promo there this weekend was also the best of his kind because it sounded straight and to the point. And he pointed at his balls. <laughs> All right, let's go to the April 30th torch. A public service announcement is steroid use air with Barry Windham saying, I've always believed in being unique. If you want to be unique, don't use steroids. He did not say he ever used steroids. And it's anyway he has not because he said he always believed in being unique. Big Josh's steroid PSA includes him saying he used steroids and had turned him into a different person temperament-wise. But they did not know what it did to his insides. His insides? <laughs> That's not exactly what he said, Wade. So there's the Barry Windham uh, part. We, we haven't seen that. His promo. Unique, huh? No. That, that's an interesting way to put it. Oh, uh, yeah. He never really looked. And we had. Oh, what? I was going to say, he never really looked roided other than like. In, in the Widowmaker run, as short as it is, he does look kind of bloated, but. Yeah. That's about it. And now let's go to another torch talk. Just oh, excerpts oh, for this one, though. With Jim Ross. So now to resume his role as Wade Keller, here's Bix. Hold on, let me have a bite of some vegan uh, <laughs> products. Just had some lovely vegan bottled water. How about other areas where impression of the positive aspects Kip Fry has been able to bring to WCW since Jim Hurd's departure in January? Probably the main thing he's brought in is a positive attitude to all phases of our division. He's an easy guy to communicate with, and he's very intelligent, and he'll be the first to admit he doesn't know a great deal about the wrestling business, but he's learning. He does have an excellent background in television because of his degree in film from USC. He's helped us a lot in production. I think the production guys are happier now than they've been. I think our production guys are taking a lot more pride in their product. I think we've seen that in the graphics on the worldwide show and the music they're adding. So the guys in production are really working hard, and Kit's been a real shot in the arm, especially... 
but his attitude and the way he handles people is probably his best attribute. Film the Green USC, huh? Interesting. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. That's his undergrad before he became a lawyer? I guess so. Do you sense that not just people in the office, but the wrestlers and personnel on the road have also sensed the change and gained optimism? I think the wrestler found him to be a very accommodating manager and someone that would give them the time to come in and communicate with them. From what I could see, and I'm not on the road that much, the guys seem to be real happy with Kip Fry. It seems like everyone likes not being around a hot-headed pizza man. <laughs> yeah, you think? Actually, I wonder if a lot of the dissatisfaction with Bill Watts is that they finally got away from that type for a few months. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Kip Fry is a breath of fresh air between, you know, especially when then you go back, you go to Bill Watts after him. I can see why people would have been miffed. Exactly. What might be Kip Fry's weaknesses right now? Possibly a, lo- a long-term area where he will need to rely on someone else or have to work really hard where someone else might not have to struggle. Most obvious thing is the deficiency in the actual ring product of wrestling. Why some things are done and why some things aren't done. Obviously, that would be the area he'll need the most improvement in. At the same time, that would be the area he improves the most in. He's a very intelligent man. He watches a lot of tapes. He's very aware of what people say about our product. He's very critical when he watches it. In that regard, I think he's going to learn really quickly because he's watching a lot of products. Unfortunately, he doesn't have much more time. No. But, so. I mean, Jim Ross in this era, I think we should point out too, was surprisingly candid when he'd do torch talks and the like. Yeah. You know, it wasn't the current JR where uh well he's also he's got remember he's doing his own thing too he's doing his radio show so he has kind of simpatico to what's going on here because he's doing his own sort of thing the same way sure you know when I mean, he does his show he doesn't want his guests to clam up and not give good answers to questions sure so he needs so. to be more than just a sniveling corporate suit basically <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah i guess so there is that um but he seems optimistic here but yeah he has to know that watts is on his way in though too maybe he's Watts's guy yeah i mean you would think he would right who knows i guess only they do all right let's move on to the month of may and go to may the 4th the Observer that came out that, on that day. In the latest in legal action regarding WF and W excuse me. In the latest in the legal action regarding <laughs> WF, WCW Executive Vice President Kip Fry confirmed that the company has filed a lawsuit against Lex Luger for a violation of their contract release agreement. Fry said that the wording of Luger's contract in his release, which Fry himself put together, is confidential. Well, there's the answer to that whole thing. However, Fry believes Luger and WF have gone way over the boundaries of what was allowable in the release by regularly appearing on WF television shows, even if it is supposedly to promote the WF television show rather than the WWF. Luger was under contract with WCW through March of 93 and has worked for Titan Sports in the WBF division until he's legally allowed to work for the WF as a wrestler. Okay, first things first, when is his in-ring wwf debut because obviously his first appearance as a wrestler is the rumble in 93 um he works mania let's see but he's all um, his finisher's already over as being the forearm by then i want to say he's worked the tv tape after the rumble 
So this clearly this this lawsuit is settled in time for them to make it January, I would think. Let's Either or, or maybe early February. I mean, I could be wrong on the on the exact. Oh yeah, he wrestles in January. Okay. You don't hear well, much you about this this lawsuit though. You hear yeah. about the situation, but not the lawsuit. And yeah, he wrestles twice at the San Jose tapings after the Rumble, defeating Larry Ludden and Jim Powers, and then Virgil. One night later in Fresno. Larry Ludden, North Beach, to Alan Ludden, the great uh, host of Password, and former husband of Betty White. What What do you think of the argument here? Because I, f- um, I, f- I feel like it's a fair distinction that it would be one thing if he was just appearing on WBF programming and straight up, you know, like promo packages for WBF programming. But he's cutting promos on WWF television and WWF pay-per-views. Here's the thing, though, is promoting the WBF. There, it's just, it's a fine line, and they're walking it. I think, especially what 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 it is. Um, and you got to give them credit for 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 doing that. Um, they found a way to beat the system in this in this way. Um, and who knows what would happen if Luger hadn't gotten into a motorcycle wreck? How much more he would have been on television? Yeah, there's that. Originally, he was going to guest pose at the second annual WBF Championships. So, I think the wreck changes a lot of stuff, too. So, but, I mean, the WBF has been around for quite a while. By the time that 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 Kip Pride does the release, and like we said earlier, looking at Luger, you should have known that that would have been an option for them to go with, to to sneak him on television. Based on how huge he got, yeah, yes. So, well, also, Kip, Fry, Kip Fry just didn't do. I mean, they they didn't do the proper due diligence to uh, think everything through. Well, you know, especially since wasn't Kip Fry one of the main lawyers for WCW on the Flair Belt case? Yes, which included Titan trying to make a near replica, not exact, but. Yeah. A very, very similar belt, and then them taking WWF back to court and winning. Yeah. He should know what they might do by now. Yeah. Even if he's relatively green when it comes to wrestling, in acting as the lawyer for WCW, he should have had an idea what was coming. Uh, yeah, I think so. Even just thinking as a lawyer, not even thinking as a wrestling person. Exactly. All right, Barry Windham won the WCW television title center stage in Atlanta on April 27th for a packed house of 825, all papered. Winning two or three falls with Steve Austin and the match that airs on TV on May the 9th. That went 18 minutes on the three-star match. Windham busts his lip open during the match. Randy Owen of the group country group Alabama was the guest host for the first show. The match reviews with Rick Rude, who was asked by Owen why he quit WWF. And he said that he was being held back. Rude also started up the angle where Medusa and the Dangerous Alliance window claiming that Rick Steamboat is following Medusa everywhere. They then did fans question seven with Missy Hyatt. All the fans were plants, mainly relatives of Johnny B. Bad, which ends with the fans arguing with each other and Doug Dillinger having to carry one fence away when she charges the ring. <laughs> oh, the Marrow family. Um, Wait a second. The, what? I was saying members of the Marrow family. But being this is WCW, it's highly likely that they use TV jobber Tony Vendetta as a random fan, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's his brother. 
But Wyndham and Austin, they had some really solid matches against each other. Wyndham was was having a great run in this era. Um, so that's no surprise. Uh, Randy Owen, all, Randy Owen was a wrestling fan. He, he was on wrestling programs many times back in the day. He was on UWF in 87. They were showing clips of uh, Jim Ross and Dusty and some other guys playing the Alabama um, softball game, charity softball game. Um, and they were still big, still a big deal in 92 um, in the country world. So that's in the WCW universe. That's a pretty, you know, good get for celebrity because a lot of people know who Alabama was in this area. Um, and yes, I remember that, that question to Rick rude and uh, you know, Hey, I give him props for, uh, for, you know, allowing him to, to do that. And uh, rude's answer is interesting. And it was, it's very help. political. It is political, but, he was kind of held back in a way because Hogan was ne- would never wrestle him. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> he was scared of him. Although, uh, I mean, I think it's interesting, though, because they're trying to do kind of like a realistic interview here when his actual reason for quitting doesn't break kayfabe in the slightest. Yeah. The, exactly. He was hurt. They were false advertising him knowingly while he was hurt. And basically refusing to give him anything resembling on a payoff on the houses that he drew. Yeah, what they what they were doing was they were doing a it was a Warrior and Rude a lot a lot of house shows. This is in the summer. Rude gets hurt, uh, and then what they do is they don't ever they they never change the advertising in newspapers because I've I've went through the ninety summer ninety stuff recently a lot of it, especially from that loop. And the changes was they ended up going from Warrior to Rude to Warrior against Haku and Heenan in a handicap match. That's a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> big difference. So, Poor Bobby Heenan. Yeah. So Rude had, yeah. So Rude had every right to be pissed off with that because, I mean, the Warrior and Rude was the main event. And that's the match we wanted to see, and he didn't get paid anything off of it. Yep. So... And then they basically keep him from being able to work for a year. He he has the one All Japan tour. He has a couple indie dates. I'm not really sure why he didn't wrestle more in general from the end of '90 through '91. But I, I just pulled up wrestling data just to kind of look at it. They have one match for him in October '90. Uh, then nothing until May '91, where they have one match. Then nothing in June, nine matches in July, which I presume is the All Japan Tour. I can answer your question. Yeah. Rude, Rude was a guy who had money. Rude didn't need the money, and he knew that whenever the timing was right, he's going to go to WCW. So why put yourself through some type of rigorous schedule when you know what your end game is going to be? Just work, work what you want to work, work out, and stay at home, and, and rest, relax. Keep your body in sh- in check, and then Rugo's WCW is in the best shape of his life. Yeah, this is, I mean, and, and he has a he has the run of his life in WCW. Now all that rest and and stuff and and allow him to re- recuperate and everything uh, was a huge ben- benefit for him. Oh, he was the best heel in the entire wrestling business. So, absolutely, I think he made the right choice doing it. Here's something kind of fascinating too, just as I look at the results. He has no matches with Warrior leading up to his departure. 
That entire yeah. house show run basically doesn't happen. He he works Warrior, and that's when he gets hurt, and then and then they do SummerSlam, and that's it. Yeah. All right. Uh, the Medusa the Medusa uh, thing uh, with Steamboat was an interesting way of going, considering Ricky Steamboat's background being the family man. Yeah. Well, that's the idea. They're impugning him being a family man. And the Missy Hyatt thing, they had been doing that for months off and on, where she basically was ripping off the body Blackstone and stuff, asking the fans questions in the crowd. Yes. So that goes back to 91. And then in the right. AWF, she actually did a more of a straight-up Bonnie Blackstone routine in a serious interview with Missy Hyatt. Yeah. Paul D. Danielson, Rick Rudy, signed to your contracts. So there you go. There's One that. of them is an employee. Yes. Jake Roberts. Oh, wait a second, sure. though. What? So when Rude gets hurt in 94, his contract's almost up. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, that That's probably a big part of why he ends up... He had, did, well, actually, wait. Did he sue WCW or New Japan at all, or did he just collect on Lloyds of London? I think he just collected on Lloyds of London. He easily, right, he easily could have fought... Actually, if he didn't sue WCW, especially considering how easy it was to get money from WCW, that's actually kind of shocking. Since they booked him on that show where he was injured by New Japan's negligence. Yeah, but I don't think he was going to do that. To there WCW. have been a lot of people who got a lot more mo- a lot of money from WCW for far less. Yeah, but in New Japan, definitely, they were the ones that should have gotten try to get money from. Oh, sure, but that would have been much more difficult, I would think. Well, they make a lot of money back then. No, I mean in terms of uh, the the reach legally. Well, I don't know. And jurisdictionally. Jake Roberts almost be sure they're coming in as soon as he can get a contract, at least from WWF, and he does. There's been some mainstream publicity with Bill Frederick of the Atlanta Falcons talking about concerning a pro wrestling career. They believe he made USA Today and newspapers in Atlanta and Pittsburgh over the past week. Frelick was a guest host on the WCW Saturday Night Show that aired Saturday. He certainly got the size. Because Nikita Cole, like I mentioned in the same interview, said as uh, Freilich, who is legit 6'6". But they have foreseen someone making $800,000 per year switch it to a full-time wrestling career. But you can see the possibility of him being used as a gimmick attraction, mystery partner type deal. And that never happens. I mean, Freilich, of course, works at uh, one WrestleMania. Uh, WrestleMania 2 in the Battle Royal. When I was after his rookie season with the Falcons. And he... Obviously, uh, Russ Francis has the best performance in the Battle Royal because he was already a pro wrestler of the football players. Yeah. But Bill Freilich, like in the promos leading up to it and stuff, is the one who, otherwise who fits the best. Well, Bill Freilich was a huge wrestling fan growing up. Yes. Um, huge fan of Bruno. And um, he went to the University of Pittsburgh. And again, just a big wrestling fan. And Oh, and he tries to slam Yokozuna a year later. On the Intrepid. Yeah, oh. he tried. He, he does try to sign Yokozuna. And that's uh, before he plays his last NFL season with the Detroit Lions. So he plays one more year um, in the league after 92. Um, and then he, he went and did, he, he became a Falcons color analyst for a little bit after that. But yeah, pretty much he, there was nothing in wrestling. Now, the thing that Freilich is, is known for is um his contract with the Falcons. He gets paid <laughs> he gets paid $150,000 a year for life from the Falcons. 
from the way he did his contract coming out as a rookie. Explain. It, okay. His, Even um, when he was with another team? Yes. Okay. Well, it's the it, uh, it's like the Bobby Bonilla thing with the Mets, where he gets paid a million dollars a year every year on July the 1st. Okay. All right, let me see if this is up. This link is still up. I hope so. I'm I'm I just googled Bill Fralick lifetime contract. Um, let me see. That's if like on the still. Carolina Huddle message board. Yeah, there's all message board posts, but there's a Ralph Sendridge. His agent had a website. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not the website's not there anymore. But anyway, um, it's kind of like a annuity type contract. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a retirement type deal. Um, okay, I found an Adam and, Schefter tweet about it. And see, and see, what he did was he used wrestling to get that contract in the original he, contract. Yes, he told the Falcons that if you don't sign me to the contract I want, I'll go in the pro wrestling. <laughs> So it was like, oh, oh, what was? What's, why am I drawing a blank? Who was the one that so- allegedly signed with the Yankees as leverage? But well, it been a baseball player. Elway, yeah, it was Elway. That's what I thought. All right, I'm trying to. Okay, um, let's see here. Sindrich wrote a book. Sindrich also replied to Adam Schefter thanking him for putting over what a great agent he is for negotiating the contract. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to find the exact thing and and, and uh, it says 150 a year every January for life. Yeah, but yeah, they use wrestling as a leverage and and even knowing he was going to have a well a very good salary coming in for life, still set up his insurance business while he was still playing. Yeah, and he's been doing insurance for 20 years plus now. Yeah, Frederick's a very smart dude, very uh, shrewd in business. And then testified before Congress about how he hated how rampant steroids were in football. Yes, he was a yeah he he was a big uh, anti steroid guy. He took them and talked about how, how how bad it was for him. I mean he he only played nine seasons. Um, so yeah, Bill Frey, very interesting dude. Still still beloved in Atlanta, definitely. All right, uh, expect several rest to be dropped perhaps as soon as this week. Don't expect any big names to be among the group, but word has it that the roster will be cut 37 wrestlers, which is more than enough for a group that only runs one live show. I presume he means per... Oh, he means per night. Yeah. Yeah, they don't do... Well, it's not every night either, you know, so... Right. That is a, that is a big crew for one show. Um, to have under contract, yeah. Yes. Now, if you're going to... If you're gonna have that many people on your roster, maybe I mean it's not a bad idea to you know do a separate circuit that we talked about earlier. Do a small building things. circuit. Yes, make low some budget. Money. Do fundraisers with schools. Have exactly. Teddy Longmark work on it. Whatever. Yeah, do it around the the metro Atlanta area. You know, we talked about the main show when without how without gets how you know Georgia will support wrestling promotions. I mean, there's no way they couldn't have done. High schools, you know, lo- small buildings and, and, and areas, and not made money. You know? Yeah. They could have done it. But it, that promotion, no. It just wasn't going to happen. All right. May 7th, Torch. Jim Ross in the Torch Talk. Yet again. Ray Keller. 
ask. Oh, do you want me to do it? Since yes. Even for the excerpt? Okay. Yes. Has or will Kip for I as executive vice president enable Dusty Rhodes to do his job better than under Jim Hurd? I think Dusty Rhodes will have his greatest opportunity to be successful with Kip Fry here. Kip is very detail-oriented. He likes meetings. He likes things done in a systematic and orderly fashion. That's good for all of us because we have so many details to attend to that we need every bit of checks and balances that we can. And we're starting to meet more, and we're starting to communicate better with Kip there. We have a better organized department than any other time since I've been on the payroll. Sounds great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to change, but it sounds great. Well, it's also interesting, uh, well, as we'll see later, too, that he's going this heavy on praising Kip Fry, given what he probably knows. Again, I don't know how much, I mean, I don't know. know Well, you'll see when we get to the next excerpt. Okay. (laughs) All right, May 11th, Observer. Again, I don't read these notes in advance. May 11th, Observer. WCW brought in Dr. David Lee Black from Nashville. Give a seminar on steroids to his wrestlers for the TV tape this past Tuesday in Birmingham. Black went through a sideshow and talked about negative side effects, which those who don't use didn't care about, and those who do use didn't want to hear. Reaction to his presentation ranged from boring to very informative. Overall, Dave was told Black was honest, even to the point of admitting the shortcomings of the test in regard to measuring injectable testosterone and honestly answer questions in regard to the clearance time needed to pass the test in regard to certain drugs saying how water-based injectables could clear the system in two weeks. The overall reaction was mixed, as a lot of wrestlers claimed they felt certain so-called negative side effects, the aggressiveness in particular, were effects that they enjoyed and needed to survive and recover faster from the arduous travel and hard-bumping lifestyle, not to mention the aesthetic and marketing reasons for physique enhancement. Due to the travel schedule, the stimulant properties of the drug, which gives you aggressiveness, makes one more motivated to get in the gym and train harder, while being on the road each day and being able to perform while combating jet lag. The problem is the stimulant effect does tend to lead to alcohol or downers abuse to calm down, which is the almost inevitable drug cycle that the conditions of the business itself create. In addition, aside from the psychological up one gets from being pumped, most athletes feel joint pain less than while on a cycle and in aids of recovery in a profession where nightly bumps and constant pain are part of the game. Of course, there are other drugs, anti-inflammatories, which serve the same purpose. And at one point during the seminar, one wrestler basically said that if they don't mind or even enjoy the so-called negative side effects, why should they discontinue use? And Kef Fry shot back at the possession and uses on felonies. <laughs> one person described it as almost like a comedy scene from a movie, and almost all the wrestlers were there for the seminar. Then 10 minutes late, and it's later in a sleeveless T-shirt with his 20-inch gun showing, in walks Scott Steiner. Rick Rude, Dallas Page, asked the most questions. With Pace said he found that for him, a certain steroid healed a shoulder injury better than any other drug he's ever used. And Rude being hot and adamant about it being a professional choice, when one knows what the risks are because of the benefits both in physique enhancement, particularly when it's part of a wrestler's markability, and helps him feed his family better, and also helps cope with the nightly bumps and grinds. Well, Rude has a different type of bump and grind sometimes. In fact, several describe Rude's demeanor toward the doctors consistent with his heel ring persona, although admitted validity to his points. The flip side, apart from the legality of the use, is that the drugs do work, and usage gives one a significant competitive advantage over others, thus makes it difficult for those excuse me, who don't wear the pluses and against the minuses with the same result and don't want to use steroids to either accept lesser marketability as a result of trying to obey the law, or not accept it and put up with the short-term side effects they may not want and long-term that they don't even know about. 
It will also lead to a PR problem for an organization which devotes so much effort, particularly in Atlanta, to sit in restaurants and community centers to speak out on drugs. Inevitably, unless the problem is addressed, if something will happen as far as an arrest or other publicity show, the guys aren't practicing what they're preaching, and all the PR work will be shot. There seems to be a split reaction to Kid Fry's voluntary compliance policy, with many wrestlers apparently getting off and others taking more than ever because they want to be as big as possible because they figure it's inevitable that there will be testing and they want as much size as possible when that time comes and there will be risk of suspensions associated with use. That's a lot there. Yeah, I was just about to say those exact same words. Um, I understand where wrestlers come from when they talk about how steroids helps them out in their marketability and their persona and their PR. And here's the thing. I, I don't have a problem with steroids. If you want to use them, I mean, it's your choice. Wrestling's not real sports. It's fixed. You know, I mean, if you, if you want to use steroids, that is your choice. And as you know, what's going to happen if you use them. So you take that personal responsibility among yourself. Well, the the way we it should generally be looked at in wrestling is I don't think the I think at this point no one has a problem with using wrestle, with wrestlers using steroids if they know the risks. They don't want wrestlers directly or indirectly pressured to use steroids. Well, that's the yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. You should you should be able to you should want to if you want if you're using steroids. It should be your choice, not somebody making you do it. Exactly. Exactly. That's, I mean, that's right. Right. And it also sets a bad example, like in WWE right now. I honestly don't care, for the most part, if anyone's on steroids, except for two things. I think, one, that it's kind of bullshit that they don't, that they don't say when the NXT guys are suspended. And the other being that the guys who are not on full-time contracts or whatever it is are exempted from the testing, and then that creates creates an unrealistic standard for the full-time guys to live up to physique-wise and then pushes them to have to take steroids to keep up with what certain non-full-time wrestlers look like. Yeah, but they don't have to. You know what I mean, though. I know, but, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying, but... They don't have. I mean, they they don't have to do anything they don't want to do unless they're it's being held over their head, saying, "Listen, you you must do this, or you're you don't have a job." Then that's a totally different story, you know. Uh, oh, you mean like one of the people in that meeting was told two years earlier when he had <laughs> when he tried to get his wife pregnant? Yeah, exactly. So it's yeah, and and. Rude, the major part of his thing was his look. So, of course, he's going to be all about it. So, yeah. And this is also when he starts to get bigger, too, which he really picks up after he's recovering from the neck injury. Yeah. And steroids, I mean, there, there is – DDP lays it out. There are positives to, to them, some of them. You know, it helps them out. There are a lot of wrestlers who I'm sure take steroids primarily because of what they find to be benefits in recovery. Yeah. So there is something to that. Yeah. You know, that's why when you, the doc, uh, you know, doctors prescribe people steroids to, you know, help them get better and, and some, and certain things, you know? Also, I've wondered too, like, 
if someone prescribes steroids off label for like recovery, because I mean they are, I mean they're narcotics, but they're still prescription drugs. It's only it's it's only illegal to prescribe them for non medical use, i.e., bodybuilding. Yeah. If it, I mean, you know, whatever the you know drug testing policy is. If a doctor prescribes someone, and you know, it wouldn't be as high a dose, obviously, as for bodybuilding, but if prescribes them a dose because they find it legitimately is helping them in terms of be able to, you know, recover better in a rough, you know, contact sport or whatever. I mean, not not a when I say contact sport, I mean more like wrestling, something where you're not potentially injuring someone by being on them or making yeah. you train more to injure someone, like in a combat sport. Yeah. Okay with that. It's also not bringing the law. Yeah, absolutely. Just don't pressure people into doing it. Yeah, uh, it, it's, the thing about this is all the timing of everything going on too with the WWF. So it's, that that plays a big role in all this too. So yeah. All right. It appears the idea of bringing a Scott Norton and Bam Bam Bigelow from Japan has been dropped, and it was. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Jay Roberts is virtu- virtue of definite and coming in. The only question is how soon. A couple months. He'll be there. Yes. By the way, um, he told me this years ago. I don't know if he said it in other interviews. Scott Norton stopped taking steroids when Rick Rude died, or at least that's what he says. Yeah. Thought that was an interesting hook to throw in there. Anyway. Yeah, well, here's the thing. When Rude died, I mean Scott basically was just working in Japan after that. Yes, anyway. and he's notice he's noticeably less cut up and after yeah, he's just thick. Yeah. yeah, which he always was. Speaking of steroids, newcomer the Super Invader Hercules started a TV at St. Petersburg. Men's Harley Race is being given a major push. He looked the same as he looked as Hercules. Yawn. He is so bloated in this era. Terrible, terrible gimmick. To just like, terrible. He's just, he and then the guy who had you know we've talked about this before. He was a good worker. He was just yeah. so ill suited to be a baby face, and that's what's and people I remember his WWF baby face. He was good in power and glory. Reason. Yes. Why not just bring him as Hercules? But then right before he leaves, he get they split up. Power and glory basically ceases to exist. He gets a lot bigger. Oh and, God, yeah, he has a match on a uh, prime time. Oh, uh, I, I think it's a heel versus heel match with the Warlord. That's god awful from the Garden. Oh. Think about that, folks. Ass. <laughs> Hercules and the Warlord of the Garden. I think it's February 92 or something like that when he aired on prime time. Uh, wow. Let's see. But anyway, I yes, mean... January super- 31st. Yeah. We all... I mean, we all knew who the Super Invader was. It was no seeker. Why even do the stupid gimmick with Hercules? It's just so with stupid. a guy who had name value. Yeah. Just stupid. And also a guy who the incoming new boss that is a secret was a fan of and used well. Yeah. And he actually left Watts on good terms. Yeah. He job did his jobs on the way out. Speaking of WCW Saturday night, it showed you a 2.1 rating on April 25th with Bill Frelick as the guest host. So I man did a 2.0 power did a 1.7 same weekend. So there you go there. Now, speaking of WCW Saturday night, aren't you all glad to know the one of the years has been renewed for a sixth season? There is no truth to the rumor that WCW will be selling badges to the fans saying, quote, I stayed away for the entire Arnie Anderson vs. Big Josh match while Jason Hervey did commentary, unquote. <laughs> Jason okay. Hervey, mega wrestling way, fan. Yeah, and I, I, I started playing the Hercules Warlord video with the sound off. 
Yes. He is gigantic here. Oh, God, he is subloaded. I mean, it it just looks like he realized he was on borrowed time and was like, oh, got to do that. Oh, yeah. He makes Warlord look not like Warlord. (laughs) Yeah, I know. All right, April 20th in Birmingham, your 2,500 fans for WCW Pro tapings. Let's win them in Dustin. Zabisco and Eaton with Zabisco and Paulie arguing big time after the match, and the fans popping a bit for Zabisco's a baby face. Abdullah Butcher returned and team with Katniss Jack. The Diamond Stud Scott Hall returns to our program with Dustin Rhodes. It appears Stud wind up in a dangerous alliance after Zabisco does his thing. Rick Steamboat and the Kila Koloff are being pushed on television to tag team the lead up to the NWA tag title tournament. The Scott Hall thing was why I put this in here. Yes. That's interesting. That was the plan. That was the definite plan under the Kefry regime. Does he not have a contract, though? Uh, I think he's getting paid per night. Did he never have a contract then? Yeah, he had a contract. Oh, so they, they cut him as a contract wrestler and then switched him to a nightly. I think. I could be wrong. Okay. Your recollection is that. Yeah. And then his first WWF match is May 18th. <laughs> yeah. And he's on television, on WCW television. Um, because his pro stuff airs. I'm pretty sure it aired after, uh, during and after that week that he's in WWF. Um, the last one in history of WWE.com is the May 21st taping at the Great Western Forum. I do not remember them doing TV there in this era. Uh, Bobby Eaton over Dustin Rhodes after the Diamond Stud interfered. So he had done work WWF and was still working WCW. Yes. He worked <laughs> WWF. Uh, these results are accurate as Razor Ramon. <laughs> That's tremendous. Scott Hall. And he had just returned at the... Uh, just returned like a few weeks earlier. Oh, yeah, we're talking about the TV tapings in Birmingham. That's what I'm saying. He, he, yeah. And also, who was his manager in Florida? Uh, not who was his manager. Who was the guy who got him over by letting him beat him up in Florida? Paulie Dangerously. Oh, yeah, Paulie, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. But there are, a lot, there are a lot of old connections here. So it's not a surprise that these guys are theoretically working together. But, you know, with him, they would have had to find out he was going to yeah. I mean, that was going to happen. They must have known he was talking. Yeah. That must be why this happens. And they're trying to. Well, so, so now it makes you wonder was, did he work as Razor Ramon under a WF contract or not? You would think so. If he's working in that gimmick. Remember, though, Razor Ramon at the beginning, though. So maybe they have the name and not the gimmick. Because remember, like, there are early Razor Ramon matches that don't make air where the gimmick's completely different. Okay. Well, do we know if it's even Scott Hall in the gimmick at first? I think it's Scott Hall. Um. That's an interesting question. You know, let's let's pull up the Scott Hall wrestling data profile to actually see these laid out next to each other in table. Well, why you uh, do that? Yes. I'll keep Todd Champion, PN News, Thomas Rich, and Elegante are all history among others. Rumor has it that Precious will be returning to manage Jimmy Garvin. Well, she does return <laughs> for one show. For one show, as the assistant of the Freebirds. Russell, did she appear at all? Is she well, she appeared two shows, right? Because she's on TV in the skit at the Freebirds offices. Mm-hmm. And she with brown re- hair, right? And she had returned at Wrestle War. 
Yeah. Okay. So the two May 92 results that Wrestling Data has for Scott Hall, and these are obviously matches he's in, not counting the run-ins and stuff. May 1st at the Bayfront... It says Bayfront Arena, Bayfront Center. Mm-hmm. A TV taping, squashing someone. And then May 18th, WWF TV taping in Cincinnati at Riverfront Coliseum, defeating Chris Hahn. Interesting. And then in April... How do you work in April? April, he had the... Oh, April was the Birmingham show, with him winning a squash. Mm-hmm. And before that, he had not wrestled in 1992. So, he, I think he was injured. That may be why he, he, he was under contract, but he was injured. And then, so. well, then clearly he's not under contract a couple of weeks after that that last squash. Well, though. maybe his contract ran out. I don't know. That's a lot of interesting stuff there. Yeah. No big losses among the Todd Champion, PNU's, Thomas Rich, and Elegante. So wait a second, is Firebreaker Chip still under contract? Uh, I don't think so. Kip didn't want to have Chip around? <laughs> no. No, he didn't. Why? I mean... Or how about that ass? Oh, that gimmick was a failure, so... Yeah, well, that was Jim. That was a Jim Hurd gimmick, not a yes. Jeff Wright gimmick. Well, you know what? My fondest memory of... Uh, well, not just Firebreaker Chip, but the WCW Patriots and the WCW Special Forces in general. Um, it was, I guess, I guess, a WCW. Well, not Saturday Night Day, an episode of World Championship Wrestling where color commentator Paulie Dangerously asks why Mister and Mrs. Chip named their son Firebreaker. <laughs> yes, Paulie Dangerously. All right, uh, Bob Cook and Joe Cruz are training together at Jody Hamilton's. School and Love Joy Georgia to be a mid-level heel mass team. So, and, uh, uh, that, 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 didn't, yeah, that happen. didn't happen. No. Well, so. also, here's what's interesting about this. Unless it's just being described wrong. The power plant exists by this point, right? As as um, the in-house training center, right? Uh, I think it's I think it's around, but it's in Love Joy. So this is the power plant. This is not a separate Jody Hamilton. This is the old... This is Jody's old building, yes. But, okay, so his his building... Until the power plant became a for-profit school, was the power plant though was the power plant that was used privately? Yes. Okay. The power plant where he would have broken Kevin Nash in, where yeah, Regal and Robbie Brookside would have had the long training match. That that's yes. the place in Lovejoy. Okay. Yes. Upcoming guest hosts for WWE Saturday Night include Dave Casper, former off-road tight end with the old Oakland Raiders. And it says Randy Rickman, <laughs> the headbangers fall on MTV. Uh, Ricky Rackman. Of the Rackman. Yeah. And uh, here's another thing. Ricky Rackman's wrestling connection goes back. Yes. Pretty far, too. I never got the idea he was a big fan, though. And I think we've talked about this once on the main show. He did, like, a Where Are They Now for MTV while he was working for WCW. And you could tell he was not happy to be working there as his main job. Because he was like, well, now I work for World Championship Wrestling. Well, maybe it's that, that maybe that's a re, you know thing. I don't mean he wasn't a wrestling fan. Maybe he thought he should have been doing more. You know, that's, what, that's maybe what that's about. That's true, because it's not like he really did much. Well, and, and his thing is, is that he is a, uh, I mean, God, he's had his radio show for years. And he's done stuff with NASCAR for forever too, so that's where he's been since WCW ended pretty much. Lightning Kid, 
Sean Waltman's going to try out at the May 11 TV Tavington Center stage. So there's another part of that story. Yeah, I don't think I ended up including it uh, later because it was fairly crowded section. But according to the torch, he got a good reaction for his tryout match against Bob Cook. And there's Bob Cook, yes. Not under a mask, though. No. Seiji Sakaguchi and Masa Saido are coming to the U.S. this week to work on deals. Yeah, that that really shows about to get strong. Mm-hmm. May 14th, Torch. Torch Talk with Jim Ross continues. And we have some ex- excerpts from the April 25th interview. All right, Wade. How about Bill Watts as a future WCW booker? Would the booking position Rhodes currently holds need to be re- needs, excuse me, restructured if Watts were to take over that position? Well, I don't think that'll ever happen because he's pleased to be doing Omnitrition in Tulsa. He'll be the first to admit that... To, to, what is this, Biggs? This is exactly what it said. He, he'll be the first to admit to you... Okay, yeah, okay. Yes. So Wade, Wade transcribed it as country slang. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, Wade. He'll be the first <laughs> to admit to you that the job of Booker with the demands and requirements of WCW placed on the, on the Booker make it virtually impossible for one man to do it all. The workload is just overwhelming. So Bill would say, I think, I'm certainly not speaking for him, that he couldn't do the job by himself. He'd do the job like he did in the past, like a lot of Bookers do. They surround themselves with who they perceive to be creative, competent people. Bill and his era did tremendous episodic television. He had great vision and creative stars that are still wrestling today that got their start in that area. I think he would tell ya that we're doing too much television. It's awfully, awfully hard to have good quality TV and do that many first-run hours a week. Is one of his strengths being getting wrestlers to follow instructions as opposed to attempting to run the show themselves or dictating what they will and won't do? Excuse me, will or won't do? Well, he had a very unique way of communicating with guys. I'll say. Well, I'll say. <laughs> I don't recall anybody ever not wanting to do something with him. <laughs> Bill was very persuasive, but he know it made sense. Another thing, too, is what's challenging now is we didn't have the guaranteed money contracts to the extent they have now. We did the last couple of years, but they were minimal. Six, eight, ten guys. But the attitudes have changed immensely from that day until now, so I don't know how he would react because he was awfully demanding. A lot of these guys who think they're stars, I don't know how they react to that kind of leadership. Hmm. He said this on April 25th, huh? Yeah. Interesting. If he was running WCW, he would be surrounding himself with, well, not, if he was booking, he would be surrounding himself with other creative people because because the way Turner forces it on you, you can't book all that TV by yourself, right? And guaranteed yeah. contracts are bad. Because you can't always get people to do what you need them to, right? Yeah. I wonder why he's saying all that right now. <laughs> the, the, I'm, I'm sure he's just saying this of his own volition. Well, here's the thing. Kip's asking him about a the booking. I mean, not Kip. Wade's asking about the booking position. Because Wade's shitting on Dusty Rhodes. No, but also the booking position, as we'll talk about. This is an I, Kip Rye's boss. No, but also... The booking position was in the Kip, Bill Watts working for Kip. No, I know, but my point is, is that the booking position in the past had been what was what Watts had always been interviewed for. That's my that's what I was going to say. So there would be no expectation that Bill Watts would be coming in as the as the boss. Yeah, but that's where Wade's getting at. Sure, Wade's not insinuating that he would be taking Kip Fry's job. No, I know that Wade isn't. You're but... reading too much in. You're reading too much into it. 
No, 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 no. I'm not reading anything to what Wade's asking. I'm reading into JR's answers. Well, I think you read too much into that. You don't think he, he knew two weeks out? I don't know. I don't know. It was a very well-kept secret, but if he's telling anyone, he's telling Jim Ross. Well, we might as well go ahead and Would go you agree with it. that sentiment, at least, though, that if he's telling anyone, he's telling Jim Ross? If he's telling anyone Maybe. in wrestling? Maybe. Okay. Well, let's go to it. A- a- May 18th Observer. An announcement that gives a big shot to everyone. Turner Broadcast announced Tuesday morning the hiring of Bill Watts as Vice President of Wrestling Operations. Watts' duties will be to take control of all aspects of the wrestling side of the business and report directly to Bob Doom. The wrestling executive committee, Dusty Rhodes, Jim Barnett, Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone, et al., will all report directly to Watts. Kiff Fry's role will become Vice President of Business Affairs in World Church of Wrestling, with his main duties in the field of marketing, syndication, and media sales. Watts had a Tuesday morning meeting with the executive board and outlined some of his ideas to turn around the company's lagging house show business. Watts, 53, was a headline attraction as a pro wrestler from the early 1960s and worked regularly until the early 1980s and sporadically as late as 1986. He was a successful booker in many territories in the South and owner of the former Mid-South Sports Incorporated, which promoted Louisiana, Mississippi, Oklahoma, and Arkansas parts of Texas. After an attempt to follow the lead of Vincent Manager Crockett, to turn Mid-South Wrestling into a national company called Universal Wrestling Federation failed. Watts sold his company to Crockett in 1987 and has been out of the wrestling business ever since. As promoter, Watts was noted for producing award-winning television shows and drew many huge houses throughout the territory, particularly in 1984 when Bill Dundee was booking and Jim Duggan, Terry Taylor, Rock and Roll Express, Man T.A., Midnight Express, Dr. Steve Williams, and Butch Reed were the headliners. Business fell over the next few years partially due to abysmal economic conditions in his region because of the decline in the oil business, partially because of the changes in the rest of the business. What this means for the future is uncertain. Watts had a ref for being strong-willed and a perfectionist. Getting across believable angles and building, developing, and most importantly, getting over new talent. Those are the aspects the company has been deficient at. Expect slow but noticeable changes at the top of the cards. But who and how is hard to predict. On the downside, Watts hasn't been involved in day, day pro wrestling since 1987. And this business is almost another world from the business that it was five years ago, which in many ways is a negative but also a reality. There are concepts that worked and drew big money in the past. That the rea- reality of the times, including having used some blood bl- intelligent angles, for instance, no longer allows the business being built on paper use for the biggest money. But at the time, the same group. But at the time, same the group is saying still running full house show schedules, and no doubt Watts' primary duty is turning the house shows around. When Watts was having his successful house show runs, pay per view didn't exist. Watts also had formidable national competition in Titan Sports. Something that existed when he was running the territory, but for the most part, Titan never drew big money in Watts' cities while Watts was still running regularly. Watts is also an autonomous leader, and now he'll be part of a corporate structure and a corporation which knows a little about the nuances of the wrestling business. When Watts was producing those television shows, he was either putting together one hour or later two hours of TV per week, which is much easier than trying to put together six hours. Watts' success, as his Chris pointed out, was in a five-state area and some aspects of his promotion were regionally based, but as for getting Watts was very successful booking in other parts of the country, and as a worker was a headliner in just about every part of the country at some point during his career. Over the short run, I spent a lot of major changes both in talent and direction and the changing of structure. Over the long run, success or failure depends on how well some of the above questions are answered. We've talked about Watts, you know, coming in on the main show, and um, 
it was a it, it, Dave said it was a big shot because nobody saw it coming. Unlike in the past where his name was always brought up when things were going on, when there was changes aboard, but Fry was doing a good job, it seemed, and everybody was happy and the rest of them was good. But more than meets the eye when it comes to business, right? Yes, we'll get to that in a minute or two. But also, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, in the past, his name was only brought up as the Booker. Yeah. He had never really been in the discussion, at least publicly, before someone to actually run the company. Yeah. So this is completely out of the blue. Yeah, this is out of nowhere. Nobody had uh, any type of uh, rumor or anything about it. So it's like, wow. Okay. Also, when you consider how leaky WCW was. Oh, yeah. that That's pretty impressive. Absolutely. Although, let me ask you this. Do you think that given his connections, especially with the TV part of the company, do you think that if Matt Watch was still around at this point in 1992, Steve would have been able to get the story before it, it was officially announced? I think Steve Beverly would have had more of a chance. Because it seems like it was all the non-wrestling side that was actually making the deal, as we'll get to. Yeah. My thing is, I wonder, uh, I wonder how Kef Fry felt about that. Well, <laughs> we'll have a better talk- opportunity to talk about that in a little while, probably. But um, to do it so soon, too really too soon to really see if he's actually building any momentum. I mean, look. They're not changing the booker regardless, and Fry absolutely yep. improved the corporate structure for everyone to work in. Exactly. So who who is making this charge to bring in Bill Watts? Well, you'll hear more about that in a few minutes when we get to the torch. So why, okay. do, why don't we move on now to the Steve Beverly news item? Steve Beverly's being taken off the 900 line, being replaced by Diamond Dallas Page. Beverly's Tuesday segment consistently drew the third most calls behind Jim Ross and Missy High that acquired the advantage of constant plug in the line on the weekend shows. Almost every week, without any television push, which says something since he beat out both Sting and Lugers about every week when they were in the top two phases of the promotion. The company wants only its own people on the hotline. Well, first things first, Sting and Luger didn't always update every week. Yeah, and it's Sting and Luger. Yeah. I mean, they're really. not exactly <laughs> the type of personalities that you'd really expect to be engaging in this format, especially Luger. I mean, really. I mean, when you when you when you when you call the hotline for Lex Luger, I mean, all he's going to do is talk about us. His what? Oh, sorry. You know, I can't just do it out of the blue like that. Boy, you're something. You're something else. <laughs> you got to get quick, quick on the trigger. Anyway, um, yeah, Beverly's not a co- uh, in the in the company as a contracted guy, so yeah, they'll take him off. But so, you know what's interesting to me about this, as far as it being. One of the most popular segments, I think at times it even the Matt Watch with Steve Beverly segment was actually the most popular of the week. It shows the thirst for paying for wrestling news that's always been there. Because he's the one doing the just straight wrestling news segment. And it's on the most popular wrestling online. Yeah. So, of course, it's going to do well. Yeah. And it's been Jake Rogers being introduced at the June 16th Clash, so there could be a surprise one of the pay-per-view shows. Well, Well, it's not not a pay-per-view. It's neither. (laughs) Yeah. All right, let's get to the torch. The torch midweek special edition. Yes, which was cover dated before the Observer, but easier to put here. I'm very, very excited. Bill Watts said Wednesday morning from his hotel room in Atlanta. Now we've got the back and to do what we want. 
they've realized they need a wrestling guy in charge. But boy, this son of a bitch is in the worst shape than I thought. <laughs> well, let's just stop there for a second. Boy, does that <laughs> line say Bill, a lot. I can see Bill Watts saying that. Yeah. <laughs> especially, especially like the, like the way he talks to, even when he's not doing a promo exactly. It's like, yeah. you know, he's doing his like kind of empowering, like, got the backing to do what we want they realize they need a wrestling guy in charge boy this son of a bitch is in worse shape than i thought oh granted he had not been he had not been following wrestling closely yeah but he's looking at the financial numbers yeah i guess so so all right uh watch the time came as a surprise to virtually everyone within the wrestling business both in WCW and the WF. Tuesday morning, watch that breakfast with Kip Fry, then with Dusty Rose, and then at the regular, they had two separate breakfasts. And then at the regular 11 o'clock Monday morning meeting, Monday morning meeting, he was introduced to the executive committee. The committee, is that like the championship committee? The committee which consists of Jim no, Barnett. No, no, they always, they always had the two separate committees. <laughs> On TV, uh, the, there was always, they, they would go back and forth between using the executive and championship committees. The committee, which consists of Jim Barnett, my boy, Kip Fry, Bill Shaw, president of WCW, Bob Dew, assistant to Shaw. So Bill Shaw is the boss of Bob Dew, folks. There you go. And in the hierarchy, Jim Ross, David Crockett, Sharon Sadello, Dusty Rose, talent coordinator slash booker, Terry Allen, assistant booker, and Keith Mitchell. All this in the Watts' introductory speech. By the way, note that Wade, who has the more detailed uh, accounting of who's on the executive committee, does not mention Tony, who Dave mentioned. Yes. Interesting. The points Watts stressed were similar to what Watts stated in the 1991 Torch Talk interview, that legendary interview. He stressed the need to have higher work rate, eliminate no-shows, have new discipline and pride on every level of WCW. Be a trend-setting company with a clear-cut identity as, as opposed to being WF Coffee and simply work harder as a company. Oh, and no gay people. <laughs> well, here's the thing. A lot of that stuff was going on with Kip Fry, which is interesting. Yeah, Kip, well, Kip Fry was spending money to get a higher work rate. <laughs> yeah. I see this is a chance to save wrestling, Watt said. That man turned wrestling to a cartoon that I'm not going to emulate. He made his money, but we're going to redefine what the public thinks of pro wrestling. We'll go along with that. For the rest of the week and into next week, Watts will be meeting with everyone involved in WCW, including each wrestler, to let them know what he expects out of them and to hear what they believe they can bring to the company. He also plans to travel to some house shows in the next week to see what kind of product he's been offered to fans at the arenas. You want me to continue? Um, yes, for now. Okay. Dusty Rhodes is still the booker of WCW. has a contract through December of this year. No major personnel change are expected to take place in the first few weeks. Although after a few weeks of evaluation, any number of changes are possible. The booking plans for matches, angles, events, lineups, and feuds are set from now through the end of June. And very little of anything that has been planned by Rhodes and likely be changed. I try to dig in my hands on the current stuff, but it's so deep we planned, it's going to be tough at first, Watts said. Okay, let's stop here then. <laughs> um, I mean, the tag team tournament was also largely laid out too for the bash. The bash main event was already pretty much laid out. So there is not, I would think, a fully Watts uh, show in terms of matchmaking with Dusty until the September Clash, right? Yes. 
that's interesting when you think about it. So, I mean, do you feel like there are any noticeable changes between those two? Between, you know, in the from, you know, Beach Blast and... I mean, clearly, the booking of the shows itself, you can see, is influenced right away. Of of the actual results of the well, show. Well, I mean, the biggest change is, of course, the the dissolvement of Danger Lines. Yeah, but I mean, also in terms of the way that they're actually doing the finishes and stuff, like, they wouldn't have closed the pay-per-view with a time limit draw and before he was there, I don't think, the way they did Beach Blast. No, but Watts was never one to close so a time limit draw, too. That's no, not something he would... it's not, but... It also but also Watts never what... did pay-per-views, and no. Watts always did television, and it's television, but it, it, you know, a lot back in the day would end during, in progress. <laughs> well, the UWF shows would before that he would if he had like a big main event, it would start the show usually, or be yes. in the middle of the show, and then yes. you'd have the standby matches. Yes, which you know WCW did that once upon a time too, and that worked out so well. Well, the NWA did for a clash. Yeah, well, it was WCW. It was, I mean, it was Turner. Well, it's NWA still. The company was World Championship Wrestling. Yeah, but I still I don't call it WCW until December ninety. I know, I know, but still, um, we'll get into this more. The Sheets were convinced that uh, that Dusty was going to be done. Well, let's which continue. is weird though, because him and Watts were buddies. Anyway, let's let's go on for now. Yeah. Watts was talking with WCW as far back as April 21st. Possibly longer. Say, Chris, isn't April 21st before April 25th? Yeah. Anyway, go on. Again, I still don't know. <laughs> I think Ross, I think Ross was, a, was a Kiff Fry fan, though. So, wow. Well, I mean, well, I think we'll talk about this more, but I I think there was room for to keep both guys and try to keep Watts... Make Watts a promoter with Kip Fry running running the things that a wrestling promoter would not have traditionally been handling. Yeah. When Jack Petrit was replaced as WCW president at the end of March due to needing to dedicate his time to Turner's purchase of Hanna-Barbera and the upcoming all-cartoon Turner Cable Channel. That'll never work. Bill Shaw, his replacement, began asserting the status of WCW. After reformatting a Saturday Night TBS show did nothing to boost ratings, as the attendance of house shows was not growing dramatically from the dismal levels they had reached, Shaw obviously believed more change was needed, even after only giving Kit Fry five months to contribute what he could. He really had only about four months. Yeah. Fry only had a six-month contract as WCW's executive president, maybe part of WCW for the long term. Speculation for one source within the company says differently that he will be out come mid-June. More on that later. No matter what happens with Fry, Watts is the main leader of WCW. For years, when Jim Hurd was searching for bookers, Watts' name always came up. Watts interviewed for the job of WCW Booker March 89, but did not get hired. That was a mistake. Since TBS purchased Jim Crow promotion in the end of 88, they've gone through one vice president and nearly 10 bookers and committees, including George Scott, Ole Anderson, and Ric Flair. While Watts was mentioned as a candidate for the booking job, his name was left off to mention as becoming WCW's possible vice president. Okay, let's stop here for a second. So when we go back to some of that earlier stuff, when we go back to March 89... You know, and Heard coming in just before that as the boss, and then George Scott ends up getting the booking job. Do we know anyone that was actually in contention for Heard's job other than Larry Matizik? Not really. Or no, 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 no. Excuse me. Heard was going to hire Larry Matizik, right? With the yeah. idea that that Matizik would basically be assume like a head of wrestling operations role, right? Yes. 
Yes. With the idea being that Hurd would delegate to a wrestling person, and then Matizik, I guess, would would have the control of the booking, but it could also hire a booker if need be. Then that doesn't happen. I think I think I think Matizik might have actually been in the conversation for Hurd's job too. And then, do we know anyone else besides Watts? And I guess to an extent, Matizik that is talking to them, leading up to Scott getting hired. Not that yeah. I can think of. I don't know. It's it's all you know. Watch his name. Like I said, it's come up every time somebody was changed as booker. So. Now, can you name all of the bookers slash committees of record? I'm not asking you to name everyone that had booking power. I'm asking you to name every head booker or committee iteration. Uh, I mean, I can't, I can't name every single member on the committee. I don't think that's what I said. I'm not asking you to. No, no, no. I'm asking you to all name right, committee well, iteration. George. George Scott, mm-hmm. uh, Jim Ross, the Jim Ross committee, yes. Jim, uh, Rick Flair, Rick Flair committee. Oh, uh, Lee Anderson, yes. Dusty Rhodes. So when you say nearly ten, well, let's see. Well, all right, okay, all right. So George Scott, Jim Ross, Rick Flair, Ole Anderson, Dusty Rhodes. That's five of those. Okay, all right. So I got those five. I well, the, he, the, I mean, he's not saying just since the beginning of Herd too. He's saying Jim since Cornette. the purchase. So that would also include Jim Crockett. So that's six. Okay, six. All right, Jim Cornette was on was on the committee. Uh, Eddie Gilbert. That's eight. Um, Kevin Sullivan. Kevin Sullivan's nine. Uh, Jim Barnett. Jim Barnett's ten. Did you say Eddie Gilbert? Yes, Eddie Gilbert. And then Ole was by himself. Yeah, I think there were more committee members. And Dusty maybe. was by himself. With Terry Allen as his assistant. When he says bookers and booking committees, though, made me think he was talking like the iterations of the committee. But but yeah, we were getting to 10 based on naming everyone, though. Yeah, so. And All also, right. should know, too, like when we're talking about the different iterations and stuff, too, when Flair was the head booker, he was really only doing his programs, and Sullivan and Cornette were doing the TV. Mm-hmm. So, many believe if Watts' attempt to build W seven to a leader in his field fails, that there are no more obvious candidates or saviors. Early indication that this change is mostly being perceived as an exciting, important change for pro wrestling's number two company. This will be good for the company, good for Watts. Maybe too late," said one prominent wrestler, not part of WCW. I wonder who that was. This is the torch. So I'm thinking one Thomas Edward Gilbert. Well, I, I didn't include it because it really wasn't that relevant. But right, right after this, he does quote one Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. on the record. Okay, so maybe it's not him then. So let's see here. Uh, would it be... Uh, well, not with WCW, know. so it's not Terry Taylor because he's in WCW. Not, not, not Sean Waltman? Hmm. I don't know. I, anyway. don't, think, I don't think it would be Sean Waltman. He'll do whatever he wants to, to, to until he gets fired, and as for everything that's been planned, all bets are off. As for Dusty, he'll be around today, he'll be around tomorrow, but he might not be around by Saturday. Oh, you know who that sounds like? Terry Funk. Yeah. A WCW employee commented on Watts' is hiring that there may there are three main but oversimplified indicators that CBS looks at determining how successful WCW is. First and foremost, are you providing turn home entertainment with clashes and views? A close second is the success of the Saturday show. Nobody cares about power, arm, and event or syndication. And three, the attendance of the Omni. We could draw 80 people in Philadelphia, but the Omni was drawn well. Things would be okay. Well, about that. And Sunday night, the Omni just drew over 1,000 paying fans for $11,000 house. Bob Dew was present. 
If he had not decided to make the change, recommend hiring Watts, Insider Syndicate, that's in this that night, did it. And that goes to prove what I've said before. Atlanta was just such a hot and cold town that one night you would have, I mean, you would have a thousand of fans there. And then the next time you run there, you'd have 10,000 fans there. You just didn't know. And that's even before WCW. But Atlanta is home base. And the bosses, and one of the big bosses was at the show. And the parent company owns the arena. And the parent company owns the arena. (laughs) So. If you're not taking, I mean, as Dave Hollister once saying, you better take care of home or somebody else will. And <laughs> this is this is what happens. Um, but the problem is nobody can take care of home consistently for a long time. Nope. Um, so they don't care about other markets like Philadelphia, Baltimore, Chicago, whatever. They care mainly about Atlanta, which is home base. But they never so, drew in it until, until the Nitro era. They never drew in Atlanta the way they did in Baltimore. No, but it's not Atlanta. Turner is not based in Baltimore. No. So it doesn't matter. If only they were owned by Sinclair Broadcast. Actually, that's a bad idea. <laughs> oh, man. So the Omni show, that was, that's, a, that's a big indicator that I see in all this. Yep. Big indicator. And it, I mean, it makes you wonder, you know, why just the Omni, that maybe that one show, or was it, or would they go and look at, you know, a track record of shows? Because Kiff Bryant didn't have that many Omni shows on his resume. Well, because you know they, what, though? They, they ran, let's see, they ran uh, February 9th, March 8th, and April 12th. They also ran New Year's Day. And May 10th. Well, well that's not Kiff Friday. Friday. Well, let's go over, okay, real quick, though. The May 10th one was 1100 paid. Yeah. And that was for a main event of... Um, Wyndham, Dustin, and Muda over Austin, Arn, and Eaton. Sting doesn't even work show. He's in Nikita's corner as Nikita face Vader. Oh, that's a great idea. And you have Rune and Steamboat, no DQ, Valentine Pillman, Simmons and JYD against Katniss and Abby, Johnny Bay against Sky Flamingo, Van Hammer, JT Southern, and Freebirds against Tracy Smothers and Richard Moore. That's your May 10th show. Now, your April 12th show, which drew 4,300, that was a Sting over Vader by DQ. Oh, well, no wonder. Sting's, that was Sting's last match for more than a month. Plus Sting must have got hurt. Oh, yeah, he cracked two ribs and bruised his spleen in that match. I wonder Which how. led to an impromptu finish. Thanks, Vader. Now, the March 8th show drew 2,100 paid. With the main event of Sting and Steamboat against Rude and Austin. With Steiners against Arn and Eaton underneath. And then uh, the February 9th show was 4200 2500 paid. But Blimpy gave out free sandwiches. Yeah, and the mid-steel cage match between Abby and Cactus was the main event. Sting, Dustin, and Steamboat against Rude, Arn, and Eat. So basically, I mean, what it looks like here is... They were running way too many tag team main events. The fans weren't into multi-man matches with the, the Dangerous Alliance and Sting and Friends. Well, they could get those on TV. Exactly. But that's if if that's mostly paid, that is a big increase that April show. But here's the thing too: as many great workers as WCW had in this era and in this Kip Fry era, there is no one person you can point at and say this is a guy that's going to move tickets. No, and you look you look look at it here of these four shows, which main event drew the most people? Sting and Vader. 
Vader is the guy in the main event that wasn't in the other main events. Yeah. And so, also, the WCW house shows yeah. really did not always follow the TV programs that closely either. Yeah, but still, there's no one drawing card here. And the uh, yeah, the January first show drew two thousand fans. I mean, and you look the the biggest house they had. The last time they drew over five thousand fans on here is was February seventeen ninety one. Six thousand. What was the main event? And that, Sting and Lurie and Stan Stan Hansen and Sid, and they drew six thousand on Christmas. And that's Christmas. Sting and Flair. Now you look at this now. After the fact, they draw uh, 6,700 on August 16 because children got in free. Two kids got in free with a personal adult ticket. But then, I mean, it gets down to 1,600 pay, 1,600 people, not pay, people in September. And this is with them constantly pushing the Omni on, t- on, t- on all the TV. Yeah. And a 57.15 on a Thanksgiving night. Starcade only did sixty five hundred paid. Yep. Granted, it's the lethal lottery and all that. But... Yep. So I mean, it's and, and Slamboree only did thirty seven twenty two paid ninety three, just ninety three. And then they they only run one Omni show in nineteen ninety four. Think about that, folks. And and then they don't even run it. It's canceled. They don't run the Omni. The okay, look about this. The last time they ran the Omni was October third, nineteen ninety three. They drew 800 paid. They didn't run the Omni again until New Year's Day 1996. Wow. I was at that show. Do you blame them? Hogan's there for almost two years. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Um, by the way, just looking through also the 93 stuff, 4,600 again for Sting Invader. Yeah. In February. They have Hogan under contract and don't run the Omni. Even during the the Flayers Hogan national they, tour. Yes. And they canceled the Thanksgiving show because of low ticket sales. And also that That's October, how bad they burn out Atlanta. Also that October third, ninety three show is the one we've talked about before where the scalpers are selling the front row sheet seats for a dollar. Yeah. They burnt Atlanta out so bad. This is WCW. They could not run the Omni. And then, I mean, there's no other only other building that could run in, in the area was Mary, was Cobb County Civic Center, because Atlanta does not have a secondary building. <laughs> well, okay, so the, and, the and, canceled Thanksgiving '94 show was originally scheduled to have Hogan Flair, but it looks like that got canceled. Yeah, because before the show said. was no, I think it, it, the way I'm reading is that the match got canceled before the show was. Well, Flair had the retirement match. Oh, that's right. How yeah. have it? Yeah, <laughs> of course. That's yeah, amazing. Good going, everybody. Up. I never thought about that. Don't even have him. Don't even do the contractual obligations bullshit. I just never thought that they didn't even run Omni show. Oh, with Hogan Flair. I I didn't say. I I told him just didn't remember that. That they they didn't run the Omni for two years. Plus, that's their home base, and you burn it out so fucking bad you can't run it. Amazing. All right, let's continue. (sighs) Wade Wade's column here. Enter the Watts era with caution and patience. That's some enthusiasm, too. Below the bottom line by Wade Keller. This is an excerpt from said column. Watts, though, won't bring the corporate savvy to that a young lawyer like Fry bought. When Watts is told by a stuck-up short female attorney executive that he is one hour late with a pay-per-view line of sheets, he will tell her all, or at least be tempted to. He might even drop her over his, her, his knee and spank her. 
But Toto, this isn't Oklahoma anymore. Watts is going to have to call females by their proper corporate name. Women, not girls. In the corporate world, the only reference to a girl over 18 better be made by another woman who's good friends with that girl. Will Watts be willing to listen to a person in a suit who has never watched a wrestling match? Much less attempted to promote one? Tell them that a certain angle be used or the blading be allowed is not allowable according to TBS regulations? Watts has some adjusting to do. Watts has some humble pills to swallow. But Watts has Brad that he's the man to do the job. And certainly when he said that, he was intelligent enough to factor in the corporate headaches that come along with a fight to success. It's not exact, but that sure is prescient, isn't it? Granted, who did the interview that ends up leading in, the, in part to the uh, ousting of Watts? Oh, Ray Kelly. Yeah. yeah. Um, when I was first reading that passage, though, I'm like, well, he's not going to say he shouldn't use the C word, is he? Like, I mean, is that what he's going? Is he going to say women, not the C word? And he's like, oh, girls. Okay. Yeah. Because, I mean, it is Bill Watts. Mm-hmm. This is the guy who got fired as Georgia Championship Wrestling Booker for calling, uh, who was it, Fred Ward's daughter a fat pig? <laughs> well, she may have been. Who knows? You, is this are you familiar with fire? that story? Uh, that's not mentioned in the Tim Hornbecker book in that fashion. It mentions Watts got removed from booking, but not why. <laughs> in the early 70s. The, oh, you're talking about the 70s? I'm talking about that. I, I, I'm talking about 1980. Oh, the 70s. Okay. No, the grain of salt. Well, it's brought back. It's a lot. It's seven years later. Grain of salt, as we've said before with this thing, Gary Hart's book says, and this, I mean, this is a guy who respected Bill Watts a lot, too, so it's not like he was just hating on him. Yeah. He said the story was that they were watching the fans come in. Uh, Bill Watts saw a large female fan enter and just very, like, disgusted and, like, derisively said, look at that fat pig. <laughs> and then Fred Ward's like, that's my daughter! <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. It's, it's a believable oh, story. Man. Oh, good well, course. All right. Uh, uh, May 25th Observer. Bill Watts. Is that a letter, of course. Yes. I'm excited as hell as the prospect, as hell as the prospect of Bill Watts running WCW, but let me interject some realism here. One, Bill Watts has been away from the rest of his five years. He pretty much stated as much in an interview with the Pro Wrestling Torch. The interview also indicated he hadn't paid much attention to the business during that time either. Who has said he has to think someone like Greg Valentine is still a great worker or that JYD could still be a big draw? How well does he know the potential of guys like Brian Pillman, Kat Shack, Steve Austin, and Paulie Dangerously? Watts is well known for his xenophobic angles. Will he try and force a Jim Duggan or Sergeant Slaughter type down our throats? Will he turn the Keith Caulfield to a representative of an evil empire and no longer exists? What's going to happen when one of Watts' hardcore angles gets shot down by a corporate hotshot? There's a good chance TBS won't go for a loser against Diapered or Coal Miner's Glove on a pole match, or a loser gets tarred and feathered or other similar type matches that Watts ran during the minute. Oh, you just wait for that Coal Miner's Glove match. He's well, going to spring Dundee. it on you when you least expect it. Yeah, that's Bill Dundee, though. That's a lot of Bill Dundee's ideas. Well, yeah. Four, he'll be formatting a wrestling show that will be nationwide, not regional. What playable in Oklahoma may not be in Chicago and New York. Five, 90% of hardcore fans now expect Watts to overtake Vincent Mann. What if he falls on his face while well, the product still sucks? Have you ever wanted something so bad but feels totally out of reach? Then you get what you want and discover it wasn't what you were looking for after all? Let's hope that isn't the case here. Don't get me wrong. This move has me psyched. I'm sure the television will get hot rather quickly. I'm sure the work ethic of the wrestlers will improve. I'm sure a lot of lousy wrestlers and bad gimmicks will be a thing of the past. 
A lot of so-called wrestling superstars who think doing a job is akin to a death sentence in the wrestling business will begin the quick attitude adjustment. I'm rooting for this succeeding kick ass, but I'm also a realist. Good luck, Bill. Hope you're the right man for the job. Also, hope you realize that art some seriously inflated expectations by loyal fans. Jeff Baldrin, Plantation, Florida. And it's funny that Jeff wrote this because in uh, his 1990 Baldrin the Booker series, who does he use a lot of in that whole thing? Commissioner Bill Watts. Commissioner Bill Watts. <laughs> so there you go. It's All Plantation, right, let's to- Florida, Bill Watts' favorite town in Florida. <laughs> June 1st Observer. That's a very prescient letter as well, though. Yeah, it and is. He's pretty, he's pretty dead on about a lot there. Although oh, he yeah. does not turn Nikita Koloff. He, in fact, he's the one who makes Nikita Koloff Lithuanian. Exactly. There are my other change in WCW. Kiff Rock quit the company on Wednesday, which came as no surprise to anyone. Fireball, they had no idea that they were literally putting the rug from underneath him. When it comes to power and the hiring of Bill Watts as vice president in charge of wrestling operations, while Fry was given a figurehead position... To save face, nobody expected it to last. According to several reports, Fry's transfer of internal organization, there we go, and we'll work on the Jack Petrick. In a proposed new division of the Turner Empire, which will produce records, films, and Broadway shows. Hello, darling. How are you doing? <laughs> oh, that's way before all this. I know. They Fry sold spot- those, Yeah, way earlier. Um, I guess this is Turner Films, when they start doing all the documentaries and stuff. I guess. Uh, for I spot the new number two man in the company would be Jim Ross. I'm not certain whether Ross is officially titled vice president, but we're handling the production of all television shows, marketing, merchandising, and become the company liaison with Turner Home Entertainment, which is in charge of the pay-per-view events. There you go. So long, Kip. <laughs> it was fun while it lasted, Kip Fry. Definitely was. Yeah. You know, like I said earlier... That did not need to be a figurehead job. No. There's no that was a re- real job. I mean, there's no reason why. Legit, have they, did they, was there ever any point where they actually tried to have one person be the wrestling promoter and someone else handle everything else? They never actually no. do it. No. No. They were always looking for people who they th- thought they could look at as outsiders who knew wrestling. Mm-hmm. Heard Kip Fry being a guy that they knew and trusted that seemed to have an affinity for wrestling. Bischoff being able to present himself as an outsider. Um, And then that's basically, and then, you know, the last one really until just uh, Brad Siegel just kind of takes it over as part of his other duties is Bill Bush, who was just an, existing wcw Wait, was he he was was he a lawyer too or is he just an accountant or what was he technically uh he was in the it was a business guy yeah but again so. someone that was already working in another part of wcw he was basically another kip fry in yeah. terms of the way they hired him at least yeah and it it sounds so simple but they never try it not once well what do you expect from a company like turner broadcasting yeah, I mean, you know, there is the whole thing about that, you know, none of these companies maybe were ever actually intended to make money. Well, they didn't want WCW. That's another thing, too. They just well, didn't yes. want WCW. Well, and that's a big theme in the Nitro book. Yeah, so. That the company probably would would have never lasted under Turner because there were so many people who didn't want it. And God forbid, once it got sold, 
I mean, once Turner got merged and sold and all that other stuff, I mean, shit. It definitely was on, you know, on DOA list. And then once Ted's out of power. Oh, yeah. That's Matter it. of time. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's especially weird, though, just looking at this case. It's like, yeah, as much as Bill Watts made sense on paper at this point, why is this the time you're doing it? And why are you only giving the other guy four months? I don't know. And I would think they've been talking to Watts for longer anyway. Yeah, I don't – do you buy that they were only talk? I mean, granted, it doesn't say that they definitely weren't talking to him before, but it says that at the very least they were talking to him going back, you know, a couple weeks. Do you think this came together in a few weeks? That Just looking in terms of how long it would take for something like this to come together. I think they were talking to Bill Watts longer. That just yeah. – Kiff Rye was, was a stopgap. Somebody we could put in to hold us over until we get the guy we really want. Which is also why they never replaced him as lawyer, clearly. Yeah, you go. How, that, how, that how did you that. not see that as a sign that he was being seen as a stopgap? I don't know. Yeah. Because it's very obvious now as we think about it a little more. Exactly. Which, well, she's Patreons do that for us once we see the big picture. Yep, yep. I mean, that's... that's the thing I like doing about these shows that's different from the regular shows is that you start tying these these things up with, with nice little neat bows all of a sudden. Exactly. That it, it, it makes sense, too, that as much as you want to like fault them, even if it worked out okay temporarily, for going up to a guy and saying, hey, do you like wrestling in the hallways? Why would you do that if you if if he was someone you were looking to be a permanent solution? Because they, it, that's what not what they were doing. Absolutely. And then Bill Watts lasts ten months. <laughs> yeah, which you know probably would have went longer if it, if a certain interview didn't uh, leak out. Well, you mean an interview from almost two years earlier? Sure. Exactly. So. Well, and well, no, we, we I mean talked about uh... he was already on his way out. How soon? We don't know. Obviously, Watts has insisted he was all, he had already given his resignation before the call to Hank Aaron. There's that. I don't know if I believe him when he says that. I do believe that he he was probably on borrowed time. And we are we would have had. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, but that, that would have meant that what we would have had that we may would have had the uh, Jim Ross and Powell and Bill Watts's job. You think if he lasts longer, Watts? I mean, excuse me, Ross is able. To set up a parachute for himself and be able to not kind of be seen as damaged goods the way he was? Or Watts finds a way to get him in there. Well, okay, well, I mean, going to what's mentioned here, does JR ever actually get that title promotion to being a vice president or whatever? No. I don't not think he does. In that, not in that title, but he does all the work. No, but I'm saying uh, you would think, because I mean, we don't hear anything about it, you would think that if... He had gotten that actual promotion, he would have been a little more bulletproof when Watts got canned. Yeah. And he had been there for you. That's the thing, too. Like, whatever you want to say about Jim Ross, he did get a raw deal. Oh, yeah. Because he had been there for years. He had been booking and producing and announcing for them. Like, he he doesn't deserve to be the fallout guy, even if it's his mentor that was just fired. Yeah, I agree. I I. I think that's just kind of poor corporate bullshit, but yeah, then the, 
do you do you think Bischoff or whoever took him off TV knew that they'd be breaching his contract and letting him go, or do you think that was a fuck up? You got I, I wouldn't put it past any of them to do some shit like that. No. Yeah, but I mean, overall, Kip Fry, he had his shit together. I think that's the best way to put it, right? Yeah. He was. He had enough of an affinity of re- for wrestling to be willing to learn, to be taking it seriously, to listen to other people's input. He wasn't stubborn like Hurd. He wasn't an asshole to everyone like Hurd. He seemed to be doing things the right way. You know, would he have worked long term? I don't know. I think it's hard to guess. But I think he also would have gotten a better understanding of wrestling as time went on. He clearly had a better base understanding of wrestling, even if even if Hurd clearly liked wrestling. It seemed like Fry, in the short time he was there, understood what wrestling fans wanted a lot more than Hurd. Absolutely. Oh, God, yeah. All right. Well, that's it for this series. We'll be back next month for something different. And I don't know if I want to spring it on Bix on the air or not, but oh, I, pretty much, I pretty much am stone cold locked into an idea. And I, I mean, I'll just say this. Uh, I mean, you can do it. If you want to spring it, you can spring it. Okay. So you're giving me the clearance to do this. I'm giving you the clearance to spring the idea. I have the right to say fuck you if I don't like it. I think you'll love it. Okay. This is going to be covering the month of October. 30 years ago, a promotion became a totally different promotion in 1988 in October. Are you wanting to do a series on the Jared <laughs> era of world class? Yes. We are just, we are going to cover the end of world class championship wrestling. Oh, so you want to do okay, you want to do the you want to do the the death and rebirth of world class basically. Yes. And uh basically what I how I want to do this is we'll start with uh January January 1988, because that's when a lot of the big things start up, and just cover the whole year. Uh, this, uh, 1988 was a highly in- interesting year in 19 in world class. Well, has has have any of our friends converted the 88 observers to text already, or am I going to have to work overtime on those? Well, you got the warning now, so. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I, li- I like this though because. It, <laughs> There's a lot, every- man. I mean, well, I was going to say, to get everyone pumped up, one of the reasons things go downhill is that Kevin and Carrie end up having to run the office themselves. Yeah, but... The, Think about that, everyone. I, I don't know if we've talked about it on the main show or not, Yeah, but you would definitely be surprised at who almost bought World Class Championship Wrestling in the spring of 1988, if you didn't know it already. I mean, it, there is a lot that goes on to uh, that year. Before Jerry Jarrett finally buys the promotion, so uh, are you talking about the almost TBS deal or something else? Well, thank you for spoiling it. We've talked about that before. Well, no, I don't not, remember them. Not them almost buying it. That I don't. We haven't talked about that on the main show. We've talked about them almost. We talked about we talked about that on the, the Exile on Bad Street okay. three years ago. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, that's, I'm not going to remember that. You remember shit. When you were six years old at birthday parties and shit, <laughs> you're discussing. Yeah, but we've done like, okay, <laughs> let, let me count. I mean, they got, the show's gotten longer after a certain point. I mean, we've done like hundreds and hundreds of, we've done close to a thousand hours of podcasting together, Chris. 
I know, but that's one of the most memorable shows that's ever been done. But I'm not going to remember specifically where I where we talked about it. But anyway, 1988 World Class Championship Wrestling. 30 it's still years. a good teaser. Yeah, 30 years ago. And you'll find out how close and all the information that went into that. So we'll have that next month on Patreon. All right. That's it for this. Thanks, everybody, that uh, contributed. Continue to contribute to our Patreon. And, uh, Bix, thank you as always. You're the Rock of the Show. This is Chris Sansolong from the Peach State of Georgia. <laughs>